Welcome to episode one of the Expansion Pack podcast. This is a retrospective podcast that takes a deep dive to some of our favorite and or most influential and or whatever games we choose to cover. But we begin our journey here in the land of Hyrule with the immortal epic, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. I am your host, Miguel Peraza, a.k.a. Mike, and I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Javier Zavala. AKA Javi, I come straight from the streets of Hyrule Castle Town. But before we start, <laughs> the rough streets, the rough streets, the rough freaking... streets. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but before we start, we want to give a little primer of what to expect from this long form podcast so you can make a better decision if you want to continue with us. Mm-hmm. This is partially scripted, partially conversational podcast. We've done tons of research and recently played Ocarina of Time. Yes. And I played it multiple times in my life, actually, maybe nine times. But I, mm-hmm. I did re- I did replay the whole thing again yeah. in preparation. He replayed it. And then this is actually my first time actually playing through the full game, which I know much about the I know much about the game just growing up. Mm-hmm. But this was actually my first time actually playing through it fully thank god we blessed you good (laughs) exactly Mm -hmm. and we will be deep diving into the story and themes of ocarina as well as discussing tons of interesting tidbits of nintendo's development of this game yeah this is a spoiler podcast so you can expect us to recap the main story as well as dive into other parts of the zelda lore if you don't want any spoilers for ocarina or any other zelda game skyward sword and wind waker in particular then this is not the podcast for you We want to explore the themes of loss, friendship, destiny versus fate, and so much more as we maneuver through the story. So, Javi, this was your first time playing. Like, tell me your history with the game and, like, with the series in general. How many, like, Zeldas have you played and all that? When was the first time you even touched? I know you've tried this game at least before. Yeah, I think uh, there was the, the demo versions that I've tried. Uh, you know, I remember seeing that opening, like, you know, when Link, when Link wakes up. Yeah, and, it has. Uh, I mean, Navi. yeah, I, I feel like everybody's seen that yeah. at some point, you know. So yeah, so I played and you know the demos and the and whatnot and some of them just exploring the Kokiri forest and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, right, right before the, but right, basically right before, like right in the beginning of the game. Yeah, uh, but you didn't, get, never, you didn't get too far in. No, I never had in. the sixty four, and I didn't play any of the remakes. Uh, not for any particular reason or anything. It wasn't like I hated Zelda or anything because I actually love Zelda. The first ones I remember playing, but I don't remember completely. And I did do think I finished them. I just they're not vaguely in my memory, unfortunately. Were Oracle you're, of you're Ages? Probably young, yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, because it would have been Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons. Okay. I don't think I actually owned them. I just remember uh, it was like an after-school program stuff that people had them, and I would play the shit out <laughs> Damn, of them. Damn, what a great after-school yeah. program. Like, here, yeah, check yeah, this yeah, out. yeah, it was, yeah. It was just like... Because I did have a Game Boy Advance, but I didn't own the games. I think one of my friends, I think I let him borrow Pokemon, and he let me borrow... Uh, I forget which one it was. I can't remember. Okay. Because it's on the Game Boy Color, but you could play Game Boy games on the Advance, right? Um, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. You, you, can play, exactly. you can put them in there. And those were the first ones, like, that was basically my introduction to playing outside of, like, seeing, like, the, the old one, too. I played it, too. I just, that one I didn't finish when I was younger. I finished it much later in my life as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The first one I actually, like, sat down and played and wanted to, like, actually finish would have been Wind Waker on the GameCube. What an was, like, introduction. My, yes. Oh, my God. How lucky Such a, you are. <laughs> one of my favorites, and obviously for, for the reason of it being the first one that I ever beat. And uh, it was also uh, my first console was the like my first official, like, I guess, new gen because I had the the Sega Genesis was uh, which was amazing as well. Mm-hmm. But like it wasn't honestly it wasn't as popular. Right. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. Like especially around the, the my age, I would everyone had Linux, the the Nintendo, the Super Nintendo, or the sixty four, the PlayStation one, then moving into the PlayStation two and the GameCube era. I didn't have either of those. So it's funny, uh, like everybody's like, "Damn, did you did you try the new blah blah blah?" You're like, "Yeah, it's like, no. so- Sonic's really good, right?" Like, yeah, yeah, right, guys? exactly. Oh, Sonic <laughs> X Men was my jam, but uh, so Wind Waker was the first one I really finished. And of course, I've followed Zelda. I love Zelda. You know, I love playing him as bad as he was in some of the melee, like Smash Brothers games. Mm. You know, he's such a iconic character. Yeah, you know you he's know. my favorite Smash character. Exactly. Yeah. Like exactly. I, I know afterwards when I got more into it, I started using like Marth just because I I've realized Link is not that high tier of a character. But I mean, just for fun, I've always like, oh man. Yeah. Once Link, we started, yeah. once we started getting like, not necessarily that we got good. It was just like when we started actually trying to play, it was yeah. harder for you to keep up with Link than it was with other characters. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. But he's still, to me, the most fun to play with. He has Yeah, and so he's so, and his, you know, the green tunic, the green hat, like the Master Sword, it's just so iconic. Yeah, um, it's, it's forever, dude. It's, yeah, it's, so, it never gets old. Yeah, so I've seen a lot of, especially even this game, uh, Ocarina of Time, I, I, you know, everyone's like, oh, this is the best game of all time. This is my favorite game of all time. This is my favorite Zelda and stuff. And so there's a lot. It was basically like very hyped up for me for, for since forever, since I can remember. Yeah. You yeah. know, but I've what also, other games, I've always What other games did you play, though? You, you also played Breath of the Wild. Oh, I of think. course. Yeah, Breath of yeah. the Wild. I played some of Skyward Sword on the Wii. Yeah, yes. the one that, the only one I couldn't think I have like no knowledge and like I just I don't know why either it's not it's not like I didn't like it or anything or I wasn't interested in it I just don't know why at the time it came out I don't know I it's almost like it was blocked from my mind for a long time was a Twilight Princess I just yeah for some reason like I, I just don't know much about that game I, I can see that I, I mean if well I know because one thing is you're a big handheld person and um you, you like even after the GameCube well, it was on the GameCube too, but nobody nobody played it on the GameCube. Yeah, man. everybody played it on the Wii. Like, yeah, I saw the sales. I remember it's, it probably sold like five hundred thousand on the GameCube and like ten million on the <laughs> on the Wii. Mm-hmm. So I could I could see you just kind of that just blew past you. You know? Yeah, and I think at that time uh, I was really like getting into like multiplayer games. Oh yeah, and that kind of well, that, I guess it was like uh, two thousand six. So, or 2005, I, I believe. So that's when, like, multiplayer Xbox 360 and all that, and everybody was really getting into that. Yeah, that yeah, exactly. So th- that that kind of, uh, yeah, because I would have been in, like, the middle of high school starting oh, to play, like... In that like, era. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We would play Halo. Uh, Rock Band was huge. Every, man, at every get-together, every party, everybody was on Rock Band at that time. Yeah. And with good reason. I, always, I still have fun when people pop it. I was like, oh, look, Guitar Hero Rock Band. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, so with, with Ocarina, though, you didn't get to play it too much. You just played it a little bit, but you've always respected it because you know. Yeah, it's it always, you know, it's, it's this like... This it's just always held over your head, kind of almost. You know, like there's this <laughs> dare game you. That's Don't phrase it that way. <laughs> I know, no. but it it, it, yeah. it definitely felt like that since I never got to play it. It was just like this like great game, and like I've always meant to play it, but I don't know. I I don't know. There's no reason like oh I didn't oh I, not that I didn't believe the hype or anything. I just for whatever reason didn't play it. Yeah. Well, you missed out because I'll tell you this: 
I did play it, and I played it back in '98, and it was my prime time. Uh, I was 13 years old when it came out, so it was it's that age where now you're actually like pretty good at games, and you can get through them. Because I, I played Link to the Past a bunch of times before that. Link to the Past was my first one, and then when Ocarina came out, it was fucking life changing for me. It's just it, I still to this day say it's my favorite game of all time. Um, Really, Link to the Past was my favorite for a long time, and it, it it did take me maybe like a year or two later to finally kind of admit to myself like actually I actually like Ocarina better, and um oh wow yeah, but but yeah Ocarina is my favorite of all time. I I played that and at that time when it came out it was just revolutionary. Everybody, I think it was probably on the top ten list or like whatever list you wanted to make at that time. It was almost at the top of every list. You know, it was just like mm-hmm. this is the best game of all time. Much like the yeah. way Breath of the Wild is now for people. Right. But yeah, I know my history of it is that I played it a bunch of times. I beat the master quests. I've hundred percent of the game. I've you know I just played through it for fun. This and that. I played it every which way imaginable. And um and now I've played the for the podcast I've replayed it on the 3ds version which was cool that was my first time doing that um and definitely better in like kind of uh, what do they call it quality of life stuff that they improved yeah like uh, HUD I mean you generally you would think of stuff like HUD saving mechanics and stuff like that yeah and just the overall look too for sure I've seen a lot of people complain about it that it's a little too colorful and it kind of ruins the art direction I disagree mm. with that I think in certain spots yeah the art direction is maybe not as creepy because it's too bright but for the most part it just looks so much better it's it's not even worth complaining about in my eyes <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is a big improvement um, yeah. but yeah as far as my history with with everything in Zelda I'm a huge Zelda fan in general, but I can't say that I've played every single one. I'm not big on handhelds, so I've never played the Oracle of Seasons and Oracle of Ages. I I haven't played Phantom Hourglass, but what I have played is every single mainline game in the series, except for Zelda 2. But I definitely Mm. played the original. Um, I didn't beat it, though, but I did beat Link to the Past. I beat Ocarina of Time, I beat Majora, Twilight Princess, yeah. Wind Waker, um, Breath of the Wild, of course. Skyward, actually, I didn't beat. I played maybe the first third of it, and I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's I didn't dislike it, but I just, at the time, I didn't feel like, I don't know, it just didn't draw me in the same way. It's definitely one that I want to go back to and fully experience. And fully exp- yeah, and I, I completely forgot to mention, but how could I forget, since I just recently did it too, uh, I did play Majora's Mask, but I do want to get into that that experience more later when we talk about something else yeah which is cool because you ended up playing it after you played ocarina just kind of like oh let's you know and i played on the 3ds yeah exactly so well definitely there's there's gonna be we're gonna have a section where we talk about that a little bit more as well for sure but yeah that's our personal history with the game but how was it received when it was first released well Firstly, Ocarina was developed at the same time as Super Mario 64. Little known game hobby. I don't know if you've heard of it. Just but like, small. <laughs> you know. so Super Mario 64, uh, speedrunning legend, and Mario Kart 64 for the Nintendo 64 by Nintendo's Entertainment Analysis and Development Division, EAD. Uh, Ocarina was created with more than $12 million, which was massive at the time. That's like one of the highest costing games at the time i would Mm -hmm. say and a staff of over 200 
also a lot. A lot of indie games now are created with like 16, 20, 30 people. <laughs> and then like even back then, that was huge because they were still making games with teens of like 40, 50, stuff like that. And I know that the 200, it's not that they had like 200 full time on staff. They had a right, bunch right. of like outside help, voice actors or whatever. But it's still it's a lot of people. It's a lot um, of people. And uh, I mean, it shows how much care they wanted for this at the time. Yeah, they under they understood how important it was. Um, development took over three years. Again, huge for that time. Games were f- turned over like in a year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. It took over three years, and the game was delayed multiple times in order to polish and perfect it. Yeah. Arcarina was released November 21st of 1998 in Japan, and we got in, in November 23rd in the United States. I believe always, it was really, always behind Japan. Always Japan. behind Japan, <laughs> and I think even J- Europe got it about a month later as well. So even oh, we don't care about them. them. That's really, <laughs> like, yeah, whoa, whoa, that's they, they, yeah. They didn't say that. Didn't say that. And of course, it was met with universal acclaim, as we now, like in hindsight, ha- can see it. Perfect yeah. tens from dozens of media outlets. Uh, Pierre Schneider from IGN called it a masterpiece. He wrote, quote, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time should be recommended playing for every aspiring video game designer and programmer out there. If you're making games and you haven't played this game, then you're like a director who has never seen Citizen Kane or a musician who has never heard of Mozart, end quote. That's, that's big, big words there. Big, big praise, compliments. Big, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Eric Matei from Nintendojo said, each character and event plays a role in a storyline that sprawls like a J.R.R. Tolkien masterpiece. I couldn't help but feel I was living the life of Bilbo Baggins from The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings as I played my golden copy of Ocarina of Time. End quote. Important to note that this is before the Lord of the Rings movies came out. So it's just a capsule in time right there about how Ocarina brought those Tolkien type fantasies to life before the live action movies did. Jeff Gertzman from GameSpot had this to say, This game is the real thing. This is the masterpiece that people will be talking about 10 years down the road. This is the game that perfectly exhibits the quality, not quantity mantra that Nintendo has been touting since the N64 was released. In a word, perfect. To call it anything else would be a bald-faced lie. End quote. And to this day, it is still the highest rated game on Metacritic with an average score of 99. No other game has reached that number. I think that covers it. Um, oh, and before we jump headfirst into the story, we're going to also do a little fun exercise. Fun is the key word here, Javi. It's really fun. <laughs> a little fun exercise. A little homework, and- Mike. Just call it what it is. Silence. Silence. <laughs> <laughs> and view Ocarina through the lens of the hero's journey. If you're unfamiliar, in 1949, Joseph Campbell wrote a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. The book explores the similarities and patterns in myths and stories from different cultures and times. Campbell argues that all myths and stories share a fundamental structure, which he calls the monomyth or the hero's journey. And to be clear, there is a lot of criticism toward the idea of the hero's journey, and a lot of it is valid in my opinion, but... The reason we think this is relevant for Ocarina of Time is because what Nintendo attempted to do is create a new mythology with The Legend of Zelda and Ocarina in particular, a mythology built on processors, ROM cartridges, and fairies. So it's just interesting to view it through the hero's journey lens and just see how closely it follows that structure. And, you know, there's a famous little student that might have a couple big hits that everyone might know. Uh, Mm. He wrote, I think it was called Star Wars. 
oh, oh little know? known, <laughs> little known George Lucas. He 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 used that as an inspiration for a lot of his writing. Yeah, I, I read that, um, and I saw that in the documentary um, about the Star Wars, the making of Star Wars, of that, that he was trying to make a mythology, like a space opera mythology, mm -hmm. and he he knew Joseph Campbell, he liked his writings, and he was inspired by it. So I know a, a lot of how he wrote that script, he kind of based on that structure of what Joseph Campbell did, and that kind of... Because Joseph Campbell is not like everybody knew who he was, but then because George Lucas kind of gave him that approval, and then everybody's like, "Oh, wow!" And then like Star Wars is the biggest hit ever, and it, and it yeah. was at that time by like by far. Yeah, so, so it was one of those things that it took it a while for it to be con such common knowledge. Because I think a lot of people have heard of the hero's journey. It's become a kind of a meme now, you know. Yes. And then, and then of course, like like I said, there is a lot of criticism because they're just like, "Yeah, well, he's he's biased, and what he looks at is examples." He's like, right. not every story follows this. No, <laughs> right, exactly. And, and and it doesn't, but at the same time, you do see it a lot, you know, yeah. in a lot of different stories. Right, and I think this is a story that does follow it. And to make things a little bit easier, mm -hmm. we're going to be looking at a specific, uh, we're going to be actually looking through Christopher Vogler's version of it, which he condenses it to, the, he condenses like these, the steps of the monomyth, and that's what we'll be looking at. Exactly. So because he uh, Joseph Campbell's was, I think, 17 steps. Vogler, what he did is he was inspired by it, too. And then he just condensed it down to 12 steps mm -hmm. where he thought it was like, OK, this is the real thing here. When he he's kind of then started looking at basically what we're going to try to do Vocarina. He started looking with other popular stories and being exactly. like, oh, this this is the structure, you yeah. know. Yeah. And just a little bit. Vogler was a writing consultant at, you know, Disney in 1985 little known and he little known company again <laughs> and he actually wrote a memo about the hero's journey that became highly influential to the company mm -hmm. and then basically the rest of the industry because it's <laughs> it's disney right it is disney um, and then he, he also ended up writing a book a couple of years later like after the memo kind of caught on he wrote a book about this whole thing and then people exactly read, read the book Exactly. A lot of uh, stories, not just Disney, just a lot of stories, uh, Harry Potter, The Matrix, and then also Disney, Lion King and everything else pretty much in the 90s follow mm -hmm. the hero's journey building blocks very closely. And those are series and franchises that resonate with like, I think they resonate with everyone. Yeah, they do. I mean, they're those, those type of stories just transcend cultures and everything. They're worldwide mm -hmm. hits. And I th I think that that structure has a lot to do with it, for good or bad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the thing about it, too, is what, what I think about it is that he, maybe he was, uh, for sure, he was biased in the stories that he observed in the old myths. Because he, he looked at myths from all different cultures, like yeah. uh, in India, in China. He looked at all these different myths, but he probably chose stories that he saw similarities in. But I feel Which like it's almost been spoken into existence yeah. because... I think for better or worse, a lot of screenwriters now look at this structure and they say to themselves, oh, this is what makes a good story. So mm -hmm. let me follow these steps so I know I'm going to get a good story out of it. <laughs> Which sometimes they don't. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they don't. And that's actually also can be very bad because then you're you're being formulaic, you know? Yeah. And I bet you, but the cool thing about it is like Harry Potter, for example, I, I don't know if, if she wrote it with the hero's journey in mind. I doubt she did, to be honest. 
but mm-hmm. it's almost in her mind maybe she was looking at other stories being like damn what makes a good story and she kind of like followed the steps without even realizing it. it it's just interesting and yeah zelda resonates very deeply <laughs> with a pretty large <laughs> with me and a pretty large audience too yep all right so let's just take a quick break and then let's dive deep into the story Welcome, my friend, to the land of the gods. The ancient kingdom of Hyrule is at peace, but darkness is brewing under the surface. And this darkness is relentless in its pursuit of ultimate power. And thus begins our story. Deep in the heart of the Kokiri forest, a young green-clad boy sleeps alone in his dark room. He shivers, his nightmare visions overtaking his body. We peer into his dreams, a possible prophecy of things to come. He sees a horse riding out of a majestic castle on a dark and stormy night. He makes eye contact with a young girl, her eyes full of dread as she's taken away in a desperate hurry. The boy turns back as he feels a dark, threatening man behind him, a powerful black steed bellowing. And the man on the towering horse turns to the boy with menacing intent. And the boy stands there frozen in shock and we fade back into the forest. What an incredible intro. To I've say always... the least, Javi, to say the least. What an incredible intro. I've always loved intro. this, like, what, you, what would you call it? A uh, cold opening, basically, where it shows yeah. you a scene from, a scene that we have no explanation about, no context. It just throws you in. And with, especially this scene, it's just so mysterious. And you just, like, you're instantly intrigued. Yeah, that's that's a good word. It provides intrigue because you're like, okay, yeah. I I think this seems like I'm gonna see this later, so I can't wait to <laughs> this, find out what happens. It seems like a pretty epic scene. Yeah, yeah. How are we gonna get to this spot? <laughs> exactly. And we already yeah, so we already know it's gonna come later, and mm-hmm. but you and it just gives you that immediate feeling. Yeah, it's like a a flash forward, right? Of of mm-hmm. everything you're gonna be able to see later, mm-hmm. and they they set the tone immediately because and then <laughs> we just we go from that to the next opening which is the our introduction to link yes very much so and you know for me this whole scene is amazing just because it's so dark and i think that's that's the main thing that struck me where it's like wow like he's they actually show him shiver you know like mm-hmm. Z- we're the, the hero pet. what the hell yeah mm-hmm. and, and and it's just like wow he's having a nightmare and it, it's just one of those things where link to the past also has a pretty dark opening i mean your uncle dies but mm-hmm. i think the animation style inherently makes it feel more kid-like even it, even if the themes are dark it still feels very kid-friendly but and i think that's something that the nintendo itself has struggled with Forever. Very much so. But I think in this game in particular, because the 64 was at the cutting edge of graph, not the cutting edge, but they're up there graphically and they're we're competing. Seeing it, they're competing and we're seeing Zelda for the first time in 3D. It was just kind of like, wow, the darkness of it really struck me. So I was just always love that intro. It, it just does it for me. I was like, oh man, I can't wait, baby. Let's, let's get mm-hmm. into this game. So now we see a fairy approaching the great Deku tree, who apparently likes using old English sparingly. I get what they're doing with this old English thing, but it's just actually funny to me now because I'm pretty sure he's misusing half the words 
all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, okay. uh, he's, he's trying to be like a discount Shakespeare. Yep. It's, uh, it's to make us like, you know, just players because no one knows Old English. It's mm-hmm. supposed to make us feel like this is what Old English sounds like. Mm. But like, it's just com- not. <laughs> it's just completely different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, gonna... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Miyamoto around this, uh, around this time always describes Zelda as basically a medieval sword and sorcery tale. Mm-hmm. emphasis on medieval mm-hmm. and even the old ocarina trailers were used the old english i think one of the famous lines was willis thou suck i forget the rest of it i know yeah. i know we have it somewhere yeah. but it's i just remember willis thou suck yeah so, yeah. so that, that just tells you enough yeah <laughs> it's like that's oh that's the trailer they deleted it's like no that's the final trailer it's in there <laughs> that like, was the final trailer. yeah Anyway, the Deku Tree tells Navi that he senses a great evil descending upon the forest and on Hyrule in general. He believes it's time for the boy without a fairy to begin his journey. Very quickly, we already understand the context. Simple and brilliant because by saying the boy without a fairy, we immediately know that Link is different, an outsider, an outcast. And while we'll see everyone else in Hyrule call him the fairy boy or the boy with the fairy, Inside Kokiri Forest, he's the boy without a fairy. He's an yeah. other. He's an other. Yeah. We fly into a first-person cutscene of Navi, the little fairy we saw fluttering through the forest towards Link's treehouse. Mm-hmm. It's a nice cinematic, but more importantly, as for game design, it serves the purpose of showing us the layout of the land and getting a handle on the size of the Kokiri Forest. Mm-hmm. It also shows us the direct path we need to take to get to the Deku Tree, which turns out you're not going to believe this, Mike. No way. But this is where we have to go. Somehow, oh my god. <laughs> somehow they taught us where to go. <laughs> How did they do I that? I still got <laughs> lost. <laughs> I, said, I still didn't find it. Where still, is the deco tree? Somebody tell me. Dude, that was me. That was definitely me when I was younger when I played it for like the demo stuff. But anyway. You're throwing your you controller know, against the wall. You're like, <laughs> like how the fuck are you supposed see? to know where you're going? This is yeah, and then, and then I find and then I and then I run into Mido and I don't think I paid attention when I first played. I'm like, oh well, he doesn't even let me pass. This must not be the right way. Yeah. But anyways. <laughs> You know what's so cool about this is that mm-hmm. it really shows the lighthearted side, which I mentioned earlier, that of Orcarina, that right after the dark intro, I mentioned, yeah. like, you know, it's such a contrast. It is. It is. The it's, forest. It's a, it's a nice contrast that they show right there instantly. Yeah, exactly. One after the other. Yeah, exactly. Right after the other, which is what I love. Mm-hmm. The forest is lively, quirky. And even in the cutscene, we got a cute moment. I think where Navi bumps a gate. It's, it's, it's so it's, adorable. It's lighthearted. Yeah. It's like, it's like oh, you're, just, you're seeing this cool cutscene. And then you're like, Yeah, oh, right shit. before like, they break our hearts. Okay. Ocarina is one of the darker Zelda games. But ultimately, there always has to be that sense of fun, exploration, and adventure. And I think that's where that lighthearted tongue comes to. Um, inside the treehouse, we are treated to the cutest Hello. ever. And then we get the infamous hey. Navi wakes Link out of his slumber and informs him that he is a fairyless boy no more and that Daddy Deku Tree has summoned him. On our way down, we are greeted by our one true friend, Saria. She immediately notices our newfound fairy companion and says, Hey, now you're a true Kokiri. Damn, bitch. <laughs> like, I wasn't the true Kokiri. Did you're my one friend and you're talking shit too? Yeah, that's right. that's one we'll of the We'll let interesting... this slide, Saria. We'll let this we'll one let slide. This slide. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was one of my interesting things. Um, it's, you know, we just got this idea that you're an outsider and then the fairy is like, you're almost like, oh, yo, cool. You're now, you know, now maybe you'll be included. Yeah. And then immediately you're, you're brought back down away. to earth. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. yeah. So it makes you like instantly hear 
and more importantly like like i said it felt like you see it but more importantly you felt like you felt like link and you just feel this like betrayal like you know you don't know this person you feel it you <laughs> feel like link yeah yeah <laughs> nah i mean we're joking around because we love sorry yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh back then most games still didn't have uh full voice acting right mm -hmm. and the zelda series didn't get any voice acting really until breath of the wild in mm -hmm. like 2017 so, yeah 27 very long time so all the dialogue is done through text. And so when a character talks to you, they do it in a way where it's framed that you're supposed to respond to them like you yeah. are. Or the, like they, they talk to you in the whole like they say, oh, what is oh, you said that you're going to go here. Very Blue's Clues or Dora yeah, the like, Explorer. Yeah, as if like you said something apparently, you know. Exactly. So but like, you never, okay. the character never, like even in text doesn't say anything. Imagine it, okay, if, imagine playing that way. Like you're actually talking back to the TV the way we used to with Blue's Clues. It's just <laughs> like, it's over there. Where like, is it? It's, yeah, it's over. It's <laughs> on the right. Oh, oh, it's, it's on the right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but this protag silent protagonist has been a long-standing tradition in RPGs in general. Mm -hmm. And with Zelda moving into full 3D, Link actually felt pretty alive and expressive compared to his 2D selves. Yeah, definitely. It, it is a perfect agree. combination of being the player being put into Link's shoes and Link just feeling realer. So it's like this double combo almost. Yeah, oh, 100%. And then speaking of Breath of the Wild, yeah, in a, in a 2017 interview with Zach Scott Games about Breath of the Wild's Link being mute, A.G. Aonuma, who was a producer on Breath of the Wild and a dungeon designer on Ocarina of Time, said, quote, For the series, we always try to make Link so that players will be able to play as the main character. We wanted the players to be able to relate to Link and to play as themselves, end quote. And Miyamoto also chimed in in that same interview and said, as you think for yourself what kind of choices you want to make, you become more and more in tune with Link, end quote. And I, again, I think that whole, the way that dialogue works where it's like, you're not saying anything, but they're responding to you as you did. It's just one of those little tricks where that, that then it makes you feel like, oh, I'm the main character. That's me. Link is me. Mm -hmm. So I, Link, I just think yeah, that's I'm him. cool. And that's not special in and of itself. Other games did this. Like, a lot of games in this time did this, where they did that text in a way. But, you know, it's using an old trick to to continue a longstanding tradition of mm -hmm. making you feel like the main character is good. Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of like for another time, if we ever talk about it. Uh -huh. uh, like, the game we will, itself. will, by the way. Yeah, we will. Yeah, yeah. But, like, the game <laughs> itself. But uh, I said, I loved Breath of the Wild. Uh -huh. But Link, you know, being mute while everyone is talking to him, especially Zelda, it was kind of... It didn't super work out. I was like, okay, this is kind of getting old. Yes. Uh, it's not an issue here, but like I can vividly remember the Urbosa and uh, Zelda scene where they're like Urbosa does the lightning uh, snap. Uh -huh. And I, it just like Link, I just need Link to talk to like, I don't even think she said anything, but Link say something like, yeah, I, I agree. There's so many you. scenes where it would have been more, I think it would have cut harder if Link mm -hmm. was able to like express himself a little bit. It doesn't have to be a lot, you know, just a little bit. I, I agree with you. Um, you know, I fucking love Breath of the Wild with a passion as well, but that the, I did like the voiceovers, but it didn't work for me either that he was muted and everybody else was talking. That was just the main thing where it was like, unless, Unless they literally acknowledged that he was actually mute, then it would have been exactly. Fun. It, like if they would have said something like, "Oh, he's never talked in his life," it's like, okay, all right, <laughs> that like you know sign language or something. But no. Um, but <laughs> no, either way, even, I, I enjoy the he, I enjoy the voiceover. He though. just doesn't know anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
but uh, I, I think that they should in the future. I don't know. I, I'm in team. Get a voice for Link. You know, mm-hmm. I, I know it'd be hard, but let's do it. I mean, you know, we already he's already in like he's already began and let's just get Matt Mercer to do it, too. You know, like, let's go, baby. That's, that's all I need to hear. Done. Sign the both check. of them at the same time. Have him argue <laughs> with himself. <laughs> All right, so we start our adventure and walk across Kokiri Forest toward Daddy Tree, and we encounter our first roadblock. Literally, Bitch Boy Mido stops us dead in our tracks, calls us Mr. No Fairy, motherfucker, and tells us we can't pass without a sword and shield. But by the way, he doesn't have one either. I don't know why he's, what is he guarding? You know, <laughs> and, and to be honest, Mido is on my most hated list for 1998. I couldn't stand this hater, this non-believer then, and I can't stand him now. I almost wish there could be a sequel, Javi, of all of us growing up and Link marry Saria and have Mido be her maid of fucking honor because I just want him to be friend-zoned that bad. Okay, Mike, this is like, Usa, <laughs> Mike. Fuck this bitch. Fuck this. Usa, I, Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You won't even hear me say the name... Not even say he's the he should not be spoken. He'd just be the hater, the non-believer from here. I hate this, okay. This kid. Well, yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's move on uh-huh. before we get we get too heated. Uh, <clears throat> we now have the incentive to search through the forest. Mm-hmm. We find the Kukuri sword in a tiny hole that leads into a small maze. And then we gather enough rupees throughout the forest mm-hmm. to buy a wooden shield in the shop. You know, many games start like this, where our first hour or so is just exploring your kind of like your hometown. Yeah. In Wind Waker, you spend the first hour or two talking to everyone on Outset Island and doing small tutorials at your own pace. In Twilight Princess, you're literally herding sheep. Literally. Literally, you're the sheep herder. Yeah. So in our, here in Ocarina, you get a sense of like the whimsical lives that Kokiri live in the forest, cutting grass, hanging around on random spots on bridges, on top of trees, which I don't know how they got up there. There's no ladders for some of those. <laughs> they <can laughs> They're fly, just up I there. guess. They're fairy guess, spirits. Maybe they, no, they no, yeah, no. you know, the, the, the perks of actually being a fairy or, or having a fairy, I should say. Yeah. But, it, but yeah, it's all very enchanting. It's very, you know, it's, it's very out of a fairy tale almost yeah I, I agree with that i will say though this is a luxury that nintendo has and only a couple of other game companies have there's not many games that could start this slow and still captivate an audience unless you have complete trust in the developer i didn't mention this before but actually when i first played ocarina it was at a demo so i had already played Link to the past i love zelda already but i played it at target at a demo and they just put you like they just drop you in the Kokiri forest and all that. And it was like, I thought it was a little bit boring, to be honest. But at the same time, I'm like, it's Zelda. I know it's going to be great. It didn't matter. I still me and my brother, older brother, we still pre-ordered it. Couldn't wait to play it because I was like, oh, OK, it'll, it'll get better, you know, and it did. Obviously. <laughs> but but if I'm being honest, I, I was kind of bored when I was just trying it out. I, and that's not the best way to play the game that's just not it's not the type of game you can demo and be like okay this is great you know um so yeah that intro is pretty slow and even even in link to the past there's a pretty intense beginning to that it's a dark and stormy night where princess zelda calls for help and link takes up the fight by taking the sword and shield from his dying uncle it's a very different beginning from the other mainline games but nintendo has the equity to be able to start slow because people trust them Anyway, of course, nowadays, since I know the story so well, it takes me 10 minutes to get the sword and buy the shield. I just do it, get on my way, done. 
But when I first played it, I think I spent an hour or two just looking at everything, reading every sign, talking to every NPC. So I can see this first section taking some players a couple of hours of just exploring. It's funny in like a, like a retrospect, like it's quite small compared to other games now. Oh, Back yeah. then, I imagine it didn't feel that way, especially like I played it. I already know every like I knew I had to go get the sword through the hole. So mm-hmm. I didn't have to explore. So it didn't it didn't feel big. Whereas when you were when it first came out, I'm, yeah. I'm sure it felt it felt big, full of mystery for me. It was just like, all right, go here. You yeah, know? it definitely did. It, it definitely felt huge. And now when I look back on it, especially now playing it this time, I was like, oh, yeah, this place is small. It's like mm-hmm. there's this <laughs> there's like three four houses and they all just have pots and and a couple of treasures in them mm-hmm. you know but at that time it didn't feel that way it feels that way now yeah i think this setting though i think it, it this will really be a good time to jump in back to the theme of the hero's journey okay let's do uh, it like we mentioned before we'll be relating back to it to vogler's specifically abbreviated version of the hero's journey mm-hmm. according to him the first step is the hero being introduced in his or her ordinary world Mm. Vogler writes most stories ultimately take us to a special world a world that is new and alien to its hero if you're going to tell a story about a fish out of his customary element you first have to create a contrast by showing him in his mundane ordinary world end quote oh I mean yeah that clearly fits perfectly here ultimately this first section introduces us to our ordinary world to Link's ordinary world and how Link doesn't quite fit into that world by all estimations, no matter what we do, we'll never be a true Kokiri. And I think that just sets us up perfectly. It's like, okay, yeah, this exactly. is his world. This is his small world. This is the world he knows. And now mm-hmm. we'll see what mm-hmm. comes after that. Yeah. And just to comment on the overall design of this first section, it's such a fun way to learn and explore this. Just learn everything, right? Yeah. You learn, you can climb vines. It has almost everything you'll need outside of like dungeon stuff. And certain uh, items you'll find later on, but it gives you everything. You can climb vines, the auto jumping, which I think, uh, especially for like platforming in general, is kind of weird having yeah. like auto jumping. It was brand new then, like it, mm-hmm. like literally brand new. I think a lot of things for Ocarina get um, falsely put onto it as an innovator, but this is actually like people didn't have this like yeah. <laughs> in a in a 3D game, no way. So Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Exactly. In a 3D game. Speaking of 3D, yeah. Z targeting, you know, the mm-hmm. combat, opening chests, picking up and like the rocks in the yep. in the area. Just I guess it would be context sensitive actions, right? Yeah. And just where to find rupees. Cause like I mean I, I wonder how many people maybe completely missed out, especially their first time playing a Zelda game if this was their first. Mm-hmm. Uh like cutting the the grass for rupees you know yeah which is one of the most fun things to do and and <laughs> link to the past like no yeah. one know, like why is this room full of pots and then someone that's plays zelda's like pots you know but <laughs> it, it gives you a lot to do at the time especially for this this area mm-hmm. and it, it really in, introduces us into the game mechanics by enticing us to explore Yes, Nintendo always does a perfect job of that. Just like mm-hmm. they don't, you don't know what's happening, but you're like, oh, all right, let me just look around and explore. Exactly. This. Okay, one thing I wanted to mention about the game design before we continue, I found it so interesting how much Miyamoto and the whole team focus on that game design before anything else. And in many cases, the limitation of the Nintendo 64 led them to make certain design choices that ultimately affected the story choices. So, for example, 
when they were first developing the targeting system, which is a big part of this intro, like you have a couple NPCs who tell you, hey, look up here. All right. <laughs> Navi, <laughs> Navi mentions it too. Yeah. Press the Z button. Okay, great. Um, They initially had the yellow markers around what things you were targeting, but they felt that wasn't enough. It wasn't visually appealing. Yoshiaki Koizumi, the 3D system director of Ocarina, said, quote, I was a designer, so I didn't want to use such a simple marker. I wanted to make something else, so I came up with a fairy. After all, it was The Legend of Zelda. I called it the fairy navigation system, end quote. When the script director Toru Usawa saw that, he immediately told Koizumi, hey, they should call it Navi because, well, it navigates. <laughs> it's such a simple thing, but it was a light bulb moment. It was that synergy of creative minds. Osawa continues, quote, the Legend of Zelda games have a lot of names that show their origin. Link means to bind together. We give a lot of names that serve as functional symbols. I thought I should name her that way out of respect for the Legend of Zelda naming tradition, end quote. Yeah. And then things started evolving. Initially, it was just for targeting, but now they gave Navi a primary purpose. They started adding more functions to her, giving tips throughout the story. And then it started mm -hmm. becoming, just started all coming together. Yeah. In this first area, there's a lot of trees and characters. So the 64 had problems rendering it in a 3D space. It's not very much memory. Yeah, yeah. So Which we'll gave, talk about later. I know yeah. we'll talk a lot about that later. So it gave Koizumi the idea of giving fairies to all the Kokiri. They are fairy children after all. Yep. So that we can see the small fairy first in a distance, and that way it's not rendered the whole character. Yeah. So now we start seeing these little things everywhere, and it's a functional solution that, you know, translates to a big part of the story. It yeah. helped with the rendering issue, but they were able to integrate it. Enuma they they, said they basically they, decided, like, okay, well... Then all of them should have it, right? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So Enuma said that this is how they came up with the idea of Link not having a fairy in the beginning of the game. That's crazy to me. Nowadays, you would think that they would just have that in mind beforehand. It's like, okay, Link shouldn't have a fairy, and that's part of the story. It's like, no, this yeah. is why he doesn't have a fairy, because the 64 can't handle... Yeah, and like, it's, <laughs> we'll, we'll be exploring so many more like these, of these quote-unquote functional solutions. Yeah, and this game development stuff is mm -hmm. cool. I think it's <laughs> fascinating looking back because now that there is so much less limitation in the hardware and with these huge epic story games, I just imagine that a lot of them are made with the script ready first and the design of the game is built around the script. It always comes to mind to me is The Last of Us. I don't know how it was made, but I imagine that the script, like I imagine Druckmann had the story and script in mind first and then they designed a survival game around that story. Yeah. And I mean, no this sense. this happens. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think the story is great, but like, I don't like the gameplay. But that's also I have a bias against like survival, like yeah. horror games. But still, like the game isn't fun for me. Yeah, that that's another conversation. But I've we've always been there with you. I don't love the Last of Us gameplay that much. But I, I think story is like top mm -hmm. two and not two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, like I, it's, it's that good. But anyways, yeah. um. And I'd be so curious to know how most companies approach story-driven games now. Nintendo's philosophy has always been gameplay and design first, story second. They've made games that way mostly to their benefit, but sometimes to their detriment. And I'm not really arguing for one method of making games over the others, but I just always appreciate Nintendo's commitment to fun. Fun, fun, fun over everything else. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 
So now we have our trusty Kokiri sword and our little tiny wooden Deku shield. Cute, adorable shield. We, we, we finally can go to Mido and be like, look what we got, okay? Get who? out of our way. The, to, to go to who? Mido? <laughs> like, exactly. I don't know, like, I don't know that who? name. Sorry. Who? I don't, who? Yeah. who? <laughs> we go Steve Stone Cold and like, what? <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> like, what? every time he says anything, what? Yeah. As, as we're walking past him. But it's now like, we get... You don't, you don't have a sword and shield? <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> It doesn't matter. Yeah, he all the confidence, even though Link doesn't talk, all the confidence came now that he now he has a fairy, a sword, and a shield. Like what a beast. I feel like he he, he probably doesn't feel like he's a Kokiri, right? Nothing's gonna make him feel fully accepted, but now he's like, you know what? I don't care. I'm doing it what I want to do. And that's what Lex we're doing. On these right? bitches. Yeah, Lex, exactly. Flex on all these bitches. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so we we can finally get past. Whoever it was that was blocking us. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So we can go talk to the great Tegu tree, as Navi had mentioned to us in the beginning. Mm-hmm. He tells us he's been cursed. And mm-hmm. now the time has come to test our courage. Mm-hmm. Our courage. How, how, how deep do you think that hit Link? You know, he's been waiting for it. His exactly. Life, he's been waiting for this. You know, like, even though, like I said, like he will never feel accepted uh, himself because he, he isn't Kokiri. He doesn't know that, but he could feel that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This Mm -hmm. is uh, validation almost. The tree opens his mouth, beckons us to come inside, and instructs Navi to help us on our journey. Mm -hmm. He also reminds us to use the up C button if we ever need Navi, you know, (laughs) just like in all medieval adventures. (laughs) I I, I remember reading it in in King Arthur. Arthur, uh, Press up C and and Merlin will come. (laughs) Okay. Inside the Deku Tree, we are introduced to our first dungeon in the game. It's a wonderful first step and introduction into Zelda 3D dungeon crawling. The building blocks of all 3D Zelda dungeons are here, using the fire to light torches. I don't, I don't know if you ever heard of that one, Javi, but that's that happens a lot. <laughs> that, that that's a 2D Zelda too. Shooting switches with a projectile. That's actually. Well, no, I guess that wasn't 2D Zelda's as well. Block moving, switch hitting, physics and momentum. Javi, as someone who has played other Zelda games before fully experiencing this one, how did you feel about this dungeon? How was this? How was the inside the Deku Tree? Um, so atmosphere and everything amazing. The thing that I think was instantly that's the right kind of, answer, by the way. That's yeah. The right answer. <laughs> Uh, instantly kind of jarring was just how simple it felt. I 100% felt that too. I was like, wow, this is so easy. <laughs> yeah, especially like, you know, playing. I mean, not that Zelda games are, are like, oh my God, they're so hard either. Don't get me wrong. It's just, mm-hmm. uh, it definitely felt much simpler than a lot of the ones I've played. Even uh, even Manjora's Mask didn't feel super hard, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. might have been something to do with them you know, this is their first game in 3D. Maybe they don't want to make it too difficult. I think that's uh, part of it. I mean, I know for sure that more than sure that they looked at it in that way of, okay, we got to introduce people to these things. To be fair, like when I played it back then, it, it, it wasn't hard, but it was also a lot harder than it felt now. It had some difficulty to it because I, I wasn't sure like these Skotillas, I was trying to climb up the vine and they kept knocking me off. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. know. Like I didn't I, back then I was like, I didn't know what am I supposed to do here? And then I get the slingshot. I was like, oh, okay, I can shoot him. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so I think um, a lot of it like had to do with people maybe not being used to mechanics so they weren't making things too difficult. 
mm-hmm. so people can figure it out somewhat easily. I think as a first dungeon, it was very, very introductory, basically, like very simple, very just here's the dungeon, here's the atmosphere, which I think that's the be- best part about it. Yeah. And here's the boss fight. You know, there wasn't too much to figure out momentum i think yeah yeah momentum because you had to like figure out the jumping portion but that was probably the most difficult part of it yeah i agree i remember thinking like oh i have to burn this but i I was like i can't get something that's lit down here yeah and you can't like roll it or yeah you can't like take it to roll over you have to yeah you have to go to the highest point and jump with your sword basically that one is the one that sticks with me the most all these years later because i just so vividly remember that i remember seeing the web walking over it and it just bounces a little bit and i'm like okay there's something here you know like i remember like trying (laughs) to trying to do the the jump stab the jump strike because i was like oh maybe my sword will cut it you know as it comes down i was just trying to think i was trying to problem solve it and then when i finally went up there and jumped down and it broke through it blew my mind i was like oh shit like that more than anything made me start thinking in 3d space mm-hmm. where i'm like oh okay because i gotta go up high because it needs i need the momentum to to get through the web i was like oh right. man so it's just simple but brilliant mm-hmm. i i can appreciate it even more even though it's easier now i think i can appreciate it even more now because i actually see what they were doing you know like i understand what they were doing they were giving us those tutorials to do all these different things there's a famous video that I always laugh at where it's like a kid who's like, he didn't even know the context sensitive thing. He didn't know how to open the door. He just saw the door and he's like, how the fuck am I supposed to? He's like stabbing the door. <laughs> Let me get in here. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such second nature to us. We understand it. But even that back then, it's just like, how do you get in this door? They're trying to light torches. They're like, well, how do you get in here? It's like, you just press A and it opens. Like, oh, fuck, I didn't know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So, yeah, in that way, it was had some difficulty to it then, you know, but yeah, obviously now I, I like you said, I agree with you. It's like it's simple. It felt it feels simple. All right. So at the end, we fight Queen Goma, which is an armored arachnid. So if you have, you know, what is it? Arachnophobia? Arachnophobia. Don't play. This, this is our very <laughs> late. <laughs> warning to get out yeah. get if you're out. playing Don't this play game this. some people yeah. are actually really uh just a real side tangent on that i know um jedi fallen order for example has a lot of spiders in the game mm-hmm. and one of the most popular mods is to take the spiders out because some yeah. people really have a fear <laughs> of spiders yeah, I, think so just... I can't think of the game off the top of my head but there's a game where like it's basically all spiders but they have like a an arachn- arachnophobia filter so nice. it's less of them but because the area's a spider area anyways it still has to kind of have them or something i forget mm-hmm. i need to look it up again but it was something funny yeah people are scared it's mm-hmm. it's fair enough you know yeah but yes this is our first boss this is the intro boss so it's very important for the team to make it memorable enjoyable and teach us how to fight bosses in the for the future right yeah give us an yeah. idea and i think this game does a really this boss does a really good job at that yeah it's simple but there's like critical mechanics mm-hmm. we're gonna exactly here. in a 2011 interview miyamoto talks about how they use the boss cutscene to help the player navigate the 3d space kind of crazy i'm like i'm thinking like why you know why would they need that 
but it's like, guys, it, we, like, we got it, bro. We, don't worry. Yeah, oh, no. yeah, no, but no, people don't know when to look up, right? Like, <laughs> if any of you have ever seen footage of people playing the Nintendo or the Super Mario 64 demo before it came out, you'll know why this is needed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because that gameplay looks nothing like the gameplay you see now. It looks like it's just <laughs> baby toddlers learning yeah. how it's to like when you, you know, when, you, when you get your grandma to try to play a video game. Oh my god, yeah. yeah. Just but... exactly like that. <laughs> uh, Miyamoto said, the first boss fight against Goma, when you go into the room with the boss, Goma is hanging from the ceiling, so you wouldn't usually notice, even if there's a rustling sound. Yeah. So we first position the camera from the viewpoint of Goma looking down at Link. Then we have the camera close in on Link showing fear. Then we change the viewpoint so it's from Link's looking up towards Goma, end quote. It's such a simple technique, like so camera simple. technique, yeah. that is so obvious nowadays. Oh my god, it's not even second thought, you know? But Duh, it's, like, the, why wouldn't you yeah, do that? <laughs> exactly. But these are like the micro decisions that help make the game more cinematic, right? But yeah. it also, without explicitly holding your hand, mm-hmm. guides you. Yeah, they don't have to blatantly tell you, but they show you. They don't tell you, mm-hmm. they show you what you have to do there and of course so you think link to the past again going back to the previous game there's no such thing i mean it's all over the top so if you don't see that cutscene, you're like where is, what is this room <laughs> you know like what am i doing in this room i don't know it's like oh he's up the goma's up there and of course in order to get goma down from the ceiling we have to use the slingshot to shoot his eye which is the item we get from this dungeon And that's pretty much how every dungeon boss goes. We need to use the item we got in the dungeon to defeat them, except maybe Bongo Bongo and the Shadow Temple. That's the only one where, because you get the hover boots and you don't don't really need it to defeat Mm -hmm. them. But almost every other one, you have to use the item. Well, after we beat the shit out of Goma's eye with a Deku stick, that's the weapon of choice here, my friends. I'm just letting <laughs> you know. You can use your little-ass Kokiri sword, but the Deku stick is is godlike. I think the damage like, number is higher. Yeah, it's just so good. Uh, we get another heart piece, and we get teleported back outside. Yep, we get teleported back outside to the base of the Great Deku Tree. Mm-hmm. And the Great Deku Tree is proud of us. He says he knew we would demonstrate our courage. Mm, this is such you. an important you, scene. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks, oh my dad. god, thank you, Dad. Like, yeah. <laughs> For the validation I needed. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Tears, like, you did, yeah, like, like wiping tears from his eyes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is uh, such an important scene here. This puts the entire adventure into motion. Mm. We get a ton of lore and story dropped on us here. And just to give some context, before Karina, the concrete lore we had about Hyrule and Zelda was pretty sparse about like you know the universe in general yeah we didn't know much about hyrule what the triforce is exactly like Mm. you know it's triangles triangles yeah Yeah. awesome i mean we know it's an important item but we don't know how important we don't know it's important i'm sorry we know how important it is we do know because obviously it's the focus but we don't Mm. know why it's so important yeah, like yeah, we don't we don't know where its power comes from. We know what we know what it could do. Like we know it grants right. wishes because they say that in in the other games. It's just, they say that in Link to the Past specifically. But yeah, we don't know like where does it come from? What is it about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also Ganon, we don't know you know where he came from. Yeah, like, but yeah, there's so many things that we didn't know. Where where is the origins from? Yeah, and and in Link to the Past in the intro, 
That's probably the most we've ever gotten. That's it's optional too. It, it's like the thing that runs before you press start on the game. Mm. So it's it's not even like an actual intro. It's the <laughs> so it's I mean like, I think yeah. I think everybody watches it, but you don't technically have to watch it. But now here. Mm. We get our first clue about Ganondorf. Not Ganon, which we've seen, Ganondorf. The Great Deku Tree tells us that a wicked man from the desert casts a curse upon him. This wicked man with his sorceress powers is obsessed with finding the sacred realm connected to Hyrule because he is hell-bent on finding the Triforce. Okay, I can't even imagine Ganondorf here in the forest. I don't know that thought just because like we never see it, but it's just mm -hmm. seeing it here, picturing him walking through the forest is crazy to me. The divine mm -hmm. relic. And this... Mido just let him pass. Sorry. I, I know, right? Like, come on, Mido. He didn't have a shield. What the fuck, Mido? Or <laughs> he who should not be named. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Right, right, right. <laughs> but but that Triforce, the Triforce, that divine relic that contains the essence of the gods. That's what they tell us there. That's what that's what it is. It contains the essence of the gods. It's a brief but ominous cutscene. We see Ganondorf, the same man we saw in our nightmare, riding through fires and flames. And then we get the Legend of Zelda creation myth. And I just honestly, I can't. I can't emphasize how much this cutscene blew my mind in 1998. I couldn't believe it. It's just one of those things because the experience is so in-depth and rich in Link to the Past. I felt like I knew so much more about the world than I actually did. And then after seeing this cutscene, seeing these cutscenes, I realized I really didn't know much of, of all. I was like, okay, I didn't know any of this shit. This is cool. This whole scene for me is the one that forever invested me into the series because it just I, now I became obsessive about the lore I wanted to know all this stuff now mm -hmm. um Javi let's just let's read the creation myth because I love it let's <laughs> okay go. you first right. then me let's go <laughs> all right all right before time began before spirits and life existed three golden goddesses descended upon the chaos that was Hyrule Din the goddess of power Nairu the goddess of wisdom Faror, the goddess of courage. Din, with her strong flaming arms, she cultivated the land and created the red earth. Nairu poured her wisdom onto the earth and gave the spirit of law to the world. Faror, with her rich soul, produced all life forms who would uphold the law. The three great goddesses, their labors completed, departed for the heavens. And golden sacred triangles remained at the point where the goddesses left the world. Since then, the sacred triangles have become the basis of our world's providence. And the resting place of the triangles has become the sacred realm. Incredible. I love this, Javi. I love it. I know you don't love it as much as me, but you will. Don't worry. <laughs> this I'll is the you. literal beginning of the entire Zelda universe. I can't see them going any further back than the three goddesses. As always, it's in the small details. Din, the goddess of power, is red. And Faror, the goddess of courage, is green. And I feel like when you think of Ganon, I think of his red hair. So, okay, red. Red for red. Green is obviously, well, you think of Link. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, blue, well, whatever. <laughs> like, I mean, you, we could we could push it and say that's why Sheik's outfit is blue. I yeah. don't know. But either way. By the way, quick apologies if we mispronounced any of the names because... They don't say them here. So I've been pronouncing them like this way for 20 years, 25 years. So I just assume <laughs> that's the right way. I don't know if it's 
Deku or Deku or but yeah, just, I think I'm saying it differently than you, just because that's yeah. how I say it. Yeah, I mean, but it's a common thing I see with Zelda people. It's like, how do you pronounce this? Like, I don't know. This is the way I've been pronouncing it. <laughs> anyway, after the Deku tree finishes the story, it's it's a tiny thing, Javi, but I just love when we pull out of the cutscene and back to the forest, and then Link is sitting down with his legs out and his arms behind. Yeah, his just back. like a little kid, like in the library, being read a story kind of thing. Yeah, so like, oh, it's it's, it's lunchtime. Get on the carpet. Like, let me hear. It's so cute. That carpet was it. the best carpet ever. Honestly, <laughs> most I, comfortable I carpet to sit on. No, it had magic powder on it because you would fall asleep like fucking. Mm-hmm. No, early. yeah, that's what I'm saying. When I was little, I remember like the that story corner and then, with the little like tiny bookshelves when you're like in kindergarten or something. Yeah, so I thought of nap time when I saw little Link sitting here. I'm like, oh, <laughs> look at Link. And again, to reemphasize, before this, we knew very little about the great, Greater Zelda lore. Like we said, the goddess creation myth was briefly mentioned in the Link to the Past, but only in the manual. Who reads those, Javi? I don't know. <laughs> By the way, back <laughs> then we did. <laughs> yeah, back then we did read them because, and now they don't even have them anymore. But like back then, we actually did read them because it was important to know this stuff for the story. Most of the story in the first mainline games and the and the first three took place in the manuals. So seeing this in nineteen ninety eight was remarkable. Yeah, exactly. It was it was nice to see this uh, outside of it, right? I hope you could appreciate it twenty five years later, Javi. Yeah, I don't know like, if yeah, you can, coming but... to screen. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> but coming to screen is such a different feeling. I yeah, think that's why definitely. so many people want live action stuff, even though it doesn't end up working out sometimes. That's why we want it. We want to re- be able to relive it. We want to be able to see it and like kind of like relive these stories and stuff. You know, sometimes your imagination isn't enough. No, I agree. I mean, even in things like we saw it with The Last of Us, even even if you have a full-fledged 3D game, people still want to see it in live action just because mm-hmm. you want to see the inter- interpretation of it. So exactly. jumping from manual to to visual is like wow this is great you know that's that's even a bigger Mm -hmm. leap right there and then it did feel great and it feels great now in a 1999 interview in the japanese strategy guide for ocarina miyamoto was asked about the scenario of ocarina of time and about nintendo previously saying it would unlock the mysteries of the zelda story Mm. miyamoto responded quote maybe mysteries was a bit of an exaggeration but you do learn the story of where the triforce came from and it is meant to be episode one of the Zelda saga. Mm-hmm. I probably shouldn't say this, but there's still a number of things I am not satisfied with. How did Ganon really become the way he is? Is Link from Ocarina the father of Link from the original Zelda? Who is his mother then? Zelda? These were some of the mysteries that perplexed me during the making of Ocarina of Time. End quote. How curious to me, like, how, how curious is it to hear Miyamoto phrase it in this way as the creator of the series and the main yeah. director of Ocarina? I mean, like, if you don't know it, who knows it? You know, like, if you don't know it, who's supposed to know it? Uh, yeah, like, we're, bro, what are you talking about? Like, don't you know the <laughs> answers? Like, this is your series. I mean, to me, it just shows that in many ways they were just winging it, building the story as they went along, drawing on inspirations. But he clearly understands that the story is important to Zelda fans, so he wanted to provide some answers for burning questions. The funny thing is, though, that while Ocarina answered some questions, it ended up creating way more questions Mm -hmm. than any of the previous games ever did, or probably any of the games after, except for maybe Breath of the Wild, which has created a lot of questions as well. Um, If if Nintendo had any issues with the Rabbit fan base back then... The internet age? Oh my god. Yeah, I can't imagine now. Yeah. Miyamoto also said that the stories in The Legend of Zelda may not match up as the series progresses, 
but that they actually spend a lot of time trying to make them match up. Mm-hmm. He mentions, or I guess he not mentions, he jokes that it would be a lot easier if players didn't care about the particulars, you know? But we do Miyamoto. But we, we do, always, so. and and yeah. it, it's rabid, rabid. Yeah. Like, <laughs> not even, it's obsessive to this point, I guess you can say, how much people care. Hey, you say rabid, obsessive, I say psychotic, but I, I <laughs> accept is, I my own psychosis. Yeah, because yeah. I get crazy about some of this stuff too. I can't even deny it. Exactly. I'm, not, I'm not judging here. <laughs> yeah, and people want answers for everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he ever foresaw entire websites dedicated to timeline theory as if they were deciphering like the Rosetta Stone, you know, being an archaeologist, uncovering bones, you know, and trying to isn't come it, up, you know. Isn't it funny seeing people as their header or timeline byline on their like Twitter is like timeline mm-hmm. theorists. Professional, I've seen it. professional yeah. timeline theorists and people yeah. know what they're talking about. <laughs> they know they're talking yeah. about Zelda. They do. No, if they have that in their thing in in their Twitter profile, like I know they're not fucking around. This is <laughs> this is this is game time. Um, yeah. And when Miyamoto was asked if he would rather spend his energy making game elements than worrying about the story, duh. But he said, "quote Sometimes people ask whether Yoshi is a boy or a girl. If I answer probably a boy, then they say, so a boy is laying eggs." But the moment I say Yoshi lays eggs, so Yoshi must be a girl, they'll say, then Yoshi's voice needs to sound more like a girl's, end quote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds about right to me about how people would answer this stuff. The, the, the whole uh, lesson here is that you can't satisfy everyone. Of course, it's important to note that this interview is in a very lighthearted tone. I really want to emphasize that. Like Miyamoto's not really bashing anybody here. He's just kind of laughing about it himself. Yeah. But he is infamous for not caring about the story of a game. But I think it is clear that with Zelda, it's different. Him, Elnuma, and all the caretakers of the series have understood that while their number one objective is to make fun games, fans are too invested in the story for them to disregard it. Miyamoto continued his earlier sentiments, quote, It would be much easier if we could use any setting in The Legend of Zelda while preserving the essential relationship between Link, Ganon, and Zelda. But when a series builds up for as long as it has, it isn't easy, especially when it comes to a story of the Zelda games. We can't do anything disappointing. So with Ocarina of Time, we worked on the story with reference to the past games in the series, end quote. Yeah, and I feel by releasing the Hyrule uh, Historia book, yeah, it really showed how in tune they are with their what their fans want. <laughs> I know that the book is, I guess, controversial. I mean, yeah. the, because actual devs didn't work on the book. Yeah, but at the end of the day, even if it can be contradictory at times, they ultimately approved it and sanctioned it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. What do you think about this like timeline kind of like confusion and how obsessive and rabid fans are towards them about the lore? Yeah, I think the what you said about approved it and sanctioned it. And that's the main thing to me. I don't think they're in tune so much with what the fans want, but they understand that they want it. I've read the Hyrule Historia book. It's not the greatest thing there, but it's some some good information in there. And I know people, some people really hate it because they're like, no, it's contradictory to what happened in this game. But you know what? At the end of the day, this is what's canon, you know? Yeah. Whether you like it. it or not, they, they said that this is canon, so this is canon, you know? Mm-hmm. Unless you would just want to head canon it, you know? For yeah, the I mean, the the St- Star Wars suffers from the same thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, this is not the way I imagined it. It's like, well, that's too bad. Like, this is what yeah. we wrote, you know? We're the caretakers of the series. 
with that though, even the whole timeline thing, like you mentioned, that created so many problems. I know that's part of their solution to this is like, okay, we want to make, like Miyamoto said, like it'd be easier if we can just use any setting and that's it. It doesn't matter. Um, but they can't do that because people just care too much about the overall story. So they came up with this timeline solution, which honestly, the solution sucks. And I don't <laughs> hate it. I still like I'm invested into the whole story, too. So I really don't hate it. But really, like objectively, the timeline just doesn't make sense. Yeah. With the games, right? Yeah. It, it just does. It doesn't. It's like, yeah, you can make them line up. You can kind of. Oh, yeah, this is why this is that. But really, it's just kind of like, no, they're just telling different stories and vaguely. Yeah. Connecting it. They're kind of doing the. Well, they they did it before Assassin's Creed, obviously, but the whole Assassin's Creed modern story, where it's like it's just an afterthought. They don't, <laughs> yeah, play I the, guess, yeah. It I, really I've always been, up. you know, because like speaking on Nintendo, like I haven't really ever really looked into it because as much as I love Mario and stuff, I haven't looked into like a Mario lore of like every game kind of thing, you know. And then, but they I, ultimately, I just think it's a good problem to have. No, people for so sure. invested, and um. And I think it's it's just one of those things where okay, you have Final Fantasy, boom, Final Fantasy. It's it's one title, Final Fantasy, but they're disconnected universes, mm-hmm. and it's With cool because then you like relations, but nothing that can completely yeah. like not complete relations. Exactly, and it, uh, and to be very fair, I I'm not a huge Final Fantasy fan, so I can't speak on it intellectually to be like, but from my knowledge, they're disconnected for the most mm-hmm. part. And which yeah, that's get, cool because you can tell new stories and not have to worry about, well, how is this person related to Cloud? Is this Tifa? <laughs> like, you know, it doesn't matter. Right. And yeah, because I guess for me, it was more like I think there's a lot of similar characters with names and maybe positions that they have. There's a lot of SIDS throughout a lot of Final Fantasies, for example. Yeah. You know, but and that but, and that just seems like a developer thing anyway, because we, we saw that you saw that in Majora's Mask. So they just like reused a lot of the, that is true. That is true. You know. It's like, oh, this is that same person. It's like, oh no, this is a completely different person who has the same name and <laughs> or the same exact <laughs> and, design. And the same design, but this is not the same person. So yeah, I just think it's a good problem to have uh for people to care that much. And there's strengths and weaknesses to it because because they are connected, then you you have this deep nostalgia for different things in the series. And I think, for example, Breath of the Wild is the has the greatest trailer of all time and i think part of that the part of why people had such a visceral reaction to that trailer is because there's so much i guess people would call it fan service in it but uh, but i don't see it that way i just see there's just so many thorough lines to these things that you care about and in that trailer that you see you see the master sword people like i saw reactions of people get emotional about it and it's because that you know what the Master Sword is, not only from Ocarina, not only from Link to the Past, not only from this game, that game. It's, it's been in all these different games. So when you see it, it makes you emotional. You see Gorons in the trailer. You see this in the trailer. Because the series is connected so much, you have such a deep connection to it. Whereas Final Fantasy 16 looks cool, but I don't. I have no like emotional connection to it. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to play it, see how good it is. But you know, I don't mm. care. I, I don't care leading into it as much as I would as oh, here's Tears of the Kingdom. Oh, look at Ganon. Look at the new design. You know, like oh, I can't, I can't wait to play the game. It's just different. It's a different feel to it. All right, so back to the story. So the Deku Tree gives Young Link the spiritual stone of the forest, 
and tells us we can never allow the desert men to touch the Triforce. Ganondorf cursed the Deku tree trying to get the spiritual stone and now the curse has consumed him into death's door. He gives us instructions to go to Hyrule Castle and meet the Princess of Destiny so we can continue our journey. His massive trunk slowly turns pale and the music fades from a somber note into piercing silence. A stillness in the forest. Link rushes off and Navi takes one last look before she flutters after Link. Link rushes out to leave the only home he's ever known. The Kokiri are never supposed to leave the forest. More myths and legends that kept the fairy children locked in their prison paradise. But as we step merely... But as we step within merely feet of the threshold of adventure, we are stopped by a familiar voice. Mm. Saria is standing at the wood bridge, calling after Link. She says, I knew. I knew that you would leave the forest someday. Link, because you are different from me and my friends. But that's okay. Because we'll be friends forever, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> Damn, man. Okay, to me, this line is the emotional core of the game. I love this line so much. It's so good. This touched me in 1998. So strange looking back on it now, though, because I realized how little we actually talked to Saria. It's only in the intro, maybe one or two different dialogues as you explore the area. Like, if you go back to her and talk to her, she'll say a couple different things, but that's it, you know? But for some reason... The game had a way of making me feel like she was my friend for years. And to be fair, like, I still feel that way now, playing it now. But it's just kind of stark when you look. It's like, oh, you actually only talked to her, like, three times, and that's it. Mm -hmm. Even in its simplicity, though, I think the major themes of Ocarina really shine through here. This is a dark game about deep loss. Loss of life for the different tribes of Hyrule. Loss of time for Link. And more sadly, a loss of childhood and innocence. And even with the limited graphical abilities, you can see Saria's earnestness in this moment. She gives us her fairy ocarina and tells us to remember her whenever we play it. Yeah, I I really love the fact that she gives it to us, but doesn't teach us any songs at the moment because it isn't like I don't want it to be like a tutorial like oh here's not a song, you know? Yeah, it's, it's not about is, that. It's not yeah, about exactly. That it's not yeah. it's, that's not what this is about. This yeah. is just a sweet gesture from a true friend. Mm -hmm. The magic of it, uh, the magic of the Ocarina will come later. For now, yeah. it's about the honesty and reality of this moment we have. We're mm -hmm. finally leaving. As much as we, like, we, we've talked about, he doesn't belong. He's been there his whole life. So that's all it's he only, knows. Yeah, it's the only home he's known. And you, you see that he feels somber about it. You exactly. Know? So Link looks at his Ocarina and then looks at Saria and then takes a soft, like, hesitant steps back, you know, walking backwards, looking her, mm -hmm. locking eyes with Arya, and just turns and runs into the darkness. No music. Maybe to never be seen again. Yeah, no music. The camera changes angles to be behind Saria, and it just lingers there for seconds as she stares into the darkness. And I'm, it's just, I'm just so impressed with what they did there. It's fucking 12 polygons and washed out colors. And for some reason, they're able to evoke real emotions just by adding that cinematic flair right there. That little cinematic flair. That's like a mm -hmm. technique of a filmmaker would use, yeah, you know? Exactly. Yeah, speaking of, you know, cinematic flair. And then. And then, and then, and then. And then 
we get one of the most iconic moments, not only in the game, but one of the most iconic moments in gaming history. We see Hyrule Field for the first time in all its majesty. I hate to pull the you had to be there bit, but you had to fucking be there, Javi. You had to be there. 25 years later, when the entirety of Hyrule Field is the size of a single village in a game like Horizon Forbidden West or <laughs> Final Fantasy 16 or 15 or Far Cry 6, it loses a lot of its luster and impact. I'm be honest, it does. But in 1998, mm -hmm. this cutscene where it starts with a long distance view of Hyrule Castle and it slowly pans to the right as the camera maneuvers through green rolling hills, Death Mountain towering like a digital Mount Everest, it felt like freedom. It felt like adventure. And it's important to remember that during the Nintendo 64 era, I mentioned this before, the graphics still felt at least on par with other consoles. Exactly. Nowadays, we, yeah, like nowadays we all know they just have low graphics. That's what people yeah. think about Nintendo and great Unfortunately, games. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Great <laughs> games, but shitty. They, they say shitty graphics. It's not shitty. It's just they're not, you know, they're not trying to be hyper-realistic. Yes, but I mean, I, I'll be honest and fair here too. Or like looking at Tears to the Kingdom, yeah, I wish it, I wish it we got the PC. same gameplay, but I, yeah, I wish it looked better. I mean, yeah. that's just to be honest. Yeah. Like, it, I'll still play and, it and love it, but it could be better. Yeah, I just wanted to add, like, I think this is, I, even though I didn't experience this, you know, this majesty as you call it, <laughs> I'm mm. kidding. I know it's, I know it's amazing. <laughs> I know it's amazing. What but, are you trying to say uh, here? <laughs> I think for me, the way I, the best way I could probably like think of it is when you get out of the cave in Breath of the Wild. Mm. That like when you're walking up to the the end of the like cliff, mm -hmm. and then like it's just all Hyrule, and then the music plays. Oh my god, that was such a good. I love that scene. It's it's powerful, but yeah, it definitely as somebody who's experienced both, like in the time, is just it's not even. Close, right exactly that's you know. what and that's that's the closest i can imagine to it yeah 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 but yeah now here we are here we're we're in hyrule Woo. we're making our merry little way to the castle but unfortunately we are stopped by the most annoying character in the game kabora kabora mm. the annoying owl he who shall not be named part two <laughs> another one <laughs> yeah the sequel <laughs> He stops to give us more instructions on where to go and what to do. Pretty redundant, as we were just told in the dying breaths of the great Deku tree where to go. Literally, you know, like, last words. Like, who? <laughs> how dare you come and try to replace my dad? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't not, know you, bro. <laughs> yeah, you're not the father who stepped up. I'm just going to let you know that right now. <laughs> but <laughs> I yeah, understand. People have to know, like, it's funny because I know the one shirt, you what meme you're talking about, but like, I don't know yeah. if people know. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, the whole father, like, the stepfather thing is like, a lot of it's, them are the fathers that stepped up, which is nice. I'm just. <laughs> yeah. So just to give context of what he's talking about, I just, I love this meme too. It's, a, it's I guess the actual picture of, it's his dad with two boys. And he, he has a shirt that says, not a stepfather, but the father who stepped up. <laughs> yeah. And it's just kind of so like, okay, bro, like good for you, yeah. I guess. Like, I, you know, I throw my own little twist in it. Cause yeah, that's what he felt like. He felt like he was coming into it replace the great deku tree which i think that's what they were going for irreplaceable unfortunately exactly the, yeah but like like i said i understand why he's here but there's just not one situation in the game where i'm like oh thanks for coming in and giving me you know i had to speed through your dialogue and 150 taps per second yeah just get I, the fuck I, yeah exactly i'm but the thing that sucks is now i have to read read his paragraph like eight times yeah, I mean, that happens so much because they do that 
freaking thing where, and they don't do this all the time, but they do that thing where they ask you the question, do you understand? And usually, yes, it's the first answer, but in this particular one, and maybe like a, two other ones in the game, they put no first. So if and you're you trying, can't trying press to press B. Yeah, you can't press B to just get through it. So it's like, all right. Whatever. Yeah, instead of like, usually what I'll do in games that have something like this is I'll I'll press B because that will give me the right option I need. Usually, yeah. you know, yes. I don't know. It's it's weird. Yeah, I mean, it's like one of those little things, but it's annoying. Couldn't stand them then, I can't stand them now. But whatever. Before we move on, though, I think this is a good time to jump back into the hero's journey. Our good friends here, the the fun exercise we talked about, Javi. <laughs> so so much fun. All right, let me get my pen and paper. I'll sit down at my desk quietly. I love this, by the way. This is like we're being I'm sarcastic. Joking, yeah. I know, but like we're being sarcastic. But actually, I really do enjoy this stuff. In Vogler's memo, the second step in the hero's journey is called. It's, it's the call to the adventure. The third is the refusal of the call. The fourth is meeting with the mentor. And the fifth is crossing the threshold. Yeah, step two is obvious. Fits very nicely. Mogler yeah. describes the call to adventure as this. The hero is presented with a problem, challenge, or adventure. Maybe the land is dying, as in the King Arthur stories about the search for the grail. In Star Wars, it's Princess Leia's holographic message to Obi-Wan Kenobi who then asked Luke to join the quest. In detective stories, it's the hero being offered a new case. In romantic comedies, it's the first sight of that special but annoying someone the hero or heroine will be pursuing slash sparring with, end mm-hmm. quote. Here in Ocarina, it's cut and dry, just like the de- great decorative. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not going to throw that in. <laughs> no, I'm absolutely leave it in there, Javi. Yes, okay. Continue right. your point. Continue your point. <laughs> yes, anyways, but the great Deku tree does call Link to adventure, and quite literally. Yeah, literally. <laughs> it's cut and dry. <laughs> Damn, that's I fucked think up. I'm, so, I'm our sorry. Dad? I'm so, our dad, I know. This is how you talk about our, our daddy tree? <laughs> it just came. I'm sorry. Sometimes yeah. I, I, I let my mind speak. That's good. <laughs> I think step tr- three is probably the only one that doesn't exist. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> doesn't exactly fit. All right, back, back to serious, back to serious. All right. Vogler describes the refusal of the call as, quote, often at this point, the hero balks at the threshold of adventure. After all, he or she is facing the greatest of all fears, fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. At this point, Luke refuses Obi-Wan's call to adventure and returns to his aunt and uncle's farmhouse, only to find that they have been barbecued by the Emperor stormtroopers. Oof. Suddenly, Luke is no longer reluctant and is eager to undertake that adventure. I feel that that never really, like there's never a, a, that scene here. No, it's, it's definitely not. It's, it's just, I don't think it can happen in a, a game really. Yeah, I think it's um, very hard because yeah. we're always pushing forward. Probably the closest thing would be Link's slight hesitation when leaving Saria at the bridge. But even then, there's just not enough hesitation or expression there to be called a refusal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think in video games in general, it's just a hard time for a refusal scene since by its nature, we're always motivated to continue with the journey. That's why we're playing the fucking game in the first yeah. place. Especially so in such an early part of the game, because yeah, in later parts of the games, you might, you know, you might say like taking side quests as a, yeah. you know, refusal, right? Yeah. But especially this early into the game, it's very hard to not just move forward because there's nothing yeah. to do until we answer the call. 
Exactly. And also, too, I, I feel like I think you can do it in a game now because I think we have the cinematic language to do it. I think you're kind of inferring that, too, which is like in a game as old as this, like, OK, nowadays, if you had to have a refusal scene, the person can be like, no, I don't want to do that. And then you would just have them do like uh, uh, some side activities for an hour mm -hmm. or something. And then finally, they're like they're being haunted by like visions of like, oh, my family's going to die unless I go, you know, or something like that. And then mm -hmm. you can actually have it in a game now, but back then you just you couldn't do it. <laughs> like you just couldn't do it. Maybe if you really wanted to fit the refusal angle, maybe you can say that okay, after the Deku Tree tells you to go, you don't go right away. You just spend time exploring like the forest more. But you already explored the forest probably, so you just head yeah. on. You know, you're like, all right, I'm gonna go. So that's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, for the fourth step in the hero's journey is the meeting with the mentor. Fits mm -hmm. perfectly well. Yes. Bogler says, by this time, many stories will have introduced a Merlin-like character who is the hero's mentor. In Jaws, it's the crusty Robert Shaw character who knows all about sharks. The mentor gives advice and sometimes magical weapons. This is Obi-Wan giving Luke his father's lightsaber, end quote. Mm. As we know, Link has many mentors. <laughs> Yes, like <laughs> I, practically everybody in the world wants to tell him what to do. Like, okay, yeah, yeah. Thank you, especially because he's a mute, right? <laughs> yeah, you mute child. Go do this. Okay, dude. His first words are gonna be, "Can everyone stop telling me what to do? <laughs> <laughs> Can you shut the fuck up, please, God?" Yeah. But yeah, he gets a magic item from Saria, and Kapora Gaboro is that classic talking animal on the side of the road archetype, who ends up being our mentor. Mm. It is an off used device in mythology and folktales so it's something that feels familiar when you see it definitely i mean for me it reminds me of arthurian mythology like we've been talking about mm -hmm. where in some well obviously it's a huge influence on this you know right. sword and sorcery medieval times where in some versions the wizard merlin first appears to a young king arthur as a bird before revealing himself as merlin he takes young arthur under his wing <laughs> <laughs> that's funny to me like, you, you, you yeah. get it under the wing <laughs> yeah i got you yeah yeah, yeah mike okay all right whatever uh, i didn't want to interrupt you though but yeah. yes i got it okay mike. <laughs> well you know we don't so anyway we don't actually find out <laughs> shut up <laughs> we don't actually find this out definitively in the game but it was later confirmed hyrule historia that the owl is actually raru the sage of light who we'll meet and talk about later He's the one who helps protect young Link until he can become an adult and wield the Master Sword. He's very much a Merlin-type character, a mentor, who is our first guide as adult Link. The fifth step, crossing the threshold, well, it couldn't be any more evident. Crossing into Hyrule Field is one of the most quintessential crossing the threshold moments you could find in any piece of media. I talked about the importance of this scene earlier as players, but for Link... This is also his first moment into a new unknown world. Vogler describes crossing the threshold as, quote, the hero fully enters the special world of the story for the first time. This is the moment at which the story takes off and the adventure gets going. The balloon goes up. The romance begins. The spaceship blasts off. The wagon train gets rolling. Dorothy sets out for the yellow brick road. The hero is now committed to his or her journey and there's no turning back, end quote. And indeed, there is no turning back for Link. He's an orphan boy who just lost the only father he's ever known. There is nothing left for him in Kokiri. 
Yeah. Nothing left. So now he heads up to the castle and makes his way into the Hyrule Castle town. It's a bustling urban marketplace, chock full of people to talk to and things to do. There's well, a shooting you should, range. You should know that. You should know that because you're from the streets of Hyrule. Castle yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm just explaining, Mike. <laughs> yeah, this is your hood. Yeah. There's a shooting range where I'm the king at, you know? <laughs> a mass shop, a regular shop, a shop. I guess not even a shop. It's a room full of pots for some reason. Because you want to break them. Protected. Fuck yeah. Well, we want to break them. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, baby. Uh, the, the guard there is just like, please, no one break them. <laughs> break all the, these motherfuckers. <laughs> like, what are these pots doing here, bro? Like, are yeah, you like, like, yeah. <laughs> there's no game here. There's no like shop to they're buy meant pots. To pop. Yeah. They're meant what, to be broken. Uh, there's what is it the bomb mini two game and just a ton of tons there's a, just tons of NPCs to interact with. Yeah. This place feels the most, I guess, not necessarily alive because Kokiri Forest also just feels alive, but it feels the most like vibrant. I guess. Yeah. Word. Yeah, they feel alive in different ways. This this feels alive as humanity. Like a fair. So, yeah, something like, like if you're exactly. like a, like, a, like a county fair or something. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way of describing it. So. We meet a young girl named Malin in the courtyard who tells us her father went to the castle to deliver milk but hasn't come back. Link makes his way to Hyrule Castle but is stopped dead in his tracks by incompetent guards. We quickly find that we can dodge their wandering gaze easily and make our way through the outer grounds. These guards are probably the worst ever. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I, not probably. Like, like, I don't know. I think mandatory eye tests for all future Hyrule guards might be something to consider the king because this shit is ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they were bought off by Ganondorf already. This, uh, he maybe is king that, of thieves. Yeah, maybe he had enough. Yeah, he so he thiefed their wandering gaze, <laughs> their, their loyalty. Yeah. All the fuckers. Uh, well, after we make our way through this, you know, treacherous labyrinth of easily dodgeable guards, <laughs> we find a man asleep at the side of the castle next to a movable box with a cow symbol on them. I have no mm. idea what's in there. Mm. Try as we nope. may, <laughs> try as we may, <laughs> we cannot wake this man. So we can, he just doesn't get out of our way. And we have no other way to go besides this hole in the wall, which we can mm. because of the guy. Yeah. So we have to go back and we talk to Ma Malin, the girl from earlier, and she's yeah. singing a beautiful song. When to we come later, to her, we'll learn about yeah. this song. Thank yeah. God. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk to her and ask her like about her father. Mm -hmm. And she gives us an egg she's been incubating. Mm. Now if if you haven't played this like if you didn't know it's kind of like oh what do you what do you do with this i mean you know it has to hash but you don't know how long luckily mm -hmm. the game end time doesn't last too long but it'll take one in-game day to hatch yeah. and then a rooster hatches and if you've ever lived with roosters or been around roosters in the morning they croak sun sunrise so, sun, boom, yeah rooster. exactly Done. so yeah so now you have the rooster now, okay, now with Rooster in hand, it all becomes clear then. Well, what are we going to do? We head back inside past the worthless guards and use the Rooster to wake Malin's sleeping dad, Talon. He is startled awake and rushes off back to his worried daughter. We make our way into the castle. We go all solid snake and sneak past even more worthless guards and find an indoor garden where the Princess of Destiny awaits. This, my friends, is Princess Zelda, the same young girl we saw in our nightmare at the beginning of the game. She's surprised and scared to see us at first. She actually has the nerve to ask us, how did you get past these guards? Like, 
princess i don't know what your like insurance <laughs> is for these cars i don't know what you guys have worked out but you guys yeah. need to get them some vision like some or like or what is it yeah some vision yeah. care some some kind of uh what is it their eye doctor you need to give these guys eye doctor insurance <laughs> eye doctors for everybody because these guys are worthless yeah maybe some dental too like yeah, i don't dental know like... nice. yeah. <laughs> just add in because you know they're not doing their jobs right now maybe they're not getting paid enough or maybe they are and they're just yeah. lazy guards but you know, I'm for the worker, you know? Yeah, me too. And <laughs> eat, like, eat the rich. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, she sees our fairy floating around us and puts two and two together. We must be from the forest. Zelda tells us she's been dreaming too. A dream where dark storm clouds were billowing over Hyrule. But a sudden ray of light shot out of the forest, parted the clouds and lit up the ground. The light turned into a figure holding a green and shining stone, followed by a fairy. Sound a little bit familiar? This I don't know. It like feels me. like we did something like that. Yeah, sounds, I think I, uh, so I experienced that pretty recently. <laughs> we lived through it, yeah. Yeah. We, we, yeah, so we informed Zelda that we have the spiritual stone of the forest. Excited, she thinks it's a perfect time to queue up some more exposition. And she's Woo-hoo! right. It is. Yeah. We are ready to hear it. Yeah, and this it, is as always. I'm always ready for this. Yeah. So like, you exactly. don't have to even have to prompt me. Just, yeah. just tell me more stuff. And this is an RPG after all, where lengthy expositions only come at the most inopportune time. Yeah, because like we just snuck past your guards and we're yeah. here illegally, <laughs> illegally. And she is and the princess. Just, she could just turn us in. Yeah, but, we're know, like this is supposed to be the most fortified place in all of Hyrule, and we yeah, just got like in how here. did how did Ganon have such trouble getting her? <laughs> you know what we should do right now? Let me tell you a twenty-five minute story. <laughs> like, like, uh, great, ready, yeah. go for mm-hmm. it. What does she tell us, Javi? She tells us that the Triforce is being held in the Sacred Realm. Which I mean, if you we know that we we explained that earlier, but this is mm-hmm. now in game, first time mm-hmm. we know where mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And that the person who is able to get the full Triforce will have their wish granted. Mm-hmm. If the person has a righteous heart, it will lead to a golden age of prosperity for Hyrule. But if mm-hmm. the person is evil, then the world will be consumed by evil. Goddamn right. And you know what? This was in the Link to the Past. I love this. So this this is actually like at the end, I believe, uh, after we fight Ganon and Link to the Past. They tell us this, this exact thing. So this isn't new, but it was cool seeing Zelda say it. But And then that's why the sages built the Temple of Time to protect the entrance into the sacred realm and prevent someone evil from getting the Triforce. The only yeah. way to open the Temple of Time is to collect the three spiritual stones and use a royal family treasure, which is, well, title card, Ocarina of Time. That's, that's mm-hmm. where it is. The princess also tells us she's been spying from the courtyard, spying a man she believes represents the dark clouds in her dreams. We peer through the window and see the same dark clad man we saw in our nightmare kneeling down in front of the king. Zelda tells us that he's from the Gerudo Desert and he swears his allegiance to her father, but she doesn't trust his sincerity. She's convinced he is a malevolent force of evil. Ganondorf glances to the right with a sinister stare. Zelda and Link are startled, but Zelda tells Link not to worry. Ganondorf has no idea what they're planning. How the fuck would you know that, Zelda? <laughs> okay, we'll trust her word. She does have powers, so maybe. Yeah, she does. Mind she reading? is magical, even though we don't really see it yet. But mm-hmm. we do know she has some powers, right? Yeah, yeah. no. we. I mean, we see it for sure later. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, mind reading, maybe? Yeah. yeah. I hope she can't read into Link's mind, because that, that yeah. might not be good. Uh, but anyway, 
she informed her father about her dream, but guess what, Javi? He doesn't believe it's a prophecy. Yeah, I'm sh- not surprised. It just under round. It just rounds out the utter incompetence of the entire <laughs> Hyrule monarchy, right? Terrible. Like, besides Zelda, hopefully. <laughs> besides <laughs> Zelda, uh, nevertheless. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, come on. Uh, well, come to, on. to be discussed further later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless, young Princess Zelda is convinced of Ganondorf's intention. He's after the Triforce itself and would do anything to get it so he can conquer Hyrule and the entire world. Mm. And this is back to the game design aspect of it. Brilliant choice, in my opinion. Brilliant choice to play Zelda's lullaby as a background music here. Even though we're seeing Ganondorf in person for the first time and we are starting to understand the darkness that awaits us, the sweetness of Zelda's lullaby really highlights the innocence of both Link and Zelda. I mean, they're just kids. Even their reaction when he looks over at them, when he does that quick glance, they, they react like, oh, my God, did he, did yeah. he see you? <laughs> yeah, like, how yeah, many times does that happen in a movie where they, like, peek their heads at, the, like, the side, like, the, the, the door, you know, like, the yeah. door ends, And they peek their heads, and then they quickly, like, hide. Yeah, they just get startled. They're like, oh, my God. And that they're just kids, and they're in over their heads, but they're determined. They're determined yeah. in their cause. Zelda gives us a letter with her signature on it, a sort of Hyrulean passport to get access to various places in the kingdom, other, mm. you know, other tribes, basically. Yeah. She sends us to Impa, who is Zelda's protector and one of the Sheikah tribe who have protected the royal family for countless generations. Yeah, Impa teaches us our first song, Zelda's Lullaby, a tune that's been passed down by the royal family for generations. She tells us here there is power in the notes, but for what exactly, we don't know yet. We'll talk more about the ocarina and the songs and the role they play a little bit later, but anyway, our adventure then takes us to Kakariko Village. Kakariko Village is a lively, picturesque community that is one of the most important locations in the game. 100%. (laughs) It's not as wild and high-spirited as Hyrule Castletown, but what it lacks in population it makes up for a density of interesting characters. Yeah, there's there's the House of Skultulas, a greedy family who has been cursed and forsaken as horribly deformed spiders as punishment for their sins. Unless we can find their golden tokens scattered around Hyrule to free them, they are damned to this wretched existence. There's Dampe, the gravekeeper, who comes out at night to tend his dead flock in the comfort of tombstones. He's the vigilant eye who guards the bloodstained past of the royal family. There's the eccentric musician who never stops playing music inside the windmill. 24-7 artistry from this man. What a feat that is. And I'd also call him a maniacal time traveler, crazed and broken from the lunacy of his storm conspiracy theories. There's the authoritative carpenter and his lazy workers twiddling around the village with no care in the world. <laughs> literally the knows, just, like they're just, they're just running around like their yeah. arms flying around yeah <laughs> the village is so chock full of vibrant characters and enticing secrets that its charm almost bleeds off the screen and a nice tidbit here is that the theme of the village is a different interpretation of the Kakariko village theme in Link to the Past so for veteran Zelda players it can provide an instant sense of comfort but while the theme song is the same this is not your older brother, 16-bit Kakariko. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> this is designed from the ground up to take advantage of the 3D space. In an interview with Satoru Iwata, Miyamoto said the design of the village was originally a lot more flat. But when they felt how fun it was to fly the chickens in a 3D space, Miyamoto felt that they had to make it much more hilly. They even created some spaces you can only get to with a chicken in hand. Miyamoto said, quote, 
we had used the idea of grabbing onto a chicken and flying with the game on the Super Famicom system. I thought it would be weird if the graphics were more realistic, but when we made it, I was happy to see that it fit perfect. I realized that those kind of things are more fun in 3D space. End quote. <laughs> you think me? I'm <laughs> like, it seems obvious, right? You're like, yeah, of course. Yeah, like, but it, they're, they're still trying things. So yeah. 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 And to an even bigger point, this village is not only emblematic of how they wanted to design the 3D space, but it's also emblematic in how they designed the entire story. Mm-hmm. When talking about the story of Ocarina, Aonuma stated, quote, a lot of people say that they like the epic story, but on the level of the script, the story isn't actually that epic. I think the reason the players sense an epic story and drama is that everything you experience with the game is added to the story, end quote. Iwata added, your memories of solving a puzzle and thinking, I'm so smart, pile <laughs> up as such experiences, end quote. That's that's you 100% right yeah, there. Yeah, I'm so smart. I'm the smartest. You just smart. walk around and say that all the time. You're just like, oh, I'm so, <laughs> so fucking smart, Javi. I'm, yeah, uh, fucking my mm-hmm. ego's insane. Yeah, that's why I have literal no confidence. <laughs> uh, their focus leans heavily on characters and game experience, and Kakariko is filled to the brim with characters and experiences. A hundred percent, and yeah, Miyamoto definitely reflected those same sentiments. "Quote: I noticed that I didn't want to tell a story so much as I wanted to have a lot of people appear around the main character and portray their relationships." I'm more interested in their presence than who is whose cousin, whose parent were sworn enemies way back when. What's important is what role that person plays and how they contribute to portraying the main character. End quote. 25 years ago, I completely missed that dynamic. I was definitely one of those people Al Numa is talking about. I always, always considered Ocarina an epic story. But he's right. On the base level, it's not much more than a run-of-the-mill sword and sorcery fable, a classic tale of good and evil, but it's the experience of playing the game and all the memorable characters they created that makes you remember your epic quest in Hyrule. It feels personal. It feels like something you did rather than something you played. Yeah, and after we explore the village to our heart's content, we make our way to the entrance of Death Mountain where a Hyrule guard actually, well, guards... (laughs) What he did his job. What a surprise. Oh yeah. my god. First he's actually one. he's actually under the 401k, I imagine. Yeah. That's why he's actually <laughs> doing his job. And he, he doesn't let us pass. We have to show him the letter from Zelda and he mocks us. Bastard. Laughs at uh-huh. us and begrudgingly lets us in. It's <clears throat> it's very not you don't feel like the hero, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, excuse me, I'm Link. <laughs> Hello. Like, have you not heard? <laughs> yeah. And even after this like official letter, he's still not convinced on the death mountain trail for the first time we meet the gorons they're Mm -hmm. a large mountain dwelling race oozing with quick charm and this is their first ever appearance in the zelda franchise and they quickly make their mark yeah yoshiki haruhana the character designer for ocarina said quote since characters are essentially people there's a tendency to think that their faces are important but i pay more attention to their figures sometimes i shape the figure first and then think about the face I think that's what grabs people more than this or that facial characteristic is a memorable overall shape, end quote. Yeah. The Gorons feel like they were created with that exact design philosophy. They're un- instantly unique and recognizable. By far. It's like you, you <laughs> can see their shadow and you're like, oh, that's a Goron. For yeah, sure. It's a Goron. Exactly. Yeah. yeah they're, they're one of the more unique because they're not your typical like bipedal humanoid. And Zelda does that great because all their 
character designs are like, oh, okay, that's a Zora, you know, or that's a mm-hmm. that is know, true, yeah. You know. But yeah, the like the shape is so simple, and like I said, that makes it easily res- uh, recognizable. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so yeah, and and in any Zelda game, they're as long as they keep the same design, right? You know, yeah. if they ever change their design, I'm gonna you know strike. You know, I'm not playing this shit. <laughs> yeah, no, but to be fair, obviously we're joking, but it's like they changed the, the Zora design, but even then you were still like, okay, I know that's the Zora, you know. Yeah, and, and I was like, I was a, I appreciated that change too. Yeah, me too. It, it, it for everything that they've been like evolutions. In, exactly. in the designs as opposed to like oh we're changing yeah definitely they feel like all like natural evolutions but yeah. anyway these <laughs> these <laughs> these guys are big and they're friendly and they just feel so approachable right mm-hmm. as you walk around death mountain many of them are rolled into balls but they get up when you want to talk to them mm-hmm. almost if they're telling you that you are worth their time and they're comfortable with you i, I love that about them they're just so friendly and um even the sporadic shapes on their bodies are reminiscent of tribal tattoos to me. It just makes me think of that Pacific Islander culture, that kind of strong tribal and familial bonds. It's simple, but just inspired design for the characters. It's just instantly you know what you're... You don't have to like say it, but you just feel that already. You're like, okay, very brotherly bond between these these race mm-hmm. of, of Gorons is cool. Right. From talking to the Gorons, we find out that the cavern that holds their main source of food has been infested with the deadly Dodongo creatures. And Ganondorf, ooh. Ganondorf's world tour. <laughs> exactly. He's recently visited and yes. used his magic to seal the cavern from the Gorons. With the entrance sealed off, they're experiencing a food shortage that is causing mass hunger in the Goron City. Mass hunger, huh? Well, yeah, what was yeah. their food again? Like what? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's it's something that is very rare. I think it's rocks and dirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, you're surrounded by rocks. It's yeah. Some, I don't I don't know what kind of rocks they have in that cavern. <laughs> they, they 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 like the bougie rocks. That's what I think. That's basically what is described to us is they're special rocks that that's the only ones they eat now. Yeah. And they even say like, oh, that's all we eat now. They used to eat everything else. Yeah, and then they tasted these delicious ass bourgeois like freaking rocks and they can't eat anything else apparently. Only in that cavern. And Organic rocks. All right, so their leader, Darunia, who they affectionately call Big Brother, has sealed himself in his room until a royal messenger arrives. What a wonderful leader he is, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I-, I love Darunia though. We use the ocarina and play Zelda's lullaby to open his sealed door. When we find Darunia, he is in a terrible mood and is unwilling to speak to a child. He is deeply insulted that the royal family would send someone so young to help in the Goron's time of need. Link finds out from the Gorons in the city that Darunia loves music, in particular, the music from the forest. Clue? There's a clue for you people. This is one of those where people are like, oh, this is confusing. I don't know what to do. I'm like, yeah, I can definitely imagine. Just talk to the NPC right next to Darunia's door, honestly. <laughs> I'm just yeah, telling this you. Is, this is definitely <laughs> when games where you have to talk to everyone to learn about uh, things in the world. Uh, yes. I had this a lot, especially in Majora's Mask, which I also played recently. Mm-hmm. I saw that a lot. And and I I like that about that and but it's like one of those ones where I I did see people complain about this one in particular. It's like I didn't know you're supposed. To, where do I get this song? Like or we need music. I didn't know that. And it's like literally like the dude next to the freaking door. Like that one. And to be honest, looking at it now, there's only like six or seven NPCs in this city. It's not even like you're talking to a hundred of them. 
It might have felt a lot back then, but really, it's it's not that many. But anyway, there is a clue for you people. He likes forest music. Well, who can we talk to? But our old friend Saria, she's she's in the forest. She's, she gave us a fairy ocarina. So we follow the sound of her ocarina deep into the lost woods until we find her alone in the meadow. She has been waiting for us and wants us to learn her song so we can talk to fairy spirits. Apparently, I don't really know what that meant. I think they, <laughs> like because we never actually talked to fairy spirits. I just think that this sounded cool. Yeah, we just talked to her, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, which is cool. We learned Saria's song and now we can talk to her whenever we want. The developers thought it would be a good way to not leave all the tips to Navi as they felt how intrusive she could be to the experience. So obviously they were aware of that, too. Yeah, um, they, they knew about God of War <laughs> to yeah. Ragnarok. Yeah. And, and the mirror and and boy every yeah. second telling you did you know you hey. can do this <laughs> they hey, saw into hey. the future <laughs> and, and yet the funny thing is they knew but they left it in but i guess they that's how important they thought it was mm -hmm. or that people really needed this help yeah being able to talk to saria whenever we wanted became a second source for information in case we were lost on what to do next so they gave us that option, which is nice. Exactly. We return and Link play Saria's song for Darunia. He is enchanted by the forest music. And where before he was insulted by our presence, now he sees us as a friend. We ask for the spiritual stone of fire, but he refuses. He makes a proposition. If we clear the cavern of the Dongos, he'll give us a stone. Mm. He also gives us the Goron priestess, so now we can pick up the bomb plants around and use them at will. So they had the bracelets and could have gotten into the cavern themselves <laughs> to Do try to need, end the I'm hunger. pretty sure they don't need the bracelets, right? Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they're they already strong enough to lift the bombs. I would assume so, but then what the fuck are the bracelets for then? It's, I guess, it's for outsiders, Mike. Yeah, or I guess maybe <laughs> for them it's just decoration, you know, but yeah, for other but... people, like, oh, yeah, no, this makes you stronger. <laughs> like, good, okay. I mean, all right, it's life or death, but we don't need to get in there. Yeah. All right, so the, in, the inside of the second dungeon is much different from the first. While the first is built in a very linear way, where it's fairly easy to understand the next step in the dungeon, the Dongo's Cavern is a tiny bit more open-ended, with different paths open to you right right from the beginning. Um, but what did you think, Javi? Did you have an easy time with this second dungeon? Was it a little harder? Did you like it? It was definitely a step up. Yeah, uh, I, I did find myself, I think we were. I was backtracking a little bit, you know, you know, but it's it's very simple. Like now, you know, me now knowing how Zelda dungeons work in general, mm -hmm. you know, because most of the dungeon involves, you know, like blowing, blowing doors or openings open and then mm -hmm. using your like uh, Deku stick to light torches. Yeah, there yeah. isn't too crazy of a of a time here. I think one of the most interesting ones, though, and we'll see this in many Zelda games in general where there's something out of place. And that if you fix it, it unlocks something. Yeah. Uh, specifically speaking towards the the pillar with the bombs around it. That there's one bomb that isn't in it. Like there's a place where there's this, it feels like there's a bomb missing. And there's yeah. bombs on the other side of the room. Yeah. And then you just got to place that one bomb, you know. And I remember my first time playing that. I distinctly remember like just picking up one of the bombs and dropping it there. And then like one side explodes but then the other one doesn't because you need to place one right in the middle in between both yeah i remember trying know. to swing at them and every like and then i was like oh wait what if i just put this here no yeah I, I think this one is a little more difficult definitely but you know still fairly easy 
but I do appreciate that. I was like, okay, they give you a couple different paths from right away. So then it's like, oh okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's like yeah. two doors you can go through, and then uh, two breakable Abomable, walls. Yeah, or and then one, one of the, yeah. No, there. I, I believe there's two, but one of them is just ends up just being like a um, a chest. stone of truth, or yeah, oh, something like yeah, that. Oh yeah, 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 exactly. I, I, for, I yeah, I forgot what it was, but it's it's there and it's nothing basically, you know. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely more difficult. Uh, did you happen to get your shield burnt? Because I remember I did. I the, remember I switched or. I don't know. I think I had the highly. Yeah, you already had the Hylian shield. I just switched to it because I think someone told me. So even though I wasn't able to use it to block in the same way, like with sword and shield, I yeah. put it on. And, you know, just because of my knowledge of the game already, I already had like, oh, wait, fire bad, you know, like wood fire bad, you know, <laughs> and see, like, uh, that's one of those things, again, for me, as remembering my playthrough from 98, which is like. Oh wow! Like what the fuck? I I didn't imagine that I could lose my shield. Cause yeah, the, now you have to the, get another one. It, yeah, because the thing is that guard, the one who d didn't let us in at first, he's the one who suggested us like, oh, we can go to the shop in in the castle town, and they would give us a special deal on the Hylian shield. So I I want right. to go get it, and then I remember equipping it, but I didn't like the fact that I I it was just on my back, like I couldn't hold it, you know. Yeah, I understand, completely understand. And I just didn't even remember that he because he tells you basically he tells you like, oh, it'd be better because you know <laughs> there's a lot burn. of fire here. Yeah, it yeah. might burn. He says something along those lines, but it just didn't register to me that to about that and then like you get hit by one of those bats that's flying around on fire and then, and then like, my shield burnt like, i was like what the what and is you'll this? never get it again yeah, no you can yeah. you can <laughs> yeah which is cool obviously you can just go rebuy it but it was just one of those things one of those other moments where it's like it puts me it's like oh, okay like i can lose stuff you know mm -hmm. i can is it is possible i i have to take care of my stuff i can't just yeah. be like all right whatever you know exactly yeah they, they they teach you a little bit of that with the uh deku stick oh yeah because yeah, it burns things. out if you don't put it away yep yep exactly um, but uh oh and uh the, and then obviously the boss battle i think this is a it's not a hard battle or anything but this is like such an iconic and such a quintessential to like the essence of these games right because mm -hmm. this, I feel more so than Goma, you got a new or you got a new item for this dungeon, which was the bombs, basically. Mm -hmm. Even though you didn't get the bomb bag, you just got bomb. Wait, did you get the bomb bag? No, you get the bomb bag so you could carry bombs. Yeah, right. So, yeah. So because yeah. they give you the yeah exactly. So they give you the 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 bracelet so you can use the bomb flowers, and you so you start. That's when and like it's perfect. It's such a good teaching tool, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's sucking up air and just like, huh. I wonder, you know, <laughs> Throw and then you're like, oh, I'm a genius. <laughs> I'm so smart. I'm a goddamn I'll genius. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I already knew I was that smart, but it just yeah. confirms it. <laughs> no, yeah, it's a, it's one of the, it is in that sense. I agree with you. Iconic because I always do remember that it is obvious. Um, that's like, OK, you just throw a bomb in there and boom, done. Sliced up easy. And yeah. it's funny because it's. He, he's more intimidating than Goma because it's like you can't get out of his way, you know, basically like he'll roll. Yeah, unless you want to jump in the fire pit. Yeah. And then you, you get messed up there. So it, it is different. It's a, it's a really good boss battle, in my opinion. Speaking of iconic combat, 
I think this is a great moment to look deeper into the sword fighting and the importance of Z targeting to all that. In this dungeon, it's the first time we fight against two Lizolfos, these large lizard enemies who brandish small swords. It's our first taste of one-on-one -on -one sword fights that really define the combat in Ocarina. Yeah, so first, let's set the context to why this was and is so influential and important. Up to this point, 3D action combat felt heavy and oppressive, basically clunky at best. Games like Resident Evil and Tomb Raider come to mind where tank controls were root to many a broken controller. Yeah, you're a little young for that. I know you've probably tried them, but they were fucking terrible. <laughs> like, yeah, it was just, I remember, they, vaguely, uh, vividly, I can kind of remember tr trying uh, Resident Evil 4 because my friend was so hyped on it on the, on the mm -hmm. GameCube. Could mm -hmm. not get into it at the time i mean i know and controls. that's tank controls but that that was way smoother than anything yeah no and exactly you know? and that's what i mean like i can't even imagine like th that was my yeah. only like that i can think of you know <laughs> yeah no like tomb raider is like freaking horrendous i mean yeah. like it's a good game i'm not you know what i mean but it's like you just said it mike no 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 i can't take it yeah. back I'm just <laughs> yeah, but, yeah well, i understand um but yeah you want to explain that at that time one of the main problems of 3D combat was making the axes, I guess you would say. Mm -hmm. I think it's axes, however yeah. you pronounce that, align mm -hmm. with the player and the enemy. Yeah, they they had a hard time lining them up with each other. Like it, they you couldn't face each other. Basically, you know. Of course, one way to make that easier is just to make the game in first person, or just to make the combat from the side perspective, like the 2D perspective. Basically, it'd be easy to line up an enemy in that case. And indeed, for a brief time, Miyamoto had thought of making Ocarina of Time a first-person game. That vision was wildly different from what we ultimately got. He imagined the exploration in first-person, but then when you would confront an enemy, it would then switch to a 2D side perspective. In that certain way, it would be a lot like traditional RPGs where encountering an enemy would trigger a battle event. You know, mm. random grass, stuff like that. Yeah, Pokemon comes to mind. Yeah, Pokemon, exactly. Or Final yeah. Fantasy VII, you know, games like that. But they were so in love with Link's art design and who isn't that mm. they couldn't bring themselves to really explore making the game in first person. They wanted the player to be able to see Link at all times. That's obviously, <laughs> like yeah. you said, who isn't in love with his art design? <laughs> and they were so determined to do Chambara-style combat in Ocarina. I mean, regardless of how they did the rest of the systems, they had to figure out a way to get that type of sword fighting to work in Ocarina, no matter what. The first ever video released of Ocarina was a 15-second demo in 1995 at Nintendo's video game trade show, Space World. Mm -hmm. It was a simple video of Link's sword fighting a Stalfo. The visuals yeah. and sword fighting are drastically different from what Ocarina ultimately looked like, but the idea was there from the beginning. Uh, character designer Koizumi even said that he and Miyamoto had been exploring the idea as far back as the early 90s, trying to convert Zelda 2 into polygons on the Super Nintendo. He said, quote, We were experimenting with a thin polygon link seen from the side and fighting with his sword. Chambara was a pending issue at the time. We couldn't really bring Zelda 2, the adventure link, into form at that time, but... I kept the desire to achieve the sword fighting Zelda game until I joined the team. Uh, end oh. quote. So I mean that I mean that early nineties, like mm -hmm. this, they, they were thinking about it then, but they just didn't yeah. have, the tech couldn't keep up with it. Keep basically. up exactly with ideas. Yeah. Yeah, the story director Ozawa even stated that he started the script with that in mind. But anyways, the game ended being in third person and the combat was Chambara. That's what they went for. They just couldn't get it to work. 
they were frustrated and afraid that it would sink the entire game. But mm. luckily, they found inspiration in a trip to a theme park. Yes, I love this. I love this story. Okay, so early in development, as they were wrestling with the combat system, they decided to take a trip to Toy Studio Park. It's like a, it's a theme park in Kyoto, Japan, kind of like a Universal Studios. If people in America, they would know. Um, where visitors can see period drama sets and shows. They thought they might be able to pick up some ideas by walking around and watching the shows. Osawa tells the story like this, quote, As we went along looking at everything, it was so hot that we ducked into a playhouse to cool off. They were doing a ninja show. A number of ninja were surrounding the main samurai, and one lashed out with a kusarigama. That's a sickle and chain. The lead samurai caught it with his left arm, the chain stretched tight, and the ninja moved in a circle around them, end quote. The way the chain tethered the fighters together as they circled each other ignited the idea for Z-targeting. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, great. Like, I, I probably would have seen the same show and would have been like, cool. Like, look yeah. at this. <laughs> They're circling each other yeah. and like, oh, I but he invented a revolutionary system. Ex okay, exactly. Oh, it just right. hit him. Yeah. Koizumi also observed other aspects of the fighting during the same trip. He was amazed how one fighter could defeat 20, but it still somehow felt natural and fluid. He comments, quote, I thought there must be some kind of trick, so I watched very closely. And it was simple. It's a sword battle, so there's a script and a certain setup. <laughs> the enemies don't all attack at once. First one attacks while the others wait. When the first guy goes down, the next guy steps in and so on. One thing I had been trying to figure out with regard to Z-targeting was how to fight multiple enemies. If I made it like normal, the enemies would swarm the player all at once, so it would be a mess. Watching that show at the studio park was a clue towards solving that problem. Z targeting flags one particular opponent, telling the others to wait, end quote. Yeah, it's just brilliant, I guess, is the word. Mm -hmm. The thing that strikes me about that is everything they said just sounds so blatantly fucking obvious like because we the, see it because we see it yeah like they're like oh yeah they're only fighting one opponent at one at a time and then the other one's weight is like duh like if you're doing this style of fighting why wouldn't you do that but obviously it, that wasn't obvious to people like it's mm -hmm. because they they're the ones who came up with this try to go back and hitting enemies in mario 64 with any sort of accuracy any sort of consistent accuracy it's hard because they didn't have z targeting mm -hmm. plus with the multiple enemies the second enemy doesn't exactly stand still either so that's another thing they did it's not like they're just standing there still and you're like okay this motherfucker's not doing anything the second losolfos is also kind of strafing moving and you can even yeah. if you run into them then they'll attack you you know yeah it's it's something that i think movies also try to do sometimes movies i i know people complain about it like oh there's that character who's standing around doing nothing while they'll fight you know and they're going in one by one why it's just mm -hmm. the movie there would be no cinematic like flair if it was everyone just jumping the guy it works sometimes and some people are able to pull it off but mm -hmm. one guy beating a, a bunch is much more cinematic than the one guy just getting jumped and that's it okay i'm not defending this movie by saying this because i i don't like this movie but the last jedi everybody okay, always complains i disagree with you <laughs> over the movie not the the scene no well that's what i'm saying yeah like i don't like the movie but i actually love i do the like scene. the movie <laughs> uh, okay i how dare you uh but this that one scene i actually do like which is and everybody complains about which is kylo and ray fighting off the guards in the in that red room 
Mm-hmm. And and that this exact thing, they're like, oh, it's so set up and blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, it's just like what you just said. It's like, that's every movie ever. Like, yeah, some, some can, movies do you, better, though, at like having the timing be better. So it doesn't hiding feel it. like, yeah, yeah hiding yeah. it. Exactly. Yeah. I know. And I get that. And but I just do think it's like if we're going to nitpick that bad, it's like you're not going to like anything. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, so Exactly. Because it's like John Wick right now. It's like <laughs> you could be like, oh, how Come on, like <laughs> one guy yeah. would have shot him already. Like, but we we just love the movie, so it yeah, exactly. Matter, right? There would be no cinematic flair there. Agreed. But again, that's a cool little thing they do here. Was obviously they can't have the because the thing here too is in Zelda again, it's the limitations. Mm-hmm. If you guys notice, you only ever fight two of these enemies at once, so you never fight like four Lazalfos for Stalfos. No, you only get to fight two because that's just the limitations. But that second one is always roaming. You know, it's yeah. not like they're just standing there. Exactly. And that's, they could have easily, it would have been super easy for them to just have like an auto lock on system. Yeah. And, but I think that that would make the game too easy. And this combat wouldn't be as, you know, it wouldn't work the same. No. The beauty no. of this combat, it's that it's a hybrid. You do a soft lock and tether to your enemy, creating that invisible Kurisawi Gama, as Ozawa calls it. But the soft lock is not a surefire aimbot. The actual combat is an exercise of timing and pattern recognition. Yes, that's the most important thing there. It's like mm-hmm. you, it's it's you're locked on, but that you need to have good timing, or mm-hmm. you need to get that timing down for sure. Exactly. Even with projectiles, since your enemies are constantly strafing, if you're too far while you're locked on and fire an arrow, I've done this plenty of times, mm-hmm. good chance it will miss completely. Yeah. And if you Far don't less. miss... <laughs> like, yeah. Like, uh, you hit the wall, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And even if you it doesn't miss, your enemy might have enough time to block. Which they react awesome. to you. No, they actually react to it, which is which is really kind of advanced for how early this is. To be yeah, honest, is this the was this the beginning of them reading our inputs that I hate now? <laughs> you know, yeah, like the, the, it's reading the, my inputs. Yeah, like, <laughs> fucking shit, bullshit. Um, it's brilliant. It's brilliant in its simplicity, and the impact has been wide ranging and long lasting. It's evolved a lot since then, but at its core. You still see that style of fighting in modern games, like of course everybody says Dark Souls, Jedi Fallen Order. I mean, nowadays nowadays they just call it Souls, like honestly. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's what it is: Jedi Fallen Order, Assassin's Creed, the new ones, Kingdom Hearts, and countless others that just use that style of fighting. Exactly. But let's get back to the story. We make our way through the dungeon and defeat the King Dodongo, as we mentioned earlier, by him swallowing the bombs and slicing him to pieces. Mm-hmm. Link and Navi have liberated the cavern of its infestation, and the mm-hmm. Garans can now go to devour their delicious organic rocks. <laughs> Jerunia is grateful for our service. We are brothers now. And as good for our triumph, he gives us the spiritual stone of fire. Woo. Two down, one to go. Yes, and I love the cutscene at the end where the Gorons fall from the sky and tell Link how about a big Goron hug, and then he runs away. And of course, the classic ah, he has yep. he has like ten sound effects, but they're all fucking iconic. Mm-hmm. The Link scream. Ah! Um, quick detour first. We head up to Death Mountain to the very top. Talk to the boring now for a couple of minutes. Meet one of the great fairies, the great terrifying fairies. For you, yep, you terrified you when you were young, I imagine. Yeah, mildly terrified, or I don't know. (laughs) I guess really, I am. I still am terrified. (laughs) Even in this one, I was still terrified. 
And next up, the third and final stone is the Zoro's Domain. It's important to note that this location is essentially closed off until we get the bomb bag from Dodongo's Cavern. Mm -hmm. We need the bombs to break the rocks to get through. This speaks loudly about how linear Ocarina can really be. Yeah, that's okay. So many people consider it an open world, or at least they did back then. And, you know, for a time, it really did feel that way until you play Breath of the Wild. <laughs> No, I mean, but until, like, uh, there's a lot of way more open worlds. You know, the original Zelda was super open. This is a modular open world, quasi-linear, where you can tackle certain parts of the game in a different order if you explore enough. But there are many areas that you need to do first before you do the others. Looking back on this now, given how games have evolved, did this bother you at all? Like, were you like, what the fuck? I thought this was more open. I thought this was an open world. Did you ever hear that about this game before you played uh, it? I, mean, I, I I did, but I think because I knew it was very old, I, I, I think I knew it wasn't going to be what I thought of when I thought open world games going in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I don't think it was a huge deal to me at all. I, I, cause this is one of those, you know, when I was doing a bunch of research for, for the podcast, this is one of those complaints. And I wanted to see people's complaints to see if their judgment is valid or is it just something that they're miscalculating? So I, I, I took a lot of those complaints in mind as I was playing. I was like, okay, is this kind of like a shitty open world, like, or quasi open world? I think looking at it is the important thing is, you can use that to your advantage. So if you have the quasi open world, then you lock off certain spots. So, but it allows you to tell a tighter story, you know, because then you can guide the player how you want them to go. As opposed to when you have something, again, we always bring up Breath of the Wild. Okay, Breath of the Wild. I think I love that game to death. I think it's one of the greatest games ever. I think the story is pretty mediocre. And I think part of that is because the way it's structured you can go anywhere, almost anywhere. So there's no like one track story you can follow. And what do they do to replace that? It's like, oh, you find these artifacts, these pictures, locations, so that you can relive these cutscenes, which is cool. I love the cutscenes, but really, it, that, that can never compare story wise to playing like an action adventure game like Uncharted or something where they just guide you down this story, you know? So having a quasi open world like this allows you to kind of focus the story down and they do that i think they do that effectively here you know mm -hmm. as opposed to just being like okay here's a wi wide open hyrule do whatever you want so now we meet the zora who are fish like aquatic beings they're slender elegant and expert swimmers link heads to the top of the glistening water cave to meet king zora but the king has nothing to say but oh my dear sweet princess ruto where has she gone I'm so worried, so worried, Javi, that so, he just sits there and does nothing about it. Yeah, he's, he's definitely, you know, just continuing the incompetent monarchs that we've seen so far. Yeah, I guess all of Hyrule, for sure. There's no, no wonder. No wonder Ganon was able to take over, right? Yeah. yeah. And no wonder the kids are the only <laughs> salvation. Yeah. <laughs> this leads us to, like, one of my favorite game design elements. I think this is probably where some people might not like it as well. It's yeah. the unclear of how to move forward, and the only way to find out is to talk to all the NPCs in the area. Yeah, and explore. Was, and and explore, explore, exactly. Yeah. This was a similar case we had in the Gorons, and where we had to talk to the guy right in front to learn about the forest music. 
-hmm. Here it's a little bit less, even more so less clear, because mm -hmm. it doesn't exactly tell you how to move forward. It, it again holds your hand without really holding your hand. Yeah, it shows you a Goron in one of, in, in the water, and it the shows Zora. You the mean Zora, Zora. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thank you. The Zora in the water, and you can you can't get down there yet, but you will be able to as you explore, as well mm. as learning about Lord Jabu Jabu through some of the NPCs there. You yes. will have to explore. It's very RPG in that way, making yeah. sure you explore the the whole area as a whole, mm. and pay attention, because if you just talk to them speeding through, you will miss it. Yeah, very old school RPG in that way. And yeah, you're right. It's just, I think the the Goron section definitely is more about talking to them because I think two of the NPCs in, in the Goron section give you a clue. And then in this one, they don't give you a clue. They give you the Lord Jabu Jabu clue, which we'll talk a little bit about later. But for sure, it's like, I don't know what to do, but there's like, oh, there's that one hole. And it's like, how do you get in there? I can't get in there. And that can be frustrating. I can understand how people would be frustrated with that you know not being having a clear concise way to follow but that's also people complain about that now right yeah like did, we needed to figure out how to get Darunia sorry the song I'm sorry for Darunia mm -hmm. but it doesn't tell us anything or just figuring stuff out in the game is can be very cumbersome I guess you can say right yeah and of course it's I think at that point it just comes down to preference uh mm -hmm. because there's a lot of people who like that. They don't. They don't want that, um, mm -hmm. and they, they don't want. They don't want to be constantly just directed on where to go. So, yeah. it, I, maybe I think it just comes down to game preference uh, right. or style or game design preference. Yeah, um, and I think especially for this kind of early 3D game, that is maybe why the game itself is simple, but mm -hmm. they make these things a little bit of a challenge. But yeah, when you know doing my research, this is for sure one of the bigger criticisms of the game. And um, like we just talked about, I know for me when I was 13 and I played it for the first time, I was a little confused in this section, but in this section, but I enjoyed trying to figure out how to do it. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I like I said, game preference, but exactly. I think okay, I'm gonna give a quick run through of okay. what you have to do to get <laughs> to get by King Zora and to get into this third dungeon. So we can let the listeners decide whether they think it's too vague or not. Okay, so we don't know what to do. We're in here. We're in Zora's cave. We're like, okay, what the fuck? Where do we go? So we got to head to the top of the waterfall inside the Zora's domain and play the diving mini game. We have to collect five rupees that the Zora throws into the water before the time runs out. If we successfully grab the rupees, he'll give us a scale as a reward, which allows Link to dive deeper than he could before. Again, we saw that hole there, but we just couldn't get to it. Now we can. From here, we'll dive back down to the bottom of Zora's domain. There, the doorway underwater will take us and transport us to a different place. It'll teleport us to Lake Hylia, where lo and behold, right where we spawn in, there will be a bottle lying right in front of us. A bottle which you could have seen before if you just explored Lake Hylia, but you wouldn't have been able to reach it without the scale either way. So if you would have just explored it even before and you're like, there's something there, but I can't touch it. Like, oh man, I guess later on in the game, I'll get it, you know? <laughs> well, we pick up the bottle and we find a letter inside. We then head back to King Zora and present him with a letter, which happens to be from his daughter, the missing Princess Ruto. She says she's inside of Lord Jabu Jabu's belly and King Zora asks for our help to retrieve her. He moves out of the... Finally, he does something. He, like, <laughs> yeah, he does a yeah. little butt scoot. Yeah, he just... Uh, he moves over at a glacial pace. And we are now able to enter Zora's fountain, which is behind 
King Zora, where Lord Jabu Jabu resides. King Zora explains to us that Lord Jabu Jabu has been cursed by Ganondorf after the king refused to hand over their spiritual stone. So once again, Ganondorf with his world, Hyrule World Tour. Exactly. Just tossing curses like everywhere. Just yeah. like <laughs> Harry Potter style. Just yeah. fucking. And, and, <laughs> and, the, and the king of Hyrule still didn't believe Zelda that he was up to something. You know? I know, right? He's he's obviously not communicating with the other tribes. Yeah. yeah like, is, are you guys good is, or what's going on yeah, here? <laughs> is there like some some kind of is another civil war about to happen like damn be, before ganon even did anything like I, they weren't talking at all king zora uh, like just sends a message to the king of hyrule he's like hey bro like there's a curse over here it's like damn the king of hyrule is just like that's unfortunate like let us know how that goes like, what is it oh uh, my thoughts and wishes like <laughs> thoughts and prayers thoughts and prayers we're praying for you like, yeah. <laughs> yeah but this is yeah just another instance of how the how, like you explaining it maybe makes it a little bit less vague but if you're playing it for the very first time and even for me, who I kind of already knew about the game and knew to go talk, mm -hmm. it was still like, how the hell was anyone supposed to figure this out? Yeah. Because then you have to go to Lord Jabu Jabu and give him a fish or release a fish so then he can suck you in. Yes. And that part is, I would say that part people can't complain about because you do get clues on that. Oh, the, yeah. The first part of it, which we talked about, like that is vague because nobody tells you to go to that hole. Nobody says there's a bottle in Lake Kaila. You just kind of got to figure that out. Mm -hmm. But with the Lord Jabu Jabu, they do tell you, like if you talk to some of the NPCs, they'll tell right. you, oh, Princess Ruto would feed Lord Jabu Jabu fish every day. That was her responsibility. You're like, yeah. oh, okay. And then also there's like, okay, they, they feed, feed them fish. And then in the store one of the things you can buy is a fish and there's also fish right there in front of the store like in the water like so you could just use your bottle to scoop up the right. fish you know and isn't there also the fishing game you can do it can you do that i forget if you can do that as like at that point in time yet no, yeah, you could do the fishing game, but the fishing, you don't get fish from right. the fishing game. Oh, no, no. Game. Yeah. What I'm saying is just like, they're just fish, you know, like, like, <laughs> yeah. they're like the subliminal advertising, like, yeah. fish. Hey, you here's, know? A, here's a clue. Maybe you should go to fish, see what, what's <laughs> up over there. Maybe like, fish are important. Yeah. The fish people? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I don't know. I, I feel like that's just people complaining because I don't think, I could see the complaint about the first half, second half. I'm right. Like, guys, figure it out. Come on. But yeah, but this is is definitely like if they don't talk to anyone then mm. they'll be completely stuck yeah they but would they would they would never get past this part unless you yeah, talk to i guess people. it's just one of those things it's more obvious to people that are actually paying attention right because yes. if you don't pay attention it's super hard 100 100 percent agree okay so we're at lord jabu jabu the dungeon uh, now well actually uh, before we i, I want to just uh jump into another thing still before the dungeon uh-huh uh -huh. i love that in the diving minigame when you jump off the waterfall Link jumps head first like a diver, you know? Yes, it's and it, beautiful. It, it, it's kind of like one of those things, the games, it happens to me a lot when I'm playing games where I fall. Mm -hmm. The speed, it gives you like speed. If you feel like you're falling. Yeah, yeah. Because Miyamoto was very conscious of this. He was enamored by this small aspect. Mm -hmm. And it was mm -hmm. all possible because they introduced auto jump, which we talked about. Yes, so in our, yes. In Orcarina, there is no dedicated jump button like a lot of other games. Link automatically jumps when you get towards the edge of yeah. any ledge. As long as there's nothing like blocking you, obviously. But yeah, as long there's as no I, obstructions, exactly, then, then he exactly. can jump. Yeah, so no, it was really cool. No, no, I agree. Yeah, this is a good time. Let's let's talk about the auto jump a little bit. 
Um, so yeah, the auto jump really sparked a lot of the cinematic flair from everything I read in the game. And it's partially done because it was they had the need for that prominent context sensitive button. So like you said, like Super Mario 64, obviously I don't think they'll ever have auto jump there. That makes no sense because it's a mm -hmm. platformer. Cause, but I know with this, they said, well, this is the main focus of the game is not jumping. So it's not, <laughs> do we really need this? Do we really need people to get frustrated by like falling off a ledge because they didn't time the jump right in an action game like this? But speaking of that context sensitive button, I do think Ocarina wrongfully gets credit for inventing a context sensitive button where the A button does everything from push blocks to putting away your sword. But context sensitive buttons have been around for a while. Even in Link to the Past, the A could dash, pick up things, talk to NPCs, read signs, etc. Just a bunch of different things. So it's not like Ocarina was the first time we ever saw a context sensitive all purpose action button. But I do think Ocarina perfected it in the 3D space like no other game had before. The game does an almost perfect job of understanding what your intentions are and giving a visual prompt on what the action will be. Well, you know, except when you're trying to push a block and you accidentally jump up the block. That's, <laughs> that's frustrating. That happens yeah. to me. I'm like, come on. I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. They, that's not they, a biggie. Yeah. It's not yeah, a biggie. Exactly. They use that deep understanding of the 3D world to make the game so much more cinematic, mm. just like the diving part. Yeah. In a 1999 interview, Miyamoto said, we wrote data for each terrain location, and that data determines what kind of jump Link will perform. Honestly, this is not only a new grammar for jumping, it signals a whole new range of possibilities for 3D interactivity. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like having a bunch of miniature movies that you can interact with, to put it simply. But having all that encoded into the terrain data is the new part. For example, when Link approaches a cliff's edge, the camera swivels upward and allows you to peer down into the chasm. Or when you cross a bridge on horseback, the camera switches to a cinematic side view. In this way, we're not interrupting the gameplay with lengthy cutscene movies, but attaching the movies to the character's own movements. If we push forward with this grammar, I think we'll be able to do weirder and more interesting things too, end quote. Yeah, I, I just love that. I love that because it's they're just seeing it from such a bird eyes, high level view. Where it's like, yeah, that whole thing of him jumping into the waterfall, it's not, it's not a game changing, it's not a huge deal, but it's like those small, all those small details add up to big things. Cause it's mm -hmm. like, and in any other game before this, like you jump off that waterfall, you just jump regular, you just jump feet first, like the normal jump, but you fucked it up basically, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> but in this, they coded that terrain data. So right. then it's like, then they know you're jumping off the waterfall. Then they know for him to go down face first. Yeah, and, and we definitely see that in a lot. Some, some actually, we don't see that in some games now, even. But we do, we do also see it in some games. Like you know, some games do it, some games don't now. Yeah, you know, the one that comes to mind like that is a perfect example is Assassin's Creed. Mm -hmm. They know when you're gonna jump into a haystack. He exactly. does like the face first, the, the the leap of faith, the leap of faith. Yeah, if you just jump off like a regular thing, it's you just a normal jump. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's just cool. It's like that little thing you see that how he evolved over time, and it just mm -hmm. again makes the game more cinematic. And funny enough, Miyamoto is known for hating cinematics and cutscenes in games, especially around that time because. RPGs were getting full motion videos as cutscenes in games like Final Fantasy VII. Miyamoto was outspoken about his dislike of that practice. Yeah, and I can't fully agree with him there. 
Mm-hmm. I personally like the FMVs of the era, especially when they were on the shorter side. Yeah. I can say that in the Xbox and PS3 era, they 360 specifically, you know. Mm-hmm. They started getting pretty ridiculous. I think it was like 40 minutes of cutscenes, 20 minutes of gameplay. <laughs> and that's no bad. exaggerating. That's and that's no exaggeration either. Yeah. I think uh, Metal Gear Solid 4. Yeah, uh, on the PS3. Something, something along those lines where it was literally that. I think that's the one we 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 timed. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Or I remember we played it for our channel, and then editing it was really easy because it was like, oh, here's a 45 minute cutscene, <laughs> and, and then and cut then here's, everything behind it. <laughs> yeah, so here's 10 minutes of gameplay. Oh, here's another 35 minute cutscene. Yeah. Not to say that game's bad. Like I, no, I no, agree no. with you. I, I also liked the FMVs, but I thought that was a little too much when it started yeah, getting like it, that. It, yeah, and this is no shade at Metal Gear, except for the fact that it's like it is, it does it does feel feel overwhelming. It does, it does. Um, they balanced it better in Metal Gear Solid Five. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was a lot more gameplay, and then like I I love cutscenes, uh, like giving you great story and context. So I, yes. I definitely. Do you disagree with Miyamoto there? Like Final Fantasy VII is great. Like fuck that, yeah. you know. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, I can't agree with him there. Like, yeah, if it was a, you know, if it was a Nintendo game, because they're so much more focused on gameplay, it might be like, oh yeah, I don't think they should do full motion videos. Yeah, but when yeah. it's a game where I want to be there for the the long story, I don't care. Yeah, and you know what? To be clear, too, I'm not even he 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 didn't specifically say like, oh, I hate Final Fantasy oh, VII. Right. He, yeah, you know, yeah. he he probably did. He hates the practice. I think that's exactly yeah, what he said. exactly. I think he found it lazy. He found it where like it, it's just a cop out. Instead of trying to make a more cinematic game, you just use the cinematics and and mm-hmm. blah blah blah. And I and I know another quote that he had that he he hated it from a game development standpoint. More than anything, because he he would say in in those interviews, he would say a lot about, okay, they had this story in mind, but the story is fluid. Like we've seen so far is like it's transforming as they go. So then he would tell the people like, okay, like we need to change this part of the cutscene because now we decided to go this direction for the gameplay. And they're like, uh, well, we can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) Yes, it's going to take us a month or two so we can't change it in time. And he's like, what what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I want it this way. And they're like, oh, sorry. So he hated that part of it more than anything. But, you know, it's just cool to see different perspectives because obviously we love and respect Miyamoto, but it doesn't mean he has final word on every game ever made, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Anyway, we're here. Lord Jabu Jabu. We feed the Zora God some some of his fish, and boom, we're in dungeon number three inside the fleshy insides of uh, Lord Jabu Jabu inside the well. What do you think, Javi? How'd how'd you like this dungeon? This one was... uh... Can I say I was a little bit just like uneasy? <laughs> How dare you? Not a big fan of the uh, flesh walls. I, would say. <laughs> I like flesh walls, just not these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I think the overall dungeon. I I actually liked most of it. There were some things that did bug me, uh-huh. uh, but it wasn't. It it definitely was hard uh, easier than the second one. But much, but definitely a better, a step up from the first in terms wow. of like difficulty. That's crazy to me because for me, like, I, I personally think this one is by far the most difficult of the first three. Mm, okay. I, I felt like I, I, I could see the difficulty spike rise up here. Not like a, an insane amount, but yeah. I, I just overall, I thought the puzzle solving here because you needed to 
figure out like what holes to fall in in that central room with Princess Ruto. So it was kind of like wasn't mm. even more problem solving, but you had to just kind of test them out, you know, like. And yeah, see and I guess, was... yeah, that's probably where I didn't see the difficulty because it wasn't like because there was the switch puzzles where you had to put her on the things. And that's and then, simple. yeah, that's yeah. simple. Exactly. That was simple. And then the the hole was just trial and error, which I don't see as hard. Yes, I no, I understand that part, but also like if you happen to fall in the right hole in the first time, then it would be like, okay, this is super easy. But That's, if you went, yeah. you know, so then if you did all the other three, you're like, oh fuck, like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I could yeah. see. I, I think I don't think I, 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 let's just say I don't think I had to do every single hole. Like I didn't have to test it out. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think I got pretty, I got them pretty uh, early in my tries. I also, uh, aside from the difficulty, I, I like Princess Ruto. She's a, one of the people who get a lot of criticism. I know you didn't love her. We talked about it briefly I, before. Yeah, we've tried. Yeah, but uh, it's definitely something that we'll come to. Uh, we have a little section where we talk about this too. Mm. But it was just, I found her annoying at first, I will say. Yeah, I mean, she was really uh, bossy and just yeah. kind of very princessy, you know, like, oh, or pick me up. It's like, bitch, like, <laughs> walk yourself. What the fuck? Like, what do you think you... I'm here to save you. I had to but, kill all these guys. <laughs> but I, I just really like her spunkiness. Uh, no, um, okay, yeah. I and think, that's what I, I... She grew on me, definitely. And and I like her spunkiness because not a lot of characters in the game have that type of spunkiness. Like, mm -hmm. everybody else is kind of really low-key or humble, which is I love, but it's it's cool to see somebody have this kind of like, yeah, I'm the fucking princess. The fuck? Like, <laughs> like yeah. pick me up. So, I don't know. I In general, <laughs> I like that. There is one part of the dungeon I remember kind of getting actually stuck on was toward the end. Where you had to pick up one of the box like boxes to hold the switch down because you didn't have Princess Ruto anymore. So it was after you fought this, you fought the sub boss, and then she gets taken away. The big Octo, the big Octo, which was a really good sub boss, actually. Yeah, I, I liked him. Yeah, yeah, I, I actually think he was more difficult. Running cloud, yeah, he was <laughs> for me, even for me because uh, he was more difficult than the final boss of that dungeon. Yeah, I would say mechanically he was for me too. I couldn't get the timing down right away about like when I should fucking boomerang mm -hmm. him to so i can stab him mm -hmm. um but yeah that section in the end like I, she gets taken away then you gotta you gotta go back into the second room and then now you can cross over to this door there's a switch there but i was like fuck how, you you need something to lay down on the switch and they have these small boxes there and i just for some reason it didn't click right away i was like oh pick up this box well, they were the breakable there. ones too though no yeah, they were. So you could break so you them. Probably you probably rolled into it or something. <laughs> yeah, no, it was one of those. It was just because we had used her the whole time. But again, uh, the game design, they're teaching you, you put something down on the switch. So then yeah. it's it, eventually I was like, oh, okay, these boxes. And yeah, if, I, if you break them, they don't respond until you go out of the room and come back in. So like if you're just like walking around the room, you're not going to see the box, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, oh, and it also gave us one of my like easily one of my favorite items, like easily one of like my top items in the game, yeah. which was the boomerang. Agreed. I I personally I like the boomerang because you know I, it's very related to me to like the hook shot. Um, mm -hmm. As of course, it, it can bring things to you. It can stun people. The I think the hook shot ultimately is more useful because right. it can it can drag you somewhere. Yeah, but as a kid, like I, I definitely 
love the boomerang aesthetically more than anything. It just mm. it felt like a very kid thing to me, as well as a slingshot. I love those yeah. two. As See, opposed, as a, I would have uh, imagined that you would have liked the hook shot more, just because of the fact that it's like it's the grappling hook from Batman. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But I uh, guess the cool boomerang could... is something you can actually own. You can never have the hook shot. Like, yeah. Like, like, there's no. There's no. Bo- uh, grappling hook that works like that that you can get in real life at least for our that we would be able to get basically yeah unless you got like military grade like yeah. something but no i i just i love that part of it of the of the kind of kid aesthetic of the slingshot and the boomerang of like okay i could see a kid using these and it's quirky and it's cool so but yeah i agree it's one of my favorite items it sucks that you can't use it as an adult you know mm-hmm. I, I wish you could but yeah and then the boss to me, also, this was the hardest boss of the three. I personally had a little bit of trouble with this one back when I first played it. And I think it was just one of those pure accidental things because obviously I and I already knew at this point that I was like, okay, I got to use a boomerang to take him down. Right. And the we way got the, it in the dungeon, we have to use it. Yeah. So then we're, you fight this boss and it has like these, these uh, baronade, has these spinning, I don't know what they are around him. And they they basically the plates block almost things like the I don't know what they are, but the thing is like you're supposed to boomerang baronade, but they block for him. Mm-hmm. And like, but you just got to get the timing right. So like, I remember maybe throwing the boomerang like three or four times, and it got blocked every time. So I was like, okay, I guess this is not what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> so I'm like kind of running around trying to figure out like what is it? maybe I'm supposed to throw a bomb at these things or whatever. Until eventually, finally, like, I threw the boomerang again and hit him at the right time to stun him. And then I was like, oh, okay, now now that makes sense. So I think out of the first three, that was the one that took me the longest to to get. The other two was just, oh, okay, this is easy. I, I know mm-hmm. what I'm doing, you know. But yeah. I think you had an easy time of it, right? Yeah, I, I don't remember struggling too much. Uh, it, it almost, like I said, I had a harder time with the mm-hmm. Octo Boss um that that was more memorable that this was like almost forgettable mm-hmm. besides the fact that it you know it was the last box yeah but i do remember like it had the electric field and you had to hit the arms or the appendages up top and then hit the final appendage mm-hmm. for it to kind of like let its guard down and then i think it like sent jellyfish out too so it was it was it was cool it's just it was less more memorable because it, i didn't have such a hard time on it and i think that's a thing with a lot of bosses in the games in general is like some people would just struggle naturally with some stuff more than mm-hmm. others. Yeah, yeah, a lot. Of, it, that's how it is. Like sometimes, it, exactly. No, I, I agree with you. But all right, good dungeon. Last one of the of the first three. We're teleported back outside into Zora's fountain, and we're floating across from Princess Ruto. She comments on how cool you look fighting off Baronade. Oh, thank you. And mm-hmm. starts the now long. Long, 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 long standing tradition of every girl that meets Link falls madly in love with him. Like, it's it's actually kind of ridiculous how, Mm -hmm. how on point this is. She says, her mother gave her the spiritual stone, but she can only give it to the man she's going to marry. Sort of a Zora engagement ring. We have no other choice but to accept the offer to be betrothed at the ripe age of nine. Very medieval indeed, Miyamoto. Very medieval. (laughs) Now with all three spiritual stones in hand, it's time for us to head to the Temple of Time, open the door, and finally grab the Triforce. The game is almost done, Mike. 
Woo! Manifest <laughs> destiny, baby. Yeah, what what an adventure we've had. Though we, we start approaching Hyrule, but a storm is brewing. Rain and thunder are covering all of Hyrule. Link reaches Hyrule Castle as the gates are shuddering down. And he hears the hurried steps of a horse rushing away from the castle and sees Impa desperately fleeing with Zelda held tightly in her arms. Zelda catches a whimpering glimpse of Link and tosses something back toward him, landing inside the moat of the castle. Link stares off in the distance with only the sound of rain surrounding him. He turns back toward the castle and the music soars in a menacing roar as we see Ganondorf on his enormous black stallion. Thunder cracks through the sky and Ganondorf turns his maniacal stare toward us. This is almost the exact same vision we had in our nightmares, which feels like a lifetime ago now. Yeah. Ganondorf demands to know in which direction the white horse went, but we refuse to answer. I don't know nothing. I don't. I don't know anything, Ganondorf. I, I was just standing here. Know, yeah. <laughs> but it's not even. He's not even like I don't know nothing. He instead he unsheaths his sword and readies his shield, ready to face him head on. And this is Ganondorf we're talking about. What a beast! What a beast! And of course, be. being Ganondorf, he laughs at our misguided courage and blasts us with an energy shot that knocks us out cold. He Ooh. takes off into the night in hot pursuit of Zelda. I love this scene. We didn't have our tennis lessons yet. We're good. You get one on us, Ganondorf. You Got get one. one. That's Everyone fine. gets one. The most electric details about it is the fact that while it's the same scenario as the very beginning of the game, it's also markedly different. In the beginning, we didn't even have a sword and shield, and Link's expression is full of fear. Now here, Link's expression is courageous. He's still young, but his spirit is heroic. And I just always thought that it was so cold the way that little nine-year-old Link drew his little tiny little sword. <laughs> oh, so cute. That unsheathing sound effect combined with Link's confident eyes is just chilling to me. His tiny little Kokiri sword, his deco shield, it's just so cute, like I said. Like, I understand. I understand Ganondorf's smug dismissal of Link, but, you know, at the same time, you see why Link is the one. Like, he's he is him, as he you say. Him. As yeah. you say, Javi. <laughs> <laughs> but you can clearly see the three parts of the Triforce at play here. Zelda's wisdom to run away because they weren't ready. Mm -hmm. Her wisdom to throw the Orcarina into the moat so Link can go look for it after Ganondorf has left. Mm -hmm. And of course, Link's unflinching courage when it comes to being completely outmatched. Yeah. Overmatched, even. Yeah, it's definitely all of it. Like, yeah. just, just no and chance. Then, and then we see, of course, because we don't see him very often in the game, Ganondorf's just sheer terrifying power. Yeah. You know? It's He's intimidating. He's 100% yeah. intimidating. You know, exactly. there's no way around it. It's the holy trinity of the Triforce of this franchise. Or the it's the holy trinity that defines this franchise even. Like, yeah. And it's just such a cool showcase of these dynamics. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so after Ganondorf is gone, we jump into the moat in search of whatever Zelda toss our way. And we find that the, it's the Ocarina of Time, the last missing piece to open the door of time. I always wondered, Javi, I don't, what did he do with the fairy ocarina? Did he just leave that shit there? Because we, <laughs> it's like, oh, Asaria. Oh, yeah. never mind. Uh, actually, you're right. Because, yeah, because that was like a, you know, a personal gift. Or like, yeah, it was her personal item. We'll be like, friends forever, right? <laughs> yeah. Back into the lake you go. Yeah, we don't need you anymore. I don't know. I hope he keeps it. Like, he just has it in his back pocket or something. 
I I wish there was a line of dialogue when you when you call Saria like later on and she's like, Hey, so how's that how's the fairy ocarina doing that I gave you? And then it's Or she like, calls you and you're like, New phone, who this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't you have my my notes saved? Like uh. All right, when Link touches the ocarina, we flash to a message Zelda left for us. Powers, as we said before, that's power right there. Mm-hmm. She left a message to the ocarina. What a beast. Teaching Obi-Wan. us to yes. <laughs> save me. <laughs> <laughs> You're my only hope. She teaches us the song of time. We make our way into the sacred temple, place the three spiritual stones on a pedestal, and play the magical song that has been passed down for generations. The door time opens, and inside we see a single blaze of sunlight shining through a skylight. At the base, a glimmering sword in the stone, the blade of destiny. It's majestic, it's radiant, it's amazing. Mm. We walk slowly up the marble steps, our eyes never relenting from that bewitching, beautiful blade. Mm. Link grabs the hilt with his small hands, barely able to grip all the way around, and he pulls out the sword of the, from the stone with an ethereal force. The skylight beams with a celestial shower of light. It envelops Link until everything vanishes into a bright white light. God, I love this game too much. It's just like, I get emotional <laughs> just hearing this shit. <laughs> but suddenly, we hear Ganondorf's laugh echoing behind us. He thanks us for opening the door of time and letting him into the sacred realm. He disappears into the light and we are lost in nothingness. Basically, Javi, we done fucked up. Mm-hmm. Something went wrong here. Miscommunication. I blame Navi. It's her fault. She didn't. She didn't. The, all the yeah. hey listens, and she couldn't tell me this shit. Fuck. Yeah. No more hey listens. More tell me what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Now it's gonna be Link saying, "Hey, listen. What the fuck is going on <laughs> what here? Is going on? Yeah. yeah. We awake. A mysterious man tells us we are in the Temple of Light, the last remaining safe haven in the Sacred Realm against Ganondorf's evil forces. The Master Sword was the last key to the Sacred Realm, and by pulling it. We let Ganon into the sacred realm. Oh, God. <laughs> he tells that us to remain Navi, calm. Fuck. <laughs> he, he tells us to remain calm, Mike, and to look at ourselves. Look at yourself because we haven't seen ourselves yet. We're in first person up mm-hmm. until this point. Yeah. But then we pull back to a third person view and we see that Link has grown up. We spent the past seven years in a deep slumber. Yes, that's seven years yeah. that we didn't know. If you like, you're just like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, Temple of Time, that there's going to be maybe sometime travel shenanigans it's it's pretty shocking i'll tell you yeah. i was like oh shit so it's a exactly. long ass time yeah i mean you, knowing you, so many people already like already know that but at the time i don't think people expected that i mean like well we'll talk about it a little bit later but yeah definitely it was just a surprise even just to know the amount of years yeah. it's like oh maybe he, maybe it was three years or something it's like oh seven whole years a lot yeah. has changed you already yeah, know we do we, they do advertise it as you know both, if I'm not mistaken, but we don't know how that's happening exactly. Yeah, yeah. When we pulled the Master Sword, the Blade felt we were not ready to be the hero of time yet. We were too young for that responsibility. So Link's spirit was sealed away for seven years, basically. And luckily, luckily, the Kokiri clothes manufacturing is fucking top notch <laughs> because Link's tunic stretched out perfectly for him in those seven years. It's a little known fact, Javi. Little known fact. <laughs> I'm, I'm here to tell people. 
the Kokiri actually manufactured Bruce Banner's pants. I know uh, it's okay. it, that's how okay. it's shocking. <laughs> but then again, uh, Link does have white tights, I guess, under oh, okay. his clothes. Yeah, now. well, we, so we don't it, we don't it, talk it, about that, Mike. Come does on. that mean that they undressed him or like? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> like, I don't it know. Just, just saying. It's just very magic. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Navi. But we so we awake and you know we find that this mysterious old man. Raru, the Sage of Light. That's who. That's who we wake to. Yeah. Also known as the boring old owl. You know, yeah. <laughs> if you why, forgot. Why couldn't about we just already. wake up to Zelda standing there? Like, <laughs> like that would have been nice. That'll be for later, Mike. Yeah. We'll see her later. When Ganondorf entered the sacred realm, he was able to obtain the Triforce, and with its power, he transformed Hyrule into a land of monsters. In the past seven years, no place in the kingdom remained the same. Our mission is clear: we must go to the temples of Hyrule and find the sages so we can add their power to our own. It's our only chance to defeat Ganon and seal the evil away from the kingdom. I just, I can't emphasize how awesome this moment was in 1998. Like, we just talked about it right now, but that, first of all, the scene is perfection. Because, like, when you walk into the Temple of Time, that song, that theme, the Temple of Time theme, is just fucking, it's, it has feels epic, and it feels like it's full of grandeur. It has that kind of ethereal sound to it, like, monks <laughs> like like monks humming or something like that it's so good and the thing with adult link look most of us knew there would be an adult link but to what extent we weren't sure because it's it's not like it is now where you have this constant flow of info leading into a new game like they didn't there wasn't any early access walkthroughs from influencers articles from gamestop ign and kotaku constantly like yeah they were around but it, the coverage wasn't like that like that just didn't exist exist back then. But the best like we could do back then is we would have articles on like EGM or Nintendo Power, and that's just once a month. And then whatever you saw from the trailer, you happened to catch if you were watching TV at that exact moment. Yeah, the and, age of watching trailers like on YouTube, that wasn't it wasn't the time there. No, it was we're still far away from that. And honestly, okay, watching the trailer now. You you obvious obvious you're gonna play as adult Link. He's a prominent part of the of the trailer, but I don't know. I look. I was really into it back then, but I wasn't analyzing trailers like that. I just kind of was enjoying it, and it's not like I could watch the trailer on demand even if I wanted to. So it it didn't really matter. So when this moment happened, I realized immediately that like, I wasn't even halfway done with the game because I did feel at some. That whole thing you said earlier was like, oh, we're almost yeah. at the end of the game. Yeah. I, part of me kind of felt that way because it had taken me maybe like eight hours or ten hours to get to that point just because I was exploring so much. And then I'm like, oh, never mind. I'm, <laughs> there's there's a lot more to go. And, it was, I, and personally, too, as somebody who loved Link to the Past, I saw like the direct connection because and Link to the Past is almost the exact same thing. I mean, to the point where people kind of criticize it, which I, I, I agree with in some extent, because you have to get three pendants in Link to the Past, then you can get the Master Sword. After you get the Master Sword, then you go to it becomes the Dark World, and then you have to save the Seven Sages mm -hmm. to fight Ganon. It's like, oh, it's the, it's the same summary, pretty much, right. you know? So... Mm -hmm. But I enjoyed that connection because to me it was almost like seeing Link to the Past being transformed into 3D in that way. So I was like, oh, cool. Like we were just talking about before. I was like, you just want to see your movies or games being put in a different like medium. Like you want to yeah. see it in 3D. 
Yeah, exactly. And speaking of like wanting to see it in 3D, let's dive into a little bit of the design aspect here and what they, how and why they decided to have an adult link. Yeah, and really the question is why they decided to have a young link because the I game was more fair. Yeah, because the game was always going to be adult link. Miyamoto was adamant that he wanted to have a young link and he wanted to find a way to do it. He felt that even though they were making a more mature game, Young Link is something that is essential to the story. The fact that it's a little boy who sets off on an adventure and saves the world, he didn't want to lose that innocence to the story. In 2011, when asked why he was so persistent on including Young Link, Miyamoto exclaimed, quote, Until The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, Link was a playful and childish character. I thought if we made him too cool, he wouldn't be Link anymore. On the other hand, I did want Link to be somewhat cool, so we decided to have both adult and young Link. <laughs> when we did that, then all sorts of ideas bubbled up. Of course, I, this changed. I think it's funny. Sorry, I just think it's funny that he thinks adult Link is like the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> like, I mean, he is. I, well, <laughs> He's not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I rescind my statement then. <laughs> exactly. Shut up, Mike. And of course, this changed everything from story to gameplay elements. The crazy thing is that this decision to incorporate Young Link happened two years into development. Two So we years. were going to just have an adult Link game. Yeah. And then and they're then, like, you know what? Let's add the, everything that I, you know, everything that we just saw, that we just explained. Because, yeah, this is, now we're, you're, now we're adult Link. I, I wonder how it was going to start. I, I've, we've never gotten that answer. But I wonder yeah. how the game would have started without Young Link and how yeah, that would have exactly. gone. That's crazy. Um, Aonuma said it didn't exactly collapse the development, but it definitely caused a lot of heated arguments at EAD. Yeah, fucking, are you? I can't imagine. I think Miyamoto just walks in one day and just like, we're gonna do it, and that's it. And they're like, dude, but we're, we're releasing like two like, weeks. Do you, do you know who I am? <laughs> Does it look like I fucking care when we really? <laughs> no, but the good thing is they had the all the all the support in the world because they had just so much faith in Zelda and Miyamoto. So I know they were just like, I remember um, the president um, before Iwata. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I please forgive me, but. He he told he told Miyamoto at one point he's just like you get all the time you need without question and that's it you know mm. wow I mean can can you imagine game developers getting that kind of confidence like that's that's great but then you have then you have like Cyberpunk it takes like eight years you know mm -hmm. like that maybe it's too much um, but they they didn't quite know how to incorporate both links until they decided on the Master Sword as a time travel mechanic. It was a eureka moment and everything came together after that. Young Link in the forest, the fairies, meeting Ganondorf as Young Link, quests and dungeons that would require you to do things from both versions of Link and tons, tons more. Yeah, I'm like... I so we, we we wouldn't have gotten that epic opening mm -hmm. because there would have been no young link. Yeah, damn, thinking about what they would have done as the beginning is kind of like I can't even imagine it right now. Yeah, I so mean, iconic. like, because part of me is saying like, oh, maybe it was just the same story, but he was an adult. But then, then why would he be in Kokiri Forest? You yeah. know, that would yeah. have been a whole different. And unless maybe the Kokiri weren't kids, then you mm -hmm. know they weren't fairy children and they were just regular. Maybe they yeah. could have done that, but. Because yeah. other than that, you just leave it the same. It's just like, yeah. oh, you but go get the, the stones and then get yeah. the Master Sword. It is it is just crazy to like think the, for the fact that they put in the Young Link because I read that one of their biggest hurdles came from the fact that they were almost ran out of memory. 
Mm, yeah. So they didn't know how they were gonna make the motions and animations for a whole nother link. Yeah, <laughs> Miyamoto's like, just do it. That's it. <laughs> like, yeah. I, don't, I don't care. <laughs> make it happen. Yeah, Koizumi said they solved this problem by having adult links animation scaled down for young link. Mm-hmm. They still had to make some new animations, but using the scale solution. It solved a lot of their memory issues. When asked how many basic motions Koizumi made for Link, he said, quote, about 500 patterns. Add to that the programming combinations, and there's even more. One of the reasons we were able to put so many patterns in was the Nintendo 64 system's ROM cartridges. That's a big deal. So this is, a, yeah, let's talk about these. this whole the technology behind it. This is fucking fascinating to me. I had no idea about this, honestly, until we started uh, doing this research. Um, and now I wonder how much different the game would be if it wasn't on cartridge. So originally, they were planning on making it for the 64DD, which was a magnetic floppy disk expansion for the Nintendo 64. It would have provided Zelda with more overall memory, but the main issue was that with so many motions for Link, the game would freeze or lag because of the read time delay on the disc. Iwata had this to say about the ultimate decision to drop the 64DD, quote, ROM cartridges don't have any moving mechanical parts, so they can read motion data in an instant no matter where it's stored. However, with a magnetic disc, it takes time for the mechanical parts to move around, meaning you have loading time while it's locating the data. As a result, we couldn't get Link's motions to work, end quote. Can you imagine that? Like you're just in the middle of a fight with Stalfos and you're it's just like the spinning uh, one thing. One second, yeah, one yeah, second delay. Because for all this shit, like for PS1, the loading time on that motherfucker was like every <laughs> room is like, oh, here's here's a two minutes of game like not even that 30 seconds of gameplay and then boom another minute of loading to the next yeah. room yeah the tech and consoles really do matter especially at the time when the industry was going through massive changes mm-hmm. for example everyone else in the industry had moved to cd-roms which we you know <laughs> yeah the load times which had even worse <laughs> read times than the 64 dd so you can see why, by necessity, the controls for 3D games needed to be slower and less fluid on the PlayStation 1 and the Sega Saturn. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, CD-ROMs could hold 650 megabytes, where Nintendo 64 cartridges only 16 megabytes. Yeah, when they were first released. When, when they first released, yeah. That's right. That's and by the time, <laughs> yeah, and by the time Ocarina, they only doubled to 32. Yeah. So a CD ROM could hold a lot more, which allowed 20 for the times, more, yeah, yeah, 20, 20 times, times more, the size. Which allowed for the more realistic graphics because they could have more, you know, detailed textures, full motion videos for cutscenes. Yeah. So there's pros and cons to both. But point being, it affected what type of games were developed for different platforms. Yeah, it definitely did. I I was so surprised when I read all this because I just hadn't thought about it. To me, it was because, you know, especially now where everything's kind of multi-plat, um, yeah, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of there's a lot of multi-plat stuff then. I'm not saying there wasn't, but it's just one of those things where now it's just so cross-platform where it almost seems like, what's the difference between the Series X and the PlayStation 5 other than that they just develop different exclusives? Mm-hmm. But, like, technology-wise, I don't feel too big of a difference between the two. Um, but looking at looking at these you see a huge difference and you see how it affected it. Maybe, maybe it is that way now. I'm not I'm not really educated on that. I can't say. Maybe they are really different, the PlayStation 5 and Series X, you know? Mm. Obviously, we're not really in tune with that kind of tech-heavy stuff. So, 
but uh, super fucking interesting to me. But back to Adult Link, I do want to also say I wanted to bring up this whole thing of how important his impact is to the series as well, because he was a kid in part one, a teenager in Zelda 2, Link to the Past, pretty much a kid again. So this having Adult Link was a big deal. You know, it was a big deal then. And I also think that he kind of casted a shadow over the series for years to come because now people wanted Adult Link. Mm -hmm. And you saw that result in Wind Waker especially. Even Majora's Mask. Um, People loved Majora's Mask because it was a direct continuation of Ocarina. But at the same time, it's like it didn't sell anywhere near that anything Ocarina sold. You know, sequels typically do better and it didn't i think that's why they they kind of just went a different way anyway but then when wind waker came out i was one of those people i i'm sad to admit it now because i played wind waker years later and i loved it i couldn't believe i missed out on that game but i was like oh this is like look at this cartoonish this, these cartoonish graphics and then look, look how he looks so childlike like i don't know i was just oh i guess this is more for kids you know <laughs> yeah and i and i think it's it it definitely hurts the you know nintendo because their whole thing is appealed to to younger generally which has Mm -hmm. been a detriment sometimes to them yeah yeah um this is definitely like what wind waker came out in 2002 i don't remember when start when because we've been in a while where we want things more gritty more dark Mm -hmm. you know i think in general as a as as a uh, consumers of media we've been wanting things to be more dark you know yeah uh, especially, I guess, because the people that at the time were were watching, you know, are growing up and they're the ones spending the money. That's that's a great point. I think that's the main thing, too, because, you know, gaming has been around since the early 80s. I think Nintendo is like the demarcation line of a real like generation. Mm-hmm. And let's say everybody who was like, 10 11 12 around that time okay you can make kid games for them i guess even sega you could say the genesis they they were trying to get a more quote-unquote mature audience more like teenage audience Mm -hmm. and that's the whole thing as like as that time was going on all those people who were gamers as kids were growing up and they wanted more mature stuff you know and then by the time this comes out in 98 like if you're a fan of the original zelda you're you're no longer a kid, you know. Like you're yeah. you're you're now in your twenties, and you're like, especially at that time, it's hard to. I know it is sort of the same now, but especially back then, it was like there was a real stigma about keep playing games after you're a teenager. You're kind of expected to just fucking throw that Nintendo in the closet once you started going to college or get a job or whatever. Nowadays, yeah. it's more common to just. Oh, I'm a gamer. Even at like 35, like oh, I'm a gamer. It's like okay, I, I, you know, that's what that's your hobby, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I, I I think that's uh, just one of yeah. I just think Adult Link was important to that because I I think it gave us like a more mature looking game. So it it made a lot of us feel like okay, this game's for me. Fuck yeah. No, I agree with you. Like I said, the whole uh, Nintendo for such a long time. It's and even still now it's definitely still regarded as like the kids consoles which we were mentioning and it wind waker uh was my favorite zelda which is mm-hmm. the first one i beat like mm-hmm. fully you know it was my first console and you know it was kind of like most people were already moving on to like trying to play games on like 
the Xbox and everything and the PlayStation. Yeah. A lot of people were on PlayStation for sure. And you're you're younger than me, so you were a kid when Wind Waker came out. Yeah, know? but so. but even even so, even though I was a kid, you know, it, it, I mean, there were some people excited for it, but it wasn't like as big as I it should have been. I feel, you know. Yeah, I agree like, with that. I'm ashamed of it. Let me just say that for for loving Zelda so much, and I had played Link to the Past, Ocarina, and Wind Waker, and, and I mean Majora up to that point. I'm just like, fuck, why didn't I play Wind Waker when it came out? It's so yeah. stupid. Like exactly, I and I it. and I did play it, and I was embarrassed, like in case, like you know, just because it felt like it was a kitty thing, and you're supposed to be growing up at that point already. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it was weird. Yeah, it definitely was. All right, back in the Temple of Time. Let's get back to the story. Back in the Temple of Time. We are met with a mysterious figure named Sheik, a surviving member of the Sheikah. We might as well get it out the way here. Sheik is Zelda. That's it. Shocker. <laughs> dun dun dun. Uh, I don't want. I didn't want to continue just to be pretending like okay, it's it's a guy, and then oh, we find out it's Zelda. Actually, no. So she tells us. Well, we'll talk about it later. Obviously, when <laughs> it happens, she tells us that we must go to the five temples to awaken the sages. One in a deep forest, one on a high mountain, one under a vast lake, one within the house of the dead, and one inside a goddess of the sand. She tells us the first sage is a girl we already know in the forest, so very obviously having to be Saria. But before we can go to the forest, we're going to need to find an item in Kakariko Village. We step out of the Temple of Time and head into Hyrule Castle Town. And what we see is kind of shocking. Yes. Like, to say to say it like timid like you yeah. know it's, it's, it's not kind of shocking it was like what the fuck yeah. <laughs> the formerly lively and active marketplace is now your hometown Avi. How do my you- <laughs> hometown my streets are now burnt and barren it's a desolate wasteland with the only thing in sight being zombie-like creatures known as redeads they're terrifying they're extremely slow but if you walk near them they give link this petrifying glance that mm. freezes him in place giving them time to slowly lurch over and wrap their bodies around you like an enormous leech. Yeah. I don't know uh, about you, but for me, the first time I saw them, I sent a chill up my spine. Yeah. I mean, you said that the petrifying glance for Link, that was a petrifying glance they sent me across yeah. the fucking screen. It was like, it was like the ring. <laughs> I was like, oh man, I was scared. This is such a powerful choice on their part to transform the Castle Town marketplace so completely. Every location in Hyrule is changed as Adult Link, but none, none so drastically as this. This looks like a war-torn city that's been bombarded by artillery. And honestly, I think they needed more of this in other areas. It would have driven home the darkness of Ganondorf's reign way more and way better. That's just, for me, that's one of my bigger criticisms is just... They needed to do more to transform the world. Yeah, especially once world. you leave the town. Um, once you leave the castle town yeah. marketplace, you go into Hyrule Field, which hasn't been touched, it looks like. Yeah. There is Pose and like other creatures now that pop up at night. But for the yeah. whole and like for everything that happened in Hyrule Castle Town, it doesn't look like anything was touched here. Exactly. Yeah, and even some of the other places, like, obviously we'll see Zoro's domain is frozen, which mm-hmm. sucks for them, but it's, it still looks beautiful. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> beautiful and it's frozen death. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, it's just, they could have done more. And I think, in particular, if you played Link to the Past, when you go into the dark world in Link to the Past, like, the grass is darker. 
there's mm-hmm. different there is different enemies the enemies themselves are they're not like uh guards anymore they're transformed to these different animals and stuff like that so gotcha. i just think that like playing that you're like oh, okay yeah, yeah. so it's, whatever but it's fine but this the castle town though stands out for sure it stands out yeah but yeah so we head and we head to Cocorico village we find many of the people that used to be in the castle town marketplace are now here almost certainly fleeing for refuge yeah i i love yeah i love that little detail just because you wonder like what happened to all these people mm-hmm. you don't see all of them there so then you just i guess some of them might be redeads if anything yeah, you maybe. know but, so Hopefully that's it's, not but, yeah. but that's one of those cool where they tell the story without telling us like telling you explicitly it's just kind of yeah. through the environment you add those pieces together you know Mm-hmm. The lonely graveyard is now full of eerie pose, and the gravekeeper Dampe is dead, no longer tending to his flock. His diary invites someone to come into his grave. He has a keepsake that he wants to give away for some reason. I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> like, we don't, don't know why know. he wants to like why he has it or why he wants to give it away. But you know, he probably finds stuff. He's lonely. Yeah, the lonely grave. Exactly. That's the thing. People don't know being a gravekeeper is a lonely job. But <laughs> <a> poor guy. <laughs> Yeah. A link becomes a grave robber, basically. Damn right, we baby. We start pulling every <laughs> single tombstone to try to find Dampe's grave. Or maybe you got lucky on the first try. No, I definitely... Everybody's stones has been flipped over on my playthrough. It was just <laughs> like... Even even if I found it the first time, which I did Just didn't. in case there's a, like a rupee or something. Yeah, on the I was like, oh, here's a heart piece. Oh, never mind. This is just skulls and bones. Sorry, uh, my I'm bad. S- I'm sorry, you former king of Hyrule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the worst part is they don't even allow you to put the grave back. No. Just be like, oh, my bad. I'm so sorry. Like, go back to sleep. <laughs> um. Anyway, the gravekeeper wants to race. So we go down into his grave. He wants to race for some reasons that, again, make no fucking sense. This might be, for me, Javi, one of the hardest parts of the game because the camera really works against your favorite here. Dampe throws these balls of fire on the floor, and when you're turning tight corners, they're fucking, they're hard to see, and the camera just messes with you here. I hit them multiple times, start over the race. Like, it's like, God, this is fucking frustrating. <laughs> but anyway, after you finally beat him, he gives you his most prized possession, a hook shot, which again, I don't like for a gravekeeper is like, well, why do you have this? And he gives it to you for, mm-hmm. for reasons, I guess. No. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it doesn't make much narrative sense at all. No. <laughs> and how the hell did Sheik know about the hook shot? I she mean, I guess just get the hook shot. Why didn't you race the goddamn <laughs> dump? If you yeah, knew. you could have teleported to the end. I mean, yeah. I didn't have trouble, but apparently Mike was was having a time at it. <laughs> all right, all right, Hobby, <laughs> you're the greatest. As and you actually, know. <laughs> yeah. Before we move on, I want to point out another full, like, wonderful secret of the graveyard. Mm-hmm. There's a royal family tomb that you can only enter if you use Zelda's lullaby, and inside the grave, you'll get the Sun Song. Yeah. Okay. And then, okay. This is I like this section too for several reasons. Just because, for one, it's a staple song now in the series. But I just love the fact that this is optional. You don't need to do this. You can beat the whole game without ever getting it ever. Mm-hmm. So mm, I just love that because it's the song itself has many functions. Like it's actually really useful. Firstly, primarily, when you play it, it'll change day to night or night to day, depending on what time of day you're on. There's a lot of reasons why you'd want to do that. Like, for one, Ghost Cotillas in the overworld only come out at night, so you can switch on the fly if needed. There's other objectives and missions where you need time to pass, 
like if you want to egg to hatch. So it just makes it faster. It makes it easier. You can also use the song to freeze re-deads, making them much easier to kill. And there's there's even certain spots where you can get special fairies that refill your magic meter when you play the song. So yeah. it's just from a design perspective, I read that many of the Ocarina songs were late editions. Crazy. The name of the game, like Yeah, right. Yeah. Miyamoto said initially they only had like five or six magic spells, but that they didn't leave much of an impression on him. Mm-hmm. So they instead folded those into function into the Ocarina, making it much more valuable, which I guess good choice on their part, especially being the namesake of the game. Is the right decision, especially because like the the three spells that we actually do get are so forgettable, like mm-hmm. Din's Fire, um, Nehru's, I forget what they're called, the other ones, but like one gives you a protective barrier type thing. Like I never use them. Like mm-hmm. you, only, you only need Din's Fire to open the Shadow Temple, and that's yeah, like, that's like really the only time you. That's need That's the it. only one I've I really used multiple times if i use them at all yeah and again like they they can be useful like obviously they're good but i i don't know they just i just didn't enjoy using them that much personally yeah exactly miyamoto also wasn't crazy about the magic element in zelda games Mm -hmm. he prefers to keep them to a minimum for me it just depends on the zelda game usually i don't mind magic elements but it works well in this game to keep the magic minimal. This is a fantasy world, of course, but it's grounded in enough realism that it helped makes it feel like it could have been almost real. Like a corner. like we said, this is kind of like a mythology. So it's that magical realism, it borders tiptoes between those two. And you know what, too, with the ocarina, with the ocarina of itself, I've always been fascinated with that instrument. I never heard of one until I played this game. Like, I just thought it was kind of a made-up instrument. Although, in Link to the Past, you get a flute, and it looks like an ocarina, but they call it a flute. When I was doing the research for this, I found out that in Japan, it's an ocarina, but they renamed it a flute in in NA because they didn't think people would know what it is, you know? Mm. (laughs) Like, okay. We're we're very ignorant. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, okay, cool. One thing I came to find out is that this instrument was created by various cultures over 12,000 years ago, independently of each mm. other. I love that. That's so cool. Yeah, it's, it's just like how dragons are independent of like cultures too. Like they're in different cultures. But yes. Like they have no like, you know, connection between the cultures themselves. I I just I find that so fascinating, like the pyramids too. You know, mm-hmm. like like in Egypt and in, in Mayans, they had pyramids. Like how how the fuck did that happen? <laughs> but that that just makes it feel so right for the game and for like a mythology because it makes the ocarina itself feel almost primordial, like elemental to human civilization. So I don't know. I just enjoy that fact and. I'm glad that it was used for more than just warping and teleporting to right. you know to the next temple. So it was cool. Yeah. It got like the sun song, Saria song, Epona song. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. The, Even the music yeah. sim element of it are kind of underappreciated, in my opinion. Oh yeah, you can play a whole. You can play whole songs on the ocarina, and I've seen people on YouTube do Beatles songs on the ocarina. Yeah, I mean, people make them, you know, like in person and try to like play them. Yeah, but in game, well, you- I mean. To be huh? fair, like I can't play songs on the ocarina. <laughs> right? No, neither can I. But you yeah, can. I have no it's talent possible. yet. It's yeah. possible. Yeah. 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 I'm, like even on the like on the 
Ocarina, like in the game itself, mm-hmm. you can change the pitch by using the C or R trigger. Mm-hmm. And you can change the notes by moving the joystick, or you can change notes by using the joystick. So it's yeah. it's not easy to do, but it's actually like a simulated instrument. Yeah, and it's it like basically a, it's a like a little mini game. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. No, it's that's incredible. It's just cool they have that option there. I love when games do that. Um, Last of Us Two had that with a guitar, and I know that was mm, hard too. But I, I didn't seen people, know that. Yeah, but like people actually play songs on there too. I just it's just so cool. Like why why not add that? You know, it just adds mm-hmm. creativity. It doesn't seem exactly. like it'd be that hard for them to implement. You know, I don't know. Anyway, back on track. Hook hook shot in hand. We make our way back to the only home we've ever known. Entering the Kokiri Forest, we find that where it was once peaceful, it's now full of enemies like Deku Scrubs and Deku Babas. It's a sad sight. A place that once felt so untouched by the outside world has now fallen to Ganondorf's evil. Link treks through the Lost Woods and battles through the sacred forest meadow where Sheik meets Link and teaches him the minuet of the forest. Now he can teleport back here whenever he wants or whenever he needs to. Everything, literally everything Sheik says is poetic. She tells Link, (laughs) the flow of time is always cruel. Its speed seems different for each person but no one can change it. A thing that doesn't change with time is a memory of younger days. It's no wonder Link doesn't say anything. Like, how the <laughs> fuck do you follow that? Like, you just have to, like, you know, you just, like, mesmerize. He, yeah. he does the whole kicking his, putting his hands back and kicking his feet, and you just nod your head, you know? like. Yeah. But, you know. You can't follow that up. That's why no. he's mute. Yeah, so he's just yeah. like, all right cool all these people are like shakespearean taught like (laughs) i'm just like what do i do but yeah but i can't wait for him to talk and then be disappointed at the same time (laughs) oh it's gonna be so disappointing whoever they get we're we're so bad we want it and then we're gonna be disappointed and then we're gonna shit on it yeah yeah we'll do a whole podcast just talking shit how could they (laughs) wait a minute did you say you wanted it no shut up All right, so we're here at the Forest Temple. What do you think? This is our first temple as adult Link. First time we get keys, which is cool. Oh, I definitely, guess. No. <laughs> definitely a lot more difficult. I don't think anybody can dispute that. No, like, at, definitely more difficult than the first three, you know, tutorial dungeons, dungeons almost. Yeah. like you. I think Young You feels like a tutorial once you get to this point. Yeah. Uh, the, the one thing I will say, and it's kind of a like a recurring theme for me with these dungeons is I hate the backtracking sometimes, mm. especially because I wasn't able to play the, like, uh, just continuously, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, yeah. so some things bothered me, especially just because of the quality of quality of life stuff, like the saving in the game, mm-hmm. you would always have to restart the dungeon, but more, yeah. more so was, uh, I guess I don't pay enough attention because there's some <laughs> like, I, you know, I was like trying to find keys and going into the different rooms. And there was one part where I got stuck super bad in this dungeon. So it was actually okay. somewhat difficult in that sense. But it was just me being stupid and not paying attention. Like the overall actual like combat. I did like a lot of I like I did like this dungeon. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of like different kind of combats you had to do. There was the whole uh, moving uh Twisting rooms and stuff. So good. So mm-hmm. good. But and, it was and just the cinematic like, I just they used for it. Yeah, the cinematic. Oh, the cinematic was great. Yeah. Was and so obviously good. you got the my favorite weapon in the whole game, probably the the fairy bow. I love this dungeon. Um I, I do think it's more difficult. It's probably one of the more difficult ones. And 
again, looking back on my first playthrough, I'm curious if you got stuck the same place I did because mm-hmm. that's I, why I didn't say I wanted to see. <laughs> yeah, okay. So this first, I remember this so vividly, but I got I got stuck because I couldn't find one key, and that key ended up being the one in the first room at yep, the top, the very beginning <laughs> on top of the tree. Exactly, same exact thing for me. Uh, and uh, like I, I don't know why I'll never forget that because I, I was stuck for I don't know an hour, two hours. I don't know how long it, I don't know how long it was back then, but it was just like it was for a while. And then finally, I just got so frustrated. I was like, let me just go back to the beginning and fucking search every single inch of everything. And then I was like, what the fuck? Where is it? Yeah. And then it's funny looking at this when I replayed it for this playthrough. I kind of specifically looked for that. And of course, uh-huh. in the first, as you walk into the temple, the first cutscene they show you, they show you the key. Yeah, and yeah. That, that's what I'm saying. Where I just didn't pay attention because I vividly don't remember seeing the key up there. I was mm-hmm. like, "Why are they showing me this?" Mm-hmm. But <laughs> like, that's what is, my fault. <laughs> yeah. What is this tree? Like, who cares? Just get yeah. us, fucking <laughs> get to the action. <laughs> exactly. Um. Yeah, a couple of things I'll highlight that I really enjoyed about this temple. For one, the song is incredible. It's fucking like it's an all timer for me. I just think it's sad, haunting, scary mm. all at once. Um, this is the first dungeon where we we fight Stalfos. We get we fight uh two Stalfos, mm, and they're yeah, very and they're fun. More, yeah, and they're they're more difficult than. Than like the Zolfos because they have shields, you know, mm-hmm. they they have better tactics in that way. Um, the fact that so with, part of the first thing is that we had to get the four pose so that we can light the four yes, torches. yeah, that was the whole point, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're the mini boss. That mini boss was cool, but the other thing I really like about it is that you to get the pose you have to do different things. Um, two of them, you for two of them, you have to shoot the the pictures, the paintings. Mm-hmm. but one of them you have to kind of solve that one puzzle where you move the blocks and create the picture or whatever yes um, and then that last one you had to fight in the middle and you get kind of the mini boss so yeah that one wasn't too bad it was it was kind of fun actually yeah i thought it was fun because then you had to it's four of them circling you you had to fight and find the fake one so i mm-hmm. just i i really enjoyed that and we'll talk about later in the gerudo section where you you have to fight four guards and it's the same and it's just mm-hmm. kind of like i like in this one they do it different for each yeah. thing so it exactly keeps it fresh and then um as well as uh this was i think uh, one of the dungeons where i actually really really liked the final boss mm, yeah because it, in some of the dungeons the mini boss almost outshined them yeah i agree i agree this, but this one's an all-timer <laughs> like, yeah this one was amazing and, it, and definitely one of my favorite boss fights of the game yeah phantom ganondorf i think is probably the most unique one is so Dude, different and you, did you not think he was gonna be like you were fighting like i i when i first saw it i was like oh shit am i gonna fight ganon and he he underestimates us and loses kind of shit yeah, I re- I remember because I I definitely didn't catch it right away that it was not him. It mm-hmm. said like his name shows up there. It says Phantom Ganondorf and some some sub name or whatever. Yeah, but I was so hyped that I I didn't catch it the first time I played it in '98. I was like, oh, this is Ganon. What the fuck? And then after you beat him, uh, Ganon then talks to you and he's like, oh, you just beat like this fucking yeah. whatever. And I was like, oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I mean the the mechanics of it, the whole painting thing 
it's cool the aesthetic and everything um i think uh you were mentioning before we talked about it i forget what what did you say it, it looked like a some movie. oh yeah uh it, it, one of the reasons it's like I, I enjoyed it so much too is like the it reminded me a lot of like sleepy hollow oh that's it gave right me sleepy hollow vibes yeah yeah like even though it's not a headless horseman but the exactly. fact that it was a horseman and then also like the paintings the pictures, had that, yeah. yeah the paintings exactly that that very gothic look a sleepy hollow look but definitely all timer i agree I, I i love the boss and the temple is just fucking it's top notch <laughs> top notch so after we defeat phantom ganondorf we speak to saria and she gives us the forest medallion you can feel how melancholy the world is for saria here she tells link it is destiny that you and I can't live in the same world. Mm. They use this side angle where you can see grown-up Link on the left and still body of a child, Saria, on the right. Pretty, and it just yeah. really drives home how much has changed and what both Link and Saria lost in the process. The time they lost and the friendship they had their whole life will never be the same. I'm also fond of the way of the after the temple cutscenes, the way they cut out because they fade to white screen like it's almost as you're leaving the sacred realm and then you just see text on the screen where Saria says, you'll always be my friend. And I don't know if they intended it that way. I I guess that they do, but the way they present it to me, I always just read it as if it's like a whisper as mm, you're being torn yeah. away. I don't know. Yeah. It's just so beautiful. I, I, I love the way they do that. Yeah. It, it also, you know, kind of, makes sense to the theory that they basically die as they become sages yes yes Ooh, so, and now that, that'll come up a lot too throughout when we talk about the other yeah, sages yeah. but uh, but anyways yeah we awaken outside in front of our long dead dad great deku tree <laughs> fun Link notices a small branch growing from the ground mm -hmm. it looks fresh and new too yeah suddenly a little sprout pops up <laughs> yeah. and it's so funny i love it it presents itself as the deku tree sprout That's now right. that zarya broke the curse of the forest temple the deku tree can regrow with new life the young sapling reveals an incredible secret to us the reason we've grown after these seven years and the kokiri have stayed children is because link is not kokiri by blood <gasps> not a big shocker to us we knew but, but i think just the fact that it's explicitly said is what's crazy. Yeah. Especially because yeah. basically they say Link is a Hylian. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, oh my God. Yeah. And he was brought to the Deku tree years ago by a distressed and mortally wounded mother. That's that's brutal, honestly. Mm -hmm. This is all text too. It sucks out, you know. We can't have it voiced, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she was fleeing a devastating civil war being fought in Hyrule mm -hmm. that brought the world to its knees. And the Deku tree can sense something special in that boy, Link, and decided to take him in and raise him un as a Kokiri until mm -hmm. the time would be where the boy can fulfill his destiny. Yeah. So the, I, the great Deku tree knew we were him as soon as he saw yeah, him. Yeah. Oh, this is him. He's here. It's Neo. <laughs> he's the one. <laughs> I, I, he's the one. I definitely wish we got even more of this. I know they like to keep Link's backstory as vague as possible. That's by design because he's supposed to be easy for anyone to relate to. But man, like a full cutscene would have been incredible here. Uh, mm -hmm. The text was cool though; it was cool seeing the story. I think yeah. as a I think as a player, we feel such a deep sympathy for Link at the thought of his mother dying and sacrificing herself to get him to safety. 
and him being raised as an orphan outcast yeah. Is yeah exactly only to be raised as an outcast too like god damn yeah. <laughs> fucking he who, who should not be named <laughs> and the rest of them it's really dark and grim and uh, props to nintendo for doing it and it was mm-hmm. it was kind of funny getting this backstory this specific backstory from the cute little deku's problem yeah that's my favorite part about it yeah, yeah exactly because he's it's... so cartoonish too it's not only that yeah. it's a small deku tree but it's like he looks like a little it looks almost wind waker ish you know yeah the, which the is style. funny enough i think he is yeah. <laughs> he is the deku tree from the wind waker yeah true true so he grows up you know <laughs> so he grows up and stays cartoony <laughs> damn right good for him be who you are be be who you are yeah, yeah. but all right so one domain saved I know we finished the temples earlier and we said one down, two to go, but now yeah. it's one domain saved, four more to go. Yeah. This <laughs> and time for it. real, though. This time, <laughs> yeah, this time for it. real until, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> until Manjaro's mask, <laughs> if, if you count that. Yeah. We head back to the Temple of Time to get further instruction from Sheik. She tells us we could put the Master Sword back in the stone and travel back in time seven years. Okay, that... Of course, changes everything. I guess everybody probably knew this. Um, maybe I'm just dumb, but like, I didn't know that you're gonna be able to go back. Like, I, I, I didn't. I didn't. I think people probably just did it immediately too, cause just out of curiosity. I just, I tend to go like, oh, they told me I gotta go get the hook shot. All right, I'm on my way. You know, it was awesome. It changes everything. If now you can do quests that changes stuff when you're young link to adult link, and it just completely changes how you play the game i think ocarina did a better job of integrating the time travel aspect in big set pieces as opposed to link to the past with the light and dark world Mm. that was good but i will say just as a criticism overall link to the past utilized the dark world much better to do like little stuff like getting heart pieces and stuff like that there's a lot of cool places in link to the yeah, past yeah it made it made it like an actual like mechanic instead of just this like teleport that you can that you have to like go out of your way almost yeah yeah and that, that's the main difference because you always got to come back to the temple of time to 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 change whereas like for example in link to the past to get into the last dungeon turtle rock like you have to teleport multiple times as you're maneuvering through death mountain you know, because ah. there's certain places you can only get in the dark world, and then you teleport back, and then you got to blah, 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 like that. So it's cool. They integrated better in that sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just, it was awesome. This was awesome. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Now, <laughs> as we see, a lot of the quests involve that, you know, yeah. to, to, to do both things. On the subject of like traveling, time travel, mm-hmm. let's 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 talk a little bit about one of my favorite side quests, mm-hmm. and that is a side quest to get Epona. <laughs> Oh, I traveling, think. traveling to the okay. <laughs> through time, not yeah. th- not traveling, you know, but traveling on the road. Okay, I think most players probably try to get her as early as possible. It was kind of exciting seeing her, you know, in promotional stuff. Mm-hmm. And of course, she's optional. You don't, you can beat the entire game without ever even knowing that you can get her. Like which is, literally, yeah, which is incredible. That's crazy. You know, like if if you went in without even knowing about Epona, if you don't go to Lon Lon Ranch, you never see her. Yeah, and even but, if you go to Lon Lon Ranch, doesn't guarantee you're gonna get her. You mm-hmm. don't even know. Yeah, I I like this kind of like this structure, this side quest, and many others in this game do. Mm-hmm. And it's something I think some games do now but i do wish it was used more often where it's like these are not necessarily not important mm-hmm. they are yeah. they can be important to this like the, the story 
and the lore almost of the game. And I mean, the Epona changes the way you play the game almost yeah, completely. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely yeah, so a, the, a lost art as far as like AAA games go. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I know indie games do do more of this, but like AAA games do seem yeah, to be Yeah, something like uh, uh, Elden Rings is a good example, or just Souls in general. I think they, mm-hmm. they, they stay true to this. Yeah. Because there's uh, so many things you can completely miss depending on how you play. Yeah, it's up to you to explore and figure it mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Okay. So, yeah, let, we're talking about Epona. Let's let's speed run this and walk through it. Let's let's speed run this. Uh, getting Epona and bask in its intri- intricacy. In order to get Epona, first you must meet Malin and her father Talon, the owner of Lon Lon Ranch. So this is part of the main quest. You can't miss this. You're gonna have to yeah. do this to get through it, regardless. Right. But again, there's no indication that this is this is a side quest. Yeah. yeah. Other than that, they they let you know where Lon Lon Ranch is. is. Yeah, exactly. So after you meet them, you can find them in Lon Lon Ranch, which is basically the only other significant location. Actually, it is the only yeah, significant it is location literally inside <laughs> of Hyrule, and it's almost impossible to miss because it's right in front of Hyrule Castle. Yeah. If you visit the ranch as a child, you'll find Malin singing a song along with an orange pony. You can talk to her a couple of times and pull out the ocarina in front of her and she'll teach you the song she's singing. Yeah. She teaches you Epona's song. And you'll notice that after you play, Epona will come near you and bump you kind of lovingly, like kind of yeah, like nudging you almost. You're friends now. She yeah. she likes you now. It's important the right power there too. Of music again, right? Of course, and it's such a beautiful song. I love that song too. I love, mm-hmm. I love that she sings it, and then you get the Ocarina version, which is cool. Yeah. Um, also, that part of his a little detail is cool too. Is like you don't automatically get that dialogue either. Like you need to pull out the Ocarina. You know, it's you don't just talk to her and then she tells you like, oh, okay, let me teach you a song. Like you actually have to pull it out and then she'll be like, oh, hey, let me let me teach you a song. You know. Yeah. And then I'm not sure. Do you have to talk to her a couple of times or can you just talk to her once and then pull out the ocarina? Um, that detail I don't remember specifically. Mm-hmm. I just know for me, it's like I had to talk to her at least once, and then okay. and then I probably just talked to her again, and then like finally, to try to understand. Then you're like, yeah, oh, wait a second. Yeah, let me pull it out. Okay, there you go. Okay, now when you come back to Lon Lon Ranch as an adult, the evil farmhand Ingo has stolen the ranch from Talon. He's bent on raising a horse that he can give to Ganondorf personally. For 10 rupees, Ingo will allow you to ride the horses in his care for a minute. Once you pay, you can ride on any horse in there inside the, inside the stables, except for one orange one who won't allow you to mount. There's only one orange one, so... Yeah, so of course, <laughs> this is the same pony you met seven years ago. Mm-hmm. So when you play the song Malin Taught You, Epona will come towards you and allow you to ride. Mm-hmm. Once on Epona, you go through this little, like, challenge of, like, jumping over and you can get some rupees and stuff. Yeah. You're basically learning how to ride a horse. Yeah. And he, once you talk to Ingo, he'll challenge you to a race at a wager of 50 rupees. If you beat Ingo, he'll panic at his loss and offer a, a second race. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like a double or nothing almost. Like, you know, he's a he's a he's a gambler at heart. He's so and cartoony here too. He's like, ah, ah like I can't believe I lost all yeah. 50 rupees. I don't know yeah. how much. I mean, he should have more than that. I don't know. <laughs> but he was devastated. Broke ass. Uh-huh. But if you win, you get to keep the horses what he offered. Yeah. So on the second course, race. He'll, second he'll race. yeah, he'll offer a second race. If, and if you win, then you can yeah. keep the horse. We beat you beat him handily, and he becomes inconsolable. Yeah. <laughs> and then he realizes the pony he or the horse. I'm sorry, it's not a pony anymore. Yeah. The the horse you were riding is Epona, 
and that's the horse he just basically gave away for yeah. free almost because you get your money back. <laughs> I gotta say, not too observant from our man Ingo because it's like, bro, there's yeah. one orange horse here. Like, you didn't know that was Epona right. while you were racing. <laughs> to make matters worse, this is the horse he had intended to give to Ganondorf. Oh my God. And he can't <laughs> believe how badly he messed up. Granted, uh, I think it would have been worse if he gave Ganon a horse that wouldn't accept him. Right? Like, fucking Epona's like tossing Ganon out. That would have been yeah. fucking incredible. But, much to my surprise, he keeps his word and lets us keep the horse. Yay, okay, now we can ride out, right? Nope. He tells us we will never leave the ranch and slams the gate on us. <laughs> From there, you're that's it. If you yeah. got stuck here, you're done. That's <laughs> game over. Game. Turn it off. Can't get out. <laughs> I was like, fuck, this fucking game. <laughs> and I actually, speaking of this part, I actually did, I had trouble jumping over because what you're supposed to do is there's this fence in the back. Keep like, mm -hmm. you know, the rest of the fence. Yeah. And you're supposed to do what you were taught during the, basically the little mini game before the race mm -hmm. and jump over. But I had trouble kind of like lining it up correctly. So it took me a couple of tries. But eventually we get this amazing cutscene, which is one of my favorites of the game. No, it definitely is. I mean, it also, like, to be fair, I feel like that gate looks bigger than any gate. You uh, yes, through. it yeah. does look give bigger. So I'm yeah. like, where the hell? Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember getting a little kind of like, what the fuck? A little confused what to do. But yeah, that scene is so incredible once you get it. It's freaking, what a side quest, you know? It's just, but everything about this quest is incredible because... It's just so satisfying because at no moment does the game give you a quest log or a mission title. No. Get a horse or free right. Pona. There's nothing like that. That's what we're saying about this game design where it's like you have to figure these things out on your own that you don't they don't hold your hand. They give you a bunch of really heavy clues. Yes. You know, like you know, <laughs> very heavy handed, I guess, clues, you know. But... I mean, literally the first things you hear in the title screen, you don't see anything. You just hear Epona's Epona galloping through Hyrule Field. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you should know that you can get a horse at some point. Yeah. And then there's so many heavy clues, but again, they don't tell you, so it just makes it satisfying. Yeah. Uh, it, it's very... Uh, Majora's Mask has a very similar style. They do give you a quest log, but mm -hmm. even the, with, with the quest log, it doesn't mean it's just guiding you. Yeah, and Majora is more like kind of writing down what you've already seen. Exactly. You know? Yeah, it's basically yeah. like, oh, look, you talked to this guy. Oh, mm. I guess, you know, maybe there's something here kind of like. And it's a, just as a reminder, I think yeah. that that's something that they learned as a, like a quality of life. They don't have to give you the side quest exactly, mm -hmm. but they can give you the reminder. So in, especially with the case of games like, you know, where the saving isn't great. Mm -hmm. uh, like you once you save your basic. I mean, technically, I guess in Ocarina, you can save whenever you want. Mm -hmm. right but it still like would leave you at specific spots on the map it wouldn't be wherever you left off yeah and then in manjara's you save at the totems yes you know yeah. so it's a it was nice as it was almost like they're learning which was really good they're learning very quickly like oh okay this was kind of an uh, annoying trying to remember this stuff especially if you couldn't uh Especially with the way they frame that game too. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Majora is such a different style game. It, it's 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 hard to compare. Right, but but the but they but the but the entirety of the game from both mm. of these is these organic hints they give. Exactly, you. it's the and it just makes you feel accomplished and smart when you actually figure it yeah. out. <laughs> well, you like you uh, like you and you ought to think I'm so smart. You know, that's it. <laughs> exactly, I'm so smart. Every I think a lot of people can naturally just feel I'm a, I'm smart. I'm smart. Yeah. You know. Uh, 
and it, it feels like a secret, mm -hmm. you know, but it's so masterfully designed that it's not a secret, <laughs> you know, like this is obviously planned, but it feels like a secret. Yeah. And which is, I guess a lot of games have stuff like that. Well, but no, but that's the thing different. is like, they don't anymore oh, again. And again, I'm specifically talking about like triple A games. So this is not me like complaining about how games are nowadays when I know there's so many great mm -hmm. indie games this way, but I'm just saying like, Assassin's Creed in particular, I think about, or like Horizon, even God of War. It's mm, like, yeah, you, you're, you're specifically talking about like the way. Yeah. Like that guide it, you. exactly. They give you a marker on the map and there's just almost no mystery to it. And mm -hmm. sometimes, okay, that's, that's fine. I just want to get through it, especially when in a combat heavy game, you just care about the combat or whatever. But yeah, well, but if yeah. a game of a big element of it is discovery and puzzle solving and all that, then it's annoying having that they hold your hand that aggressively mm -hmm. it almost forces you to actually like you're actually have to pull out a diary and write down what you've in this yeah and then, again that's yeah. why it's cool with majora because it's just kind of jotting down to remember hints that's fine but if, yeah. if it would have told you like okay now go see the mailman so that you can get the letter <laughs> then you'd be like come on like don't <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah it's just immensely satisfying there there's a like the Begoron quest here, like we won't go in depth mm. about that one, but it's it's the same thing. You start off with this small little thing, is they somebody gives you an egg to hatch, and by the end of the quest, it takes you ten different directions. At the end of the thing, you get the most powerful weapon in the story. You would never know. Like there's nothing that you have no idea where this quest is even leading you. You're just uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're 100%. just doing all these different tasks. Like, okay, hatch the egg, take it to wake up this person. Now take the seesaw to this person, and then this gives you a mushroom. And this mushroom, you know, in a way, is a bunch of fetch quests, but different things. But still, it just it just leads to this yeah. great thing. So it's awesome. Yeah, and not to say that that's not to say that every side quest is so good. No, either. definitely not. Uh, there's a lot of them are not great. The mass side quest, for example. And of course the overarching one that I don't think you can get done in, unless you beat almost all the game, which is the gold scotilla yeah. hunting. The, and that doesn't, does it just doesn't give you enough. I like, and I like the gold scotillas. I just don't like the rewards they give you for it. And that's, that's the main issue. But before that, though, I would, the mass thing, too, is even funny because the mass thing is it's not that good in this game. But I feel like almost like they knew that. That's why they designed Majora all around because the masks are awesome Bro, yeah, in Majora. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I collected all the yeah. masks. So at the very end, you get the deity yeah. mask. And uh, I had the fairy sword as mm -hmm. well. Right. But I, I still took on the first couple forms of the boss with like just my regular mm -hmm. weapons. And then I was like, okay, let me put on the deity mask now that it's like changing forms again to its final form. Let me go to my final form kind yeah. of thing, right? Because I hadn't, and I had never used it in battle because you don't get it till the end of the mm -hmm. game. And I literally killed the boss in like two <laughs> seconds. It was just like, I was just, you know, like the, 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 how a lot of the master sword powers is like when it's full strength, it throws like the beam, the, 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 yeah. the beam. That's basic. That's a lot what it was giving you. And I was like, oh my God. And it, it was doing probably as much damage as, the most even more damaging than the fairy sword if i'm not mistaken yeah no so i was able to kill it just like that i know yeah so but you in majora for sure like the mask is fucking like this awesome i think they <laughs> wanted to write that wrong here and with the scotillas yeah. again it was it was it was more the rewards because like with when you when you get like 40 okay so there's a hundred to collect when you get 40 
you get the bomb shoes. That's a lot of. Yeah. Co- if, it was, if it was ten, yeah. maybe that would be fine. The other ones are pretty cool when you get like bigger wallets because you you kind of need it for some stuff. But then really, yeah. not really, because then, for example, then with when you get fifty Skulltulas, you get a heart piece. By the time you get that's half of the Skulltulas, and you get one heart piece, maybe a full heart. That would have been good. Then the worst one, the one that's in so insulting, is when you get all of them. And then you get a big rupee, which is two hundred. Okay, mm-hmm. that's it. And then you can you can go out and in, and they'll just you can get infinite money basically. Okay, mm, who cares? Yeah. Money sucks in this game. That's another thing. It's like the economy in this game sucks. Yeah, the the economy in this game is lifeless. Anything worth buying mm-hmm. is like the tunics and shields. You already get them for free yeah. anyways. The only shield you care about, or the only shield you probably will lose, is the Deku yeah. shield. I mean, there's a chance you lose the the Hylian shield, but you're more often than not going to lose a Deku shield. And you're not really using that yeah. anymore. The only other thing is what arrows and bombs, but you can get those just, just you know, leave and enter an area <laughs> and hit the hit the leaves. Or they're the littered, yeah, they're littered all over the overworld and every everywhere you go. So it's just kind of like, that's one of those things where this game is weak is where... Yeah, the reward for the biggest side quest is just so anti yeah, it's worthless. But anyway, back to Epona. This is well, this was another aspect of the game that came later in development. So it definitely was something they always wanted, but they were unsure if they could accomplish it. The horse riding and the creation of Hyrule Field go hand in hand. The whole reason they really wanted the big Hyrule Field was just to give a place for the horse to be able to gallop. That's that's the whole purpose of it. Yeah, Miyamoto joked that he purposely put themselves mm-hmm. in a corner. Quote, we started by testing whether we could have two horses out at once. We thought if we could do that, then we could make other forms of play for that grassland. It went well, so we made a demo video with two <laughs> horses. <laughs> we showed that at Nintendo Space World, and I was like, now that we've shown this, there's no backing out. End quote. He's so devious. <laughs> he, yeah, he seems like he's just like he he asked like Inuma or Kazumi. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, hey, do you guys think you can do this? Like, it was like, I don't know. Uh, well, I already put a video out, so. <laughs> They're like, no, that actually, that's impossible. He's like, okay, I put a cutscene like, out. So everybody thinks this gameplay. So, yeah, <laughs> like, so, yeah, so make make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you yeah. have two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best way to do it, man. He made it happen. Uh, but yeah, Miyamoto said he had a deep love of Westerns growing up as a boy. He used to grab two aluminum cups and make them make gallop sounds on the school playground. Horse riding was just something he'd wanted in Zelda for a long time. Similarly, I know that he wanted Mario to be able to ride a dinosaur since the first one. When he gets an idea in his head, he he he's mm-hmm. gonna make it happen. Whether you mean he runs, yeah, with it. it took him like six, seven, six years to get Yoshi out, but he did it. But yeah, luckily. Yeah, so luckily here they were able to do yeah, it. Yeah, they well. were able to pull it off. Um, we talked a lot about how Miyamoto thought about the cinematic flair. Well, the opponent jumping over the Long Long Ranch cutscene is so iconic. And that was something that he asked for them to do very specifically. That ex- like the exact camera angle and how the even the sun reflected on the camera. He wanted that exactly. So when he wants something like that cinematic, like. He's not afraid to ask for it. And it's just one cutscene, but it's fucking iconic. It's a, it's. Mm-hmm. I always remember that. I'll never forget it. Yeah, and this really helps as far as for Hyrule Field because Hyrule Field is pretty barren. <laughs> to you think like to, to say yeah. the least. <laughs> but with Epona, it makes it a little bit more bearable. Yeah. If you never got Epona in your playthrough, I can see someone completely despising the mm-hmm. overworld. 
because you're just trudging through it, probably rolling over and over, you know, trying to <laughs> yeah, speed things yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think I would have too, yeah. you know, but I think with her, it makes traveling just a little bit more fun because it's just, you know, maybe not nowadays because, you know, I'm so used to kind of that kind of stuff. But I still enjoyed it, but I'm sure at the time it was very, it was very uh, endearing to see Link on the, on oh, the horse. Oh, yeah. It, it felt just like a new experience in a way and to have have them right mm-hmm. on in a 3d in 3d on a horse it's just cool like um yeah i also think that while you don't do much while traveling it does enough to add a sense of distance time and adventure without becoming too oppressive so i know that for me i sought out epona immediately as adult link until i figured it out like I, I, that's the first thing i did and i got it early yeah. in my first playthrough so I mean, Link is writing her on the title screen, like I said, for fuck's sake. So like you, you knew there had to be yep. a way. So yeah, and they exactly. did that intentionally so people wouldn't miss her. And we we got off the track a little bit, but let's jump back into the All main right. quest. We're off to Death Mountain. We visit the Goron City to find it completely mm-hmm. barren. Where this is, we're remember we're, we're tasked to find the Fire yeah. Temple. So this is we're going yeah. back. Everyone is gone except for a small Goron rolling around in a circle. When you stop him, you find out his name is Link. Woo! Woo! It's like, whoa, like, okay, I'm about to yeah. sue you for... <laughs> Copyright infringement, like trademark yeah. infringement. But, yeah, but of course you find out that this is Darunia's son, and he named his son after Aww. you. We knew him for a day, not even a full day, yeah. and he, he named his son after us. That's 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 that's. So yeah, some right people there. talk about it. Darunia is about it. He's, he's about that fucking... Yeah. That's true brotherhood right there. Exactly. Well, anyway, Baby Link <laughs> tells you that Ganondorf <laughs> took all the Gorons to the Fire Temple and revived the ancient dragon, Bovagia. Ganondorf plans to feed the Goron to the fearsome monster as a grim warning to the rest of the Hylian world. Disobey, and you will suffer his merciless wrath. Darunia left in hot pursuit and went to the Fire Temple to save his people. Ganondorf is not fucking around, guys. It's funny when you play the game because it just never feels that dark and then you see baby link he's all cute and all that especially because he's rolling around just like i'm just gonna chill play yeah it's just it seems very like okay but then this is some apocalyptic type shit here (laughs) like ganondorf is not fucking around he's gonna kill everybody and now so we head to dorinia's chamber which is the only place Mm -hmm. we know and we find a secret passage and it leads us to the inner core of Mm -hmm. death mountain Sheik is there waiting for of us. Of course. Just, thank you. Oh, yeah. Why, timing, as why didn't you just take us there? Like, Sheik, come on. Fuck. She also must have the best, uh, what is it, fashion designer or whatever yeah. you would call it, because she does not need any fireproof. I know. We're at all. sweating. We're dying. Like, we're yeah, we're, we're sweating. <laughs> yeah. And like, she's over here, like, I mean, she, she teaches us the bolero of fire and spits some poetry just like she mm-hmm. always does and leaves. This was one of my favorite scenes, but the fire temple for me, uh, I had a little bit more trouble than I'd like to admit. <laughs> How was it for you? Yeah, I I like this temple a lot, too. When I first played it, that, for, that big center room is the one that I kind of got a little stuck on because... I think it has like five or six doors. I can't remember, yeah, but some of them are in different levels too. Yeah, right? well, that's that's another part of it because then you got to go to the second floor. But on the bottom side, you there's there's some bombable walls too, and that was that's the yeah. thing I had trouble with because I I couldn't find that wall. It was one of those things you mentioned it before. I like sometimes you forget mechanics, and that's something that I forgot. Like that if you if you oh. hit the door, if you hit a wall and it sounds more hollow, 
then it's bombable. Right. And I just it something that wasn't clicking in my head right away. Yeah, that was a big deal in the maze mm-hmm. room, like the little maze room. Yeah. yeah. Um, this one definitely was one of the one of my struggles. This was definitely like I felt like oh damn, like they they it definitely felt like a jump in difficulty mm. for me, and uh, I got not necessarily oh no it was i got lost i was backtracking like crazy i spent the i think out of all the temples this was the one i spent the most time Mm, on i'm surprised by that i because like i think it is difficult but i actually think the forest temple is more difficult than this one Mm. Um, but you said different people with different experiences um Mm -hmm. as far as the the mini bosses they were cool the ones that's the ones where you have to pull pull them with the hook shot and then you and then you hit them with the hammer i believe or no, you can just you can just slice them up too, but the hammer the hammer uh, was a cool the dancer yeah the dancer yeah, it was a dancer yeah but the the hammer is a really cool item too I think it's just yeah. a disappointment because I think they could have used it better overall I really like the weapon mm-hmm. I, I I think it would have been cool if you could have used it as like a melee weapon that had different moves but he just does the same it's just the one yeah. yeah yeah this also was one of the ones where similar to the forest temple. There was that thing in the very beginning that I just completely forgot mm-hmm. and was stuck like for yeah. thirty minutes trying to <laughs> figure out where to yeah. go. Yeah, oh yeah, I remember that too. Where you where you have to this it's like a statue that you have to hit with the hammer and it, and it reveals a door. Yeah, you you knock the two pieces of it away and then the door yeah, reveals. Very yeah, I agree. With you. I remember being a little stuck on that too. Yeah, no, it's, but it's a great temple overall. What'd you think of the boss, Bobagia? I, I really enjoyed the boss. Me too. Uh, it was definitely one of the harder ones, I would say as well. Like this, just like this temple was not my jam. Like in like in in terms of how much trouble mm. I had, but I did like the boss. It was just it did a lot of damage if you missed if you missed up any time. Yeah, and the I think the falling rocks was a good addition because oh. it, it makes it harder. Mm-hmm. I didn't have too much trouble with this boss. I don't remember how much trouble I had with it when I first played it. I definitely had no trouble with it in the 3DS version, ah, okay, but okay, I okay. don't, I also like, it was really easy to dodge the rocks in the 3DS version. I don't remember if on the 64 one, it's kind of harder to see them coming down with the shadows, but it's one of those, it's probably an improvement on the 3DS version. Like the graphics helps you dodge them really easily. It's no, no issue. Um, mm, I but I, I just love this boss in general too, just cause it feels the most mythological to me. Cause it's a dragon, you know, and it looks fucking sick inside the mm-hmm. volcano, and it's just the aesthetic of it. Ugh. For me, this was one of the bosses from the ones we've gotten that really felt like the sorcery yeah, and sword. Yeah, tale. for sure. Because yeah. it's a dragon flying out. You mentioned to me too at one point. You're like, it, it is crazy though, because it's not like a traditional dragon. Yeah, it's not your traditional sword and uh, sorcery mm-hmm. and sword dragon. It feels kind of like the, the the Chinese dragon with the long body and the arms, and it didn't have any wings. Yeah, it was funny. I had never thought of that till you told me, and I was like, "Damn, you're right. That's it. it isn't like it's it's kind of out of place in that way. Like this is supposed to be more of a mm-hmm. medieval style, and then it's like Chinese dragons." Was but for for yeah. some reason it worked. It worked. You know? It worked. It didn't amazingly. take me out of it. I, I loved it. Exactly. All right. So after we defeat the dragon boss, it comes to no one's surprise that Darunia ends up being the fire sage. He thanks us, pledges his everlasting brotherhood, and gives us the fire medallion. Two fucking down, baby. Also, really quick with him, you know how you mentioned before we think the sages m- might have died. He's the one who seems to me the most that's that is like a death because he goes in to fight the dragon. Right. 
without, without the yeah hammer. without the hammer so then it's just kind of one of those things like what happened to him well he was just holding him off until we came until someone came like he was he definitely he was he was like so they're like no don't go you don't have your hammer he's like someone will come but yeah they need time and, and that part we, oh we didn't discuss that but i just want to say that real quick the fact that the thing that made the temple really cool is having the gorons in inside the cells the prison, oh, the prison, prisoners. they were prisoners, yeah, because we were yeah, breaking them out. Yeah, because they were being ready to be eaten, basically, and they're, like, shaking. It's really dark, and I love that. It was such, such a good addition to it because it really adds to the urgency of it. Um, so it was a great choice on their part. Mm -hmm. While we're here, let's check in with our good friend Vogler. We're back, baby, and his guide to the hero's journey. <laughs> step five, we talked about earlier, about crossing the threshold. Well, now step six in the hero's journey is about the hero encountering tests and helpers. Vogler writes, quote, the hero is forced to make allies and enemies in the special world and to pass certain tests and challenges that are part of his or her training. This just obviously fits like a glove. It's it's pretty much the structure of 70, 80 percent of the game. It's all about tests and helpers. Like, that's it. We spend the majority of our time in the dungeons and, temp and temples encountering these tests, and we spend our time making allies with the sages and the people of Hyrule as well as making mortal enemies with the big fucking Goron who sold us a faulty fucking Bagoron sword. But that's just me. I'm just saying, like, fuck that bitch. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. I, I did get the Bagoron. The, the fake sword, one, yeah. The you fucking one, yeah. swindled us for yeah. 200 rupees, motherfucker. Yeah. Like, <laughs> God damn it. But we now, we have to now leave the fire temple. We're done. We, we mm -hmm. saved them. We lost our big brother, mm -hmm. basically. And now we must find the temple under mm -hmm. the vast lake. And so obviously we head to the Zoro domain to get some yeah. much needed items. We find that the land of the Zoros is completely frozen mm -hmm. over with no Zoro in sight other than the king who sits on his lonely throne encased in a mysterious mm -hmm. red ice. In Zoro's fountain, Lord Jabu Jabu mm -hmm. is gone. There's a small dungeon here where we acquire the iron boots and blue fire. The iron boots allow us to sink to the bottom and walk yeah. on waterbeds. We use the blue fire, and this is the kind that you have. It's not like an item you get. You have to you use have to your, bottle it up. Yeah, uh, you have to bottle, bottle it up it. and then just drop it. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah which unfortunately, like we, why can't we just yeah, use dim fire yeah. or something, you know? But whatever, whatever. Special, it's special, special ice, ice, special fire. We have to use, yeah, because we like you said, like uh, the king is in a mysterious yeah. red ice. So we take the blue fire and unfreeze mm -hmm. him. And he gives us the blue tunic, which that this way you didn't have to pay for it. If you had to buy it already, yeah. then tough. And luck. you uh, <laughs> just to say, like you could, you can buy it in the store inside Zora's Fountain, which you have to open with with the fire. So they give you the option, but again, it's like you, like you don't technically have to unfreeze the king, but I, I think everybody did. Yeah, like I think you wanted yeah. to see what he would say. I don't think you know. Yeah, he's not a. I don't think he's a hated. No, character no, at all. of course not. I mean, we're just joking about him, but it's like he's he's definitely not a hated character. <laughs> yeah, but speaking of maybe a little bit, like maybe he's not the best. Is it's kind of funny how he doesn't mention Rudo. Well, after we unfreeze him, he doesn't mention <laughs> Rudo or being or the frozen domain at all. He's yeah, just happy to what be a frozen. wonderful he's dad. Like, hey, me, oh, the king. Not even just dad. Like he's a king yeah. to all these people. Oh yeah, he's, he's like, like, where's where are all my oh, people no, at? They're frozen. Yeah. All yeah. he says is like, thank you for unfreezing me. Okay. All right. King Zora. <laughs> well, with the iron boots and blue tunic, Link rushes over to Lake Hylia to confront the infamous, and I mean infamous, I mean infamous, infamous. and unforgiving water temple. 
How did this mm-hmm. go for you, Javi? Is it does it deserve its infamy or is it overhyped? I think it might. I think it definitely. It, I can't take mm-hmm. it away from it, right? I I would never be able to take that. Oh, it's the water temple of the game. It's the mm-hmm. water temple. You know, I can never take that away from this mm-hmm. thing, this temple, this dungeon, because I didn't play it when it came out. But for me, it's all this bad and like, oh, it's gonna be so bad. Oh, it's gonna be so bad. Yeah. I didn't feel that. Yeah. You know, it was almost like you know the, the opposite of like when you hype something up. This is like they they over exaggerated if it felt like how bad it really was and that just kind of lowered my overall perception yeah i i can definitely see that i can tell you that is it was overhyped for years like it's almost it just became mythological almost how like hard it was but i can tell you as somebody mm-hmm. who played it in 1998 it was hard <laughs> like yeah. it, it was i got lost this is the one i did take the most time on for sure and the right. same complaints yeah, it's cool because this is kind of pre-internet as far as like as a cultural thing. Like, yeah, people were, had internet in 98, but it wasn't, you know, I wasn't all up on forums. And just to see years later, like everybody was like, yeah, this shit was hard. I was like, yeah, it was, right? <laughs> yeah, they validated yeah, me. Yeah. And then also, I, I remember being annoyed by the same thing everybody else was annoyed by, which is the iron boots you can't equip as an item. So in order to put them on, you have to, every time you want to do it, you have to press start to put them on and then back and forth and the thing is in this temple because you're changing the water levels all the time you're gonna have to use those boots often you know so it's just yeah that was definitely definitely an oversight it was because i i know for a fact that they could have put it in there i just they just didn't think of it and i know and i read in the interviews mm-hmm. like even like it's it's a sore subject for El Numa because he designed the dungeons. They brought it up, so like, oh, let's talk about the water temple. And he's like, really? He's like, that's not really, motherfucker. Like, I'm sitting right here. Like, what the fuck? Do you not know who I am? <laughs> and to his credit, like, and he really wanted to fix that, and he did for the 3DS version. Which, yeah, I, I, yeah, you played the 3DS, mm-hmm. and it was much better. But I guess maybe because I I already felt the game was slower than modern games now, so. I've kind of went mm. in with that in mind. The the whole like that didn't it wasn't nearly as annoying as I yeah, thought it was. Fair going. enough, fair enough. Also, like if you're lucky enough not to get super lost, or you just happen to remember the right room, then it wouldn't have been that frustrating. But like a, a exactly. lot of people did get lost, you know. So I will say it was what was frustrating. It wasn't even the final boss. The final boss is easy. Was easy the the i guess it would be the mini the, yeah, the mid boss which was uh <laughs> me which was yourself which was you know that that was a little oh bit man of this is dark link is fucking insane yeah. he's actually really hard if you don't have the begoron sword or the or if you don't use the hammer yeah i did use the hammer i found the hammer like i was trying different things i tried arrows mm-hmm. he would dodge them bombed he would just roll away from them uh i definitely found that the uh, it was the uh, for me it was the hammer because I didn't have the yeah Goron sword. yeah I so I had the Begoron sword and but I while it was sick and I loved it I've always had this thing with the aesthetics where it's like when you have the Begoron sword you can't use your shield so it just doesn't look as cool so I, there was times where I would switch to the Master Sword just so I can have that look to it and at that time I had the Master Sword when I first played it so like fucking Darkling kicked my ass I'm not even gonna lie like he fucked yeah. me up several times <laughs> yeah i didn't 
I don't think I died to him because I ended up just like running around yeah. like, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but but it was really annoying because like, you know, you would go in to fight with the sword. Uh, I think I hit him a couple times mm-hmm. with Jin's fire, but it, I was like nearly out of magic by that point. And then I tried the hammer and I was able to get a couple hits and then I was able to like, you know, play and like use the Chambara style yeah. fighting, you know, and to my advantage. And then like eventually found openings and stuff. Such a good sub boss. Just the fact that like he jumps on your sword it is awesome, honestly. Yeah. But after we finish the tempo and or after we get to the end and beat mm-hmm. the ridiculously easy, especially compared to Dark Link, mm-hmm. the boss, we meet with Rudo, the water sage, obviously. Yep. She offers her eternal love. Oh. I mean, she is our bride to be from when we were nine, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, duty calls for both of us, and she knows we can no longer marry. <sighs> to Link's relief, he's though. like, "Fuck yeah!" He's like, "Oh, that's he's like, that's oh too no!" Bad. He's like, "He's definitely yeah. like, yes." Oh, I mean, oh no. Oh. <laughs> but she does mention that she can sense Princess Zelda is still alive, which is the first direct moment I can think of, at least as when, when we're adult. Mm-hmm. that we know that zelda is alive as an adult yeah yeah that's the first reference we get to her as adult link for sure like yeah. from a main character you know yeah. just like oh she's alive like oh yeah. shit, okay rudo is being very just thoughtful and just encourages us to continue she knows we can do it mm-hmm. she also tells us that if we see Sheik to thank him specifically she says him he is him We've talked about the reveal earlier because it's not a big secret now, you know, 20 some years later. And we'll get to that when it happens. But at this point, they're still trying to sell us on Sheik not being Zelda and being a man, basically. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I've said, I, I I knew at this point, like, I, but I didn't know, no, but I knew. It did kind of throw a wrench at me. I'm like, oh, maybe I'm wrong, but I wasn't. Lake Hylia slowly starts refilling and healing as we break the curse on the water temple. Sheik is there and tells us how great of a job we did. You know, Javi, I thought this cutscene was kind of weird on rewatch. I think I'm placing my own thoughts on the characters, but I almost sense a tinge of jealousy in Sheik slash Zelda, princess. She says, Rudo wanted to thank me? I see. We have to return peace to Hyrule for her her sake, too, don't we? And then, what? (laughs) Like, the tone just... Okay, it just felt off. It's that that was like kind of whatever. But then at the end of the cutscene, Sheik does this wistful stare at Link. So he's gazing out onto the lake. She's standing behind him and she's just kind of staring at him. Mm-hmm. And then she does the whole ninja vanish disappears. So he 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 does he does the dramatic as like, where did she go? I can't. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I mean, maybe other people like. Some other people would agree with you, but I, I didn't even think I didn't have a second thought at that scene. I didn't, and you know, without it being uh, voice acted, mm-hmm. it's really hard to see what they actually were trying to say, right? That's but, that's exactly it. It's like, why was it there? What are they right. trying to show us here? Right, like, but I didn't even like. I it, this wasn't even a, like I didn't even have a second thought. So I definitely did not mm-hmm. hear it in that way. That's just me because I want Zelda to be in love with Link. That's yeah. it's uh I want her to be jealous about it. But probably ultimately it's just her trying to catch the right moment and disappear. But I just thought it was funny. Like, why do they actually show that? It's like <laughs> the other time she's just gone, you know? Like, okay, mm-hmm. cool. Anyway, now we're off and search for the Shadow Temple. Link journeys back to Kakariko Village, only to find it engulfed in flames. Link runs in and finds Sheik standing alone in front of the dry well. She stares hauntingly down at the abyss. 
when an invisible entity grabs and tosses her violently across the grass. The dark shadow circles around and knocks Link unconscious. Sheik explains that long ago, Impa had locked away an evil spirit at the bottom of the well, and the evil broke the seal and escaped into the world. Impa has headed off to the Shadow Temple to try and defeat the spirit once again. I really love this section of the game. Mm -hmm. For one, in order to get into the Shadow Temple, we first have to figure out how to get into the bottom of the well. Mm -hmm. And this is where the infamous Song of Storms paradox comes in. In order to get in, we have to talk to the musician inside the windmill as an adult who freaks out when we take out the ocarina because he remembers a traumatic experience from seven mm -hmm. years ago mm -hmm. when another boy who caused damage by playing his ocarina, okay. he teaches us the song the boy played. So now we can go back in time, actually play the song, which ultimately drains the well. Well, it begs the question, if we were the boy who came into the well to play the Song of Storms, how come we didn't already know it in the first place? <laughs> it's an unanswerable paradox on Back to the Future level logic. Yeah. It's the chicken or the egg. What came first? I don't know. But my only my only answer to that is Link just needs to be like, I am him. That's, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's always his answer. He no, is he the would, guy. The guy would go crazy after yeah. if he were to reveal that. He's like, no. I can't he's already. It. This dude looks like he's on like Adderall at all times. He's just. Right, the way he's playing. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He is. All right. So we can talk about the bottom of the well section and the Shadow Temple in conjunction because I kind of see them in my eyes kind of as one. We'll mm -hmm. talk about how we felt about the dungeons in a bit, but. I think we should go over the master class Nintendo did here in really telling a story through the environment and atmosphere as opposed to just explicitly telling you or showing us in long cutscenes. The walls are dirty and dingy and what seems like a sewer system at the bottom of the well. There's blood on the walls, skeletons lying around the dungeons, wood posts with chains on them, and what seems to be a torture chamber. We know very little solid facts about these two places, other than that the Sheikah used them in some way. Many theorize that during the previous wars, the Sheikah used it as a place to torture and punish the king's enemies. In the Shadow Temple, there's a location where a text pops up that says, Shadow Temple. Here is gathered Hyrule's bloody history of greed and hatred. Mm. Even the enemies are of a horror slant. Yeah, definitely. The Gibdos uh, are basically mummified redeads, mm. bats, poison water. Yep. What I enjoy most about this is, of course, we always think of the Hylians and the kingdom as like the good guys. Yeah. But we see these locations and see how dark you can get, even if you are a good guy. If they are the good guy. You supposed know? good guys right from whose perspective are we yeah, seeing the, winner, the story the winner writes yeah. the story right yeah the yeah the, writes history the victor yeah the victor writes history writes the history yeah. Sheikah have always worked in the shadows as the right hand of the monarchy and under the command of the king they seem to have enacted a brutal campaign of unadulterated torment to say the least like fucking chains on wood posts like what the hell were they doing there even the mini boss of the Shadow Temple and also on the bottom of the well, Dead Hen, is terrifying. You go into an enclosed room, no windows, no other exits. All you see are these grotesque white hands bulging out of the ground, desperately trying to clench you like starving children. And then one of those spindly hands manages to grab you. This deformed monster erupts from the bloody dirt and slowly approaches you with a sinister death march. 
Imagine the Sheikah trying to get info out of a prisoner who is refusing to talk, and then they just throw you in this room. All right, let's yeah. see. All right, don't say anything, motherfucker. Just throw them in there. No, they're snitching. That's yeah. it. Who do you need yeah. to know? Here's my credit card info. Here's my social security. <laughs> yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, even the final boss, the Bongo Bongo, is a huge evil spirit whose hands are severed from his arms. There's a Kakariko villager who says, a long time ago, there's a man in this very village who had an eye they said can see the truth. Now, usually, you have to train your mind's eye most strenuously to actually see the truth. But this fella, no. They said he had a different way of doing yeah. But this fella, no. They say he had a different way of doing things. His house stood where the well is now. It seems to be very clearly referring to the Bongo Bongo and reminds me of a lot like Gollum and the Lord of the Rings. Mm. Again, there's no concrete evidence here, but the way you know I interpret it is the person was a normal person who was obsessed with the lens of truth, and he was twisted and transformed by it like the ring transformed Gollum. Yeah, no, I can see that. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, we don't know. That's just a theory, but that's that's the point. That's a cool theory. You know, you don't know what it is. Like if Bongo Bongo got the lens of truth and he saw all the horror that was being perpetrated by the Sheikah. Uh, maybe, imagine no one believed them. Yeah. And they're like, because why would they? Exactly. Or, or maybe they did know, but they had to kind of like pretend they didn't. Yeah. Or or, or they were just kind of even trying to suspend their own disbelief and just be like, whatever, you know, they see it in plain sight, but even just refuse yeah, exactly. to believe it. But yeah. And he's like telling everybody like they're torturing people back here. Like that graveyard. Like, this like, isn't right. Yeah, what the hell's and then everybody's like, dude, you're crazy. Shut up. And yeah, maybe it just drove him mad. Yeah, maybe he just became like a crazy conspiracy theorist who sees the insides of society and can't unsee it. Like we know those people now. Like mm -hmm. whether it's things are real or not, they they just go crazy over this shit. It twisted him, destroyed his mind, and then he became the evil spirit. Anyway, how'd you feel about these two temples though? Did you like them? I I thought the Shadow Temple was probably the easiest as the as adult link. Uh, overall, it wasn't it wasn't a hard dungeon at all. Definitely, like I was like, damn, they definitely dropped the not dropped the ball, but they like lowered the curve almost after the last two or something. Yeah, they did because they did. Uh, the the under the well was cool, but and once you got the lens of truth, I don't think I don't see how you would have too much trouble with the shadow temple. Mm -hmm. So it makes it easier for sure. Yeah, and I mean, as long as you remember to use it again, it comes down to remembering mechanics, and for this one. Uh, that was that was a lot of the difficulty for me, right? Mem remembering mechanics, yeah. and honestly, for this one, it felt like I didn't have that big of an issue. Yeah, because it's, it's pretty it's pretty much a straight shot. Because for the most part, like there's not too many diverging paths. Mm -hmm. um, there's like in the main big room where they have like those uh, guillotines. Yeah, there's like three paths, but really, it's just you know, it's pretty simple, honestly. Yeah, and even I the think... boots, you get them right away. Like you, that's the yeah. first thing you do is you get the boots. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I think my one of my favorite just kind of like parts is just because I'm a big fan of like the river sticks mm -hmm. was the the boat room. Oh yeah, that was awesome. That was just yeah. a cool aesthetic to add. Like who knows yeah, what's that was going just aesthetically. On? I mean, because aesthetically, this dungeon did a better job at being creepy without being gross. Inside Jabu Jabu was just creepy and gross, but just because you're inside mm -hmm. and like the walls <laughs> were made of like flesh. Yeah, well, if you're against the fleshy walls, then okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I get you. And then, I mean, that's what we just talked about this whole thing, too, which is this is what they did masterfully was storytelling through the environment. 
And I think when we, when people talk about how it inspired stuff like the Souls-like games, this is this is the one you can really point at, where it's like they're telling you this whole story without telling you anything. It's just through the environment. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, it could get more detailed and still be good, but they, they just did a great job. I mean, the aesthetics of this temple is perfect to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, um, and uh, the boss also uh, somewhat memorable just because of the design, and it was one of the bigger bosses we've seen so far. Yeah, yeah. But overall, not too hard. I think uh, the other... Uh, actually, no, I'm sorry. The water the water temple was much easier. Yeah. Uh, but definitely, like, not as memorable to me as Valvalgia, for example. I, I would agree. I think what kind of has ruined this for me a little bit over the years is after the fact that the hens, a yeah, big part of this boss is like he has those big hands and it just makes me think of smash like more cartoony than it should when mm. this is you know and it has nothing to do with the game i just right. i don't know and also andros because that's that's mm. a big part of yeah, like when yeah. you fight andros and star fox 64 so it's just it just gives me this cartoony vibe that i don't want in this temple but i mean mm. he looks sick he looks cool no i like him yeah. but it just wasn't as memorable the fight and everything to me yeah, and then like I also storytelling wise, him playing the drums and that's bongo bongo, but it's kind of yeah, that's like, funny. That's more funny than anything to me. Yeah, it is because I'm just like, well, we don't even really get any context of what what's that all about, unless they did something where he's like the musician. Maybe he was like the musician's friend, you know, and they used to play together. Like maybe the musician would have said, I used to have a good friend who. <laughs> who we used to play together and now he's like some deformed evil huge ass spirit who plays bongo bongo and torture people and shit i don't know memorable looks cool but easy and ultimately not not one of the better bosses in my opinion um right exactly okay so after we defeat bongo bongo we meet with impa who confirms that hyrule castle fell soon after ganondorf attacked hyrule's defenses must have been as effective as a maginot line the easiest takeover ever Impa adds her power to ours and gives us the Shadow Medallion. One more temple to go, baby. Yep, let's go. Now let's go to the last temple, the Spirit Temple. Mm. First, we must head off to Ganondorf's hometown, the fiery sands of the Gerudo Desert. But as soon as we get into their territory, Link is immediately captured and thrown in jails. Mm. For reasons unknown, the Gerudo somehow decide to let Link keep all his equipment. In jail, <laughs> in the high security jail. Yeah, the, the bold should leave the window open too, just in case. Also, make sure the window they're fucking is made out of wood, so we can use our grappling hook, our hook shot to get up there. Mm -hmm, that only works on wood. Yeah, <laughs> so we and use our hook, fence for some, some reason. For some reason, so we use our hook shot to get out and free the carpenters workers. Uh, Javi. Did you hate this section as much I, as I did? Like, okay, so I didn't hate it. It was more just it was disappointing. Mm -hmm. I would have loved to see to see just some just some more backstory to the Gerudo because we don't get much of Ganon for one. We mm -hmm. know he's this horrible, terrible thief king, you mm -hmm. know, and these are his people. Yes, we know they're only women, but we don't get any indication of like what society is like here. I agree. I agree. And then this whole this whole section about getting the workers out is like it feels they're attempting it to be like a stealth section, but there's no stealth mechanics, and mm -hmm. it's just kind of ridiculous. And also, it's especially telling after you play Wind Waker because they do a similar section that works way better. 
Yeah, know? exactly. Like, because in that one, you can do the it's whole literally thing. literally bar for bar, ripped, ripped from here, but better. Yeah, but way better. Because here, it's just kind of like you want to turn a corner, but you can't see where the guards are at. You basically can just shoot them or hit them with anything, and they'll get knocked out. You don't kill them. They just get knocked out. Yeah, again, because they let you keep all the weapons. Yeah, exactly. It just makes no narrative sense. It's just kind of, it's not a great section. And then when you fight the guards, it's the same, all four of them. It's just, you just got to find out where, where they're holding the carpenter workers. Yeah. But then when you fight them, it's just the same fight four times in a row. It's just kind of like, okay, I see what you did there. Maybe just just put them in one jail and fight one bo mini boss. And then there, get on your way. Yeah, just and then just like... It almost makes like, you know, in my head, I almost made up the story that they don't really want to work for Ganon. Maybe, maybe they, they're like, just, they're just doing it because they have to make it look like they tried to grab you kind of shit. Mm, I, well, but, that's okay. I like that. No but there's no indication of that's the case. We don't yeah. know how they feel about Ganondorf. Yeah. I mean, no. I, I can, I can, I can infer maybe just from my observations that, you know, this is supposed to, this is supposed to be where he's king, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or like, yeah. There he should would be, be like pictures of, of him they're, everywhere. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, but then, again, we talked to Nabru in a little bit, which we'll talk yeah. about. Well, but she's yeah, the we'll get more into this. Yeah. yeah, but she's the only one we talked to referring to that. And then there is the, I guess it's actually called the Gerudo Training Ground, which is kind of a mini temple. And that's completely optional. I actually really enjoy that. I don't even know if you did that because um, mm. it is there. There is there is like a mini temple there and you get the ice arrows there. And that one's fun and cool. But then the ice arrows are pretty worthless as well like you don't you don't need them for anything you can use them in combat and have oh, some fun with them then yeah because i didn't get yeah. the i didn't get that then so yeah because there there is a mini temple there after you get released then you can go inside like that place is locked off but then after you release they're like oh if you want to come in here and it's, it's pretty much a mini temple there's keys and everything you need yeah, a I bunch mean, of them it, i guess it is kind of cool that since you beat them that's kind of like that whole like you're a warrior so they acknowledge you and kind of let you just roam now roam yeah around yeah they respect you they respect exactly you. yeah so that that is cool like and especially the training ground section is cool as an optional thing i'm just saying as the mandatory story part it, it's lackluster it's one of the to me one of the more lackluster parts of this fucking amazing game you know for sure for sure all right so link proves himself and the gerudo women allow him passage through the haunted wasteland an unforgiving desert engulfed in perpetual sandstorm with the lens of truth, we find safe passage and reach the desert colossus, home of the spirit temple. We've heard the Gerudo Valley theme before this, but oh man, God. yeah, so man, good. yeah, it's so good. But does it feel great? How great does it feel when you first get into the desert colossus? Because this space is a much wider space than the rest of the valley. Mm -hmm. So having the song here just makes it feel more adventurous and it yes. just fits here perfectly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's definitely. I. I I can that song is one of my probably top two mm -hmm. of, of the entire like Zelda franchise. Yeah. <laughs> top so two I, and it's not two. <laughs> well, in this case it is two. Yeah, okay. <laughs> in my case it is two. Yeah. But I know we both love the song regardless, but I know yeah. it holds another special place in my heart because of how it was used in the Smash Brothers doc. Yeah. I love that doc too. We were big fans of it uh mm -hmm. once we started getting into the competitive scene. Mm -hmm. And this that's what it was about. Yeah. And I think we haven't talked about how like the music enough yet yeah and how incredible it really is yeah the composer for ocarina is koji kondo who composed the original zelda mm -hmm. as well as most of the zelda games for that matter he's been involved in all the mainline super mario games the man is just a legend plain and simple 
Without a shadow of a doubt, he is just one of the most important composers in video game history. All right, so let's let's yeah, take this for opportunity. Nintendo, and yeah. then in, of course for video game as a whole. Yeah, like if if he would if the only thing he would have ever done was make the Mario jingle, then he's already a legend. But he, this dude went way beyond that. But yeah, let's take this opportunity. Let's let's talk about the music a little bit. So in 1999, in an interview, Kondo said, "Quote." When Ocarina became the title for this Zelda game, I decided I would try and build the music around one central Ocarina melody. Given the fact that an Ocarina can only play five notes, I tried to write the various stage background music in different genres, bolero, serenade, etc. But each one would evoke a catchy, memorable three-note melody. End quote. So in other words, he constructed a basic motif and built all the songs off that. I just, I don't know, like just I can't imagine how hard that yeah, was. And they became part of the gameplay. <laughs> the yeah, three notes. It's just yeah, it's so effective and is no matter and the thing is no matter how different the music sounds, it always sounds like it belongs in this world in this game. That and that's the most important part. Yeah, in this like fantasy world, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, also the way the music is constantly shifting, it's so seamless that you can hardly tell unless you're like you know music and are really looking for it. Yeah. If you're standing still, the theme gets more relaxed. When an mm-hmm. enemy approaches, the song changes to like a battle theme, but it's fluid, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like a turn-based RPG when like Pokemon, like where you you hear the change like the drastic you know but yeah. it, it's able to adjust mid-fight well and that's the thing because in those style games you have an encounter and then it's like now you switch scenes basically and this is you don't switch scenes you just you just have to can continue yeah <laughs> yeah and what i mean by adjust yeah. it like it, it transitions nicely it does you, you don't notice it and the, crazy enough during that console generation this was another triumph of the nintendo 64 architecture which would have been impossible or at least very difficult on other consoles. Iwata talked about this technology in 2011 when he said, quote, back then when there were still strict restrictions on the amount of memory that you could allocate to sound, it was common to stream pre-created music tracks. But by taking advantage of the ROM cartridges on the Nintendo 64 system, it was possible for the music tracks to be combined and generated depending on the situation. So Ocarina wasn't the first to do it, but Mm -mm. they were leagues ahead of other games attempting to do the same thing. So it just really makes me think of how that aspect is another thing that's influenced things over the years. And I feel like, I think a devil may cry where like, yeah, devil may cry something like where the five, part five, sorry, part five, yeah, part five, but but yeah, like uh, the music we played uh, for one, for our other channel, we had to play. We played it without music, mm-hmm. and it was it, just horrible. Yeah, mistakenly too. Yeah, mistakenly. The yeah. game was great still. Don't get me wrong, but you can feel the difference once we once I played it again with music. Oh my god, night and day difference. 
Yeah, and but but just to be specific too, we're saying that that's part of what the how the game works. Where it's like as your combo is going up, the music is building, and they it's just a fucking technology they they yeah, perfected. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, and if you lose your combo mid in the middle of that same fight, mm-hmm. the music dwindles down again until you can pick it back up. Yeah, it's just it's incredible, yeah. and it, it's so dumb because we played it because we played it without music because we thought it might be copyrighted. It ended up not being copyrighted, so it was <laughs> yeah. it was a waste of time. So, yeah. well, still, it's just learning, it's cool. learning, learning, live, right? Yeah. When asked what he thought was the most important aspect of music in Legend of Zelda, Kondo responded, quote, the most important to me when making music for Zelda is generating an ambiance, expressing the situation and scene. Link is your other self. In a Super Mario Brothers game, you control Mario, a character on the screen. Link is you, end quote. And you can see that throughout the entire production of the game from yeah. top to bottom. And that's even without being in first person, which is crazy. It's cool how they had that unified vision because we've we've mentioned it now many times. But it's like, yeah, they're really adamant that Link is you. You are Link. You got to become in tune with Link. And of course, just a quick note to the iconic sound effects in the game. Lots of them are evolutions of classic sound effects. Like when you open a chest, the... Or the secret found jingle. So many things are just so memorable here, but I'll say most notably is Link's grunts and sounds. We hadn't heard Link at all before, and this is the closest we've gotten so far to hearing a voice from him. It makes him so expressive, even though he's otherwise mute. (laughs) Yep. But back to the story. We're in the Desert Colossus, and Sheik is here waiting for us what at, the entrance of the spirit, <laughs> at the entrance of the Spirit Temple. You How did know, she get she, through the desert without the fucking Yeah, did she, and did, she, not, did she watch us get thrown but, in jail? Yeah, right? She's like, oh, he'll get out of this. Or was she just waiting, like, taking my time? Where is he? You know? <laughs> I mean, it would have made a lot here. of things easier, but whatever. Mm. <laughs> well, she gives us the Requiem of Spirit, the warp song to get back here, like she has at the other temples for their yeah. songs. We have to come back first as a child. Uh, just the temple doesn't lead anywhere unless you're able to go through a small hole. Yeah, that, that, this one is different in that way because you actually have to come back yes, to this temple exactly. as a child. None of the other ones have to do that. Yeah, and luckily we have the song, so it's easy to get back. Mm-hmm. So we travel back in time, play our song, head back, and we find Naburu, a mm-hmm. Gerudo woman inside the temple. Mm-hmm. She's unable to enter the small hole I just mentioned mm-hmm. and ask our help to get a treasure inside the temple. I feel like Naburu is a very important character to really flesh out the Gerudo. And like we talked about, there just wasn't enough, but she kind of fills in some of those gaps. She gives us a better perspective on their society and culture. She wants to know how we feel about Ganondorf. That's her first question because she strongly dislikes him. She says, quote, though we're both thieves... I'm completely different from Ganondorf. With his followers, he stole from women and children, and he even killed people. A kid like you may not know this, but the Gerudo race consists only of women. Only one man is born every hundred years. Even though our laws say that lone male Gerudo must become king of the Gerudo, I'll never bow to such an evil man. End quote. 
this is really essential and it, as it helps us understand that the Gerudo are not these inherently evil people who blindly follow Ganondorf. Definitely. Even though that's what the law says they have to do. Yeah. Nabooru is considered basically second in command. Mm -hmm. So if she thinks this way, how many others think like her? It also gives been, us some... Would have been nice to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which was, was like I was talking about earlier. Yeah. It just gives this context of like, we want, I want to know more context of like, Ganondorf, besides just being this primordial evil almost yeah. feeling character, you know? Because mm -hmm. that's not necessarily what he is. Yeah. At least not at this point. Yeah. But so it gives us a little bit of in, a little bit of insight on him and what makes him the way he is. Mm -hmm. Is he inherently evil? This is all basically subtext. Mm -hmm. And when you have an entire race built around the fact that only one man is born every 100 years and that man is destined to be king, basically just be by rule by decree no matter what what is that yeah what does that do to the person's ego and the, their psyche growing up in, in this in, in ganon actually in everyone's case in here but yeah spe specifically in ganon's case that's a cool question and that's i mean it's in some ways it's cool that they leave that unanswered because then it makes you question those things or fill in the gaps of headcanon but i imagine that ganondorf is just like any other kind of god king in the ancient world or emperors and kings and medieval time and pharaohs or whatever like anybody who was born into royalty they just have to have this blistering entitlement and then that's what i fill in the gap with and to take it further how does a person who is raised to be a king to a tribe of all women and then is defeated by the hylians so much so that they are forced to pledge fealty to the king of hyrule he's literally kneeling to the king is that like in, yeah how in, has he ever felt anything like that before either like yeah that to me that has to be an unbearable embarrassment for him but i don't know one could argue that he only pledged loyalty as a ruse to get to the triforce but even then the fact that he even needs a ruse and he can't just overpower the king it has to grate on his ego but i, I like those questions those are all cool interesting questions to me I would say that now, 20 years later, story-wise, this is a weakness in Ocarina because I wanted more. And they didn't do enough to flesh out Ganondorf's intentions. To be clear, part of me thinks it's probably by design because I think they did just want to represent him as pure evil at that time, you know? But then yeah. you have all these other little subtext here pointing to something deeper, so I don't know. I don't yeah. know, maybe. This know. is, it's one of the reasons I love Wind Waker so much. Mm -hmm. The characters are much more nuanced or layered, basically. Yeah. yeah. We know now that Wind Waker Ganondorf is the exact same Ganondorf from this game, uh, at least from the timeline where the hero goes back, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, yeah. It's one of the timelines, but it's it stems off this game. So we get a lot more insight into his emotions in that game. Mm -hmm. he, he seems simultaneously wistful about Hyrule and resentful though of the Gerudo's place in in their Hyrulean society mm. right before the final fight with Link and Zelda in Wind Waker Ganondorf says my country lay within a vast desert when the sun rose into the sky a burning wind punished my lands searing the world and when the moon climbed into the dark of night a frigid gale pierced our homes no matter when it came, the wind carried the same thing, death. But the winds that blew across the green fields of Hyrule brought something other than suffering and ruin. I coveted that wind, I suppose. He seemed so unabashedly envious of what his people didn't have. 
it's almost as he almost seems noble. He definitely does in Wind Waker, you know, especially I mean, not, on, not on his design. Yeah, and like not only his speech, I was gonna say, but also like just the way he's dressed, you know. But I th- think it's interesting that while they didn't outright show any of these emotions here in Ocarina, when you hear them in Wind Waker, you can see how it makes sense and how it's true. Yeah, you can read. You can read all that between the lines in Orcarina if you're paying attention. Yeah, if you wanted to. Or if you wanted anything. to, exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay, by the way, the Ganon quote is probably the best in the entire series. Like, talk about poetry. Like, him and Sheik, that's that's bars right there. Um, It just gives me, like, that Blade Runner. I don't know if people have seen Blade Runner, but it gives you that vibes when, when he does <laughs> that speech. Like, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe attack ships on fire off the shoulders of Orion. I just love that. I don't know. It just reminds me of that. Anyway... I think noble is a great word to use there, as you said, because throughout the series, the Gerudo are referred to as noble thieves. It, right. and, it, and it feels like a contradiction to say a noble thief, like that those two things don't go together. But when you look at our classical stories and myths, you see that theme often in stories and stuff like Robin Hood, or if you wanted to go to like Greek mythology, even somebody like Prometheus who stole the primordial fire, but he did it to push mankind forward. Those things relate. I'm not equating the two, but I'm just saying, if you look at this world, you can see a scenario where the Gerudo steal to survive because they have been forced and subjugated into staying in their barren desert lands Perhaps they are noble thieves because they have no other way to survive. Like from the Gerudo perspective, they're doing what needs to be done to stay alive against a tyrannical Hyrule kingdom. Yeah, especially if their people have been being like taken by the Sheikah, you know? Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Like what if they were being tortured mm-hmm. in, 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 in the Shadow Temple, you right. know? They saw because the dead hand a couple of times. <laughs> because it's interesting we, we mentioned noble thieves, mm-hmm. right? When uh, Breath of the Wild came out, we got a rival clan to them, basically. Yeah, the Yiga. The Yiga, that's right. Which are just plain, typical beef, uh, yeah. thieves as far as we know. I mean, later on, something might come out. But as far as we know right now, they're just thieves. There's zero nobility to them. They're mm-hmm. just thieves. They're criminals. There's someone yeah. who, grew, who would follow Ganon. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, exactly. So. But anyway... We enter the temple and get through and find the silver gauntlets. Uh, they are too big for <laughs> young Link's little tiny hands. Aww, little but hands. either way, it doesn't matter because we promised them to someone. Yeah, and we, we keep head- our promise. That's what exactly. the fuck we do. We're noble too. We <laughs> we yeah. head out and take try to take them to Nibiru. Mm-hmm. But when we get out, we find her captured and she is taken by twin witches, Kume and Kotake. We don't know much of them other than they secretly lead the Garuda from the shadows and our surrogate mothers, so to say, Ew. to Ganondorf. <laughs> what a great boy they have raised, you know? Oh, he's such a good boy, just yep. taking over the world. <laughs> I, yeah, and then, so how was this temple for you? Uh, I like this temple a lot, aesthetically. I, I wouldn't say one of the more difficult. I think, like, mid in, yeah, in I, terms of difficulty. Yeah, I definitely like the idea of, you know, coming back and forth. Like having two parts because it's basically they're both basically spirit temple yeah well yeah and that's the thing it is, it is one unified temple so i do like that that you have to do half as a, literally half as a child and the other half mm-hmm. as an adult so that that part of it is really cool yeah um i think uh fighting the 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 iron knuckle is kind of rough the, as a child at least mm-hmm. 
difficult. not too bad, but mm. it's 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 pretty it's it's a little bit of like, you know, he's pretty hefty, you know. Yeah, and then like he's one of my favorite of the mini bosses, the Iron Knuckle, because it's one of the few ones that actually does transform as you're fighting them. Yeah. Oh, this isn't even my final form. Yeah. Yeah, because it was one of those things like as you're knocking plates off. He gets a little more wild with his movements. Or, I would say I should say too. I would say she because it has to be a woman in there, right? They're they're the Gerudo women. Um, as but, far as uh, well, we learned that later, but yes, yeah, uh, or but, at least we get an idea of that pop being the possibility later. Yeah, uh, because yeah, you're right. She get they get faster as the as the plates are coming off. Yeah, and overall the temple wasn't very hard. I like the idea behind the mirror shield. Mm -hmm. I wish it maybe had more to it than just. Mm -hmm. It felt a little bit like lackluster compared to how you use the other items in the games to me. Yeah, I agree on that. I think I think it's underused. It looks great. It looks cool. Yeah, it looks like, great. But um, it's definitely just I wish it could do more. Maybe like reflect fireballs yeah. or something like that. Because like, it's it's funny like this in this temple you're definitely using a lot of items mm -hmm. that you collected because as it should right. It's the last as temple you know yeah. before the the final dungeon. But, I guess, but still, when we fight the iron knuckle in adult form mm -hmm. we're winning and we find it out to be Noburu, who Noburu. i thought was dead at the time yeah because she's that cutscene where she gets as a kid uh, she uh, gets sucked yeah, in she, a, yeah yeah she got sucked into the quicksand so mm -hmm. i thought she was dead and it was kind of horrifying to see that she she was still alive and basically being brainwashed by yeah. the uh, dark by <laughs> the like... twin row by the twin the, the sister the twin sisters no, yeah, so, I I agree. It's pretty dark. You know the other thing too with this temple, which it had a little bit to me of the Shadow Temple environmental thing because I'm curious about the Sand Goddess because the whole the whole temple is a the a, like oh a, that's right it's a statue of the Sand Goddess and I'm just kind of like what does that mean to them? Is the Sand Goddess have powers on par with yeah, like the you know that's what I was gonna idea? say yeah because she wouldn't be she wouldn't have been part of un, unless she was maybe kind of like how a lot of religions have the same gods but different names oh so like maybe she's hylia but or, or yeah. what was the one that did the fire uh din was that in the mm. in the creation myth yeah that, yeah the, the fire that made the desert basically maybe that was their god okay oh i can but we see don't that. know i don't think they've explicitly mentioned that See, yeah, yeah, I like that too. I was thinking more maybe she's Hylia, but the Gerudo version of it. You mm -hmm. know, I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I, but yeah, that's an interesting kind of backstory there. But there's not much there, to be honest. Like, um, but the temple overall is good. The puzzles are fun. Um, it's not that hard to get through. I don't remember yeah. getting. You just stuck have to. Anywhere. Yeah, you just have to remember all your items. I think that yeah. might be the part where people get stuck on. It's like. You might forget, oh, I can hookshot this, or oh, I can play the song, oh, I can use, you know, you just have to remember you can use every single item. Yeah, agreed. And then to the final boss. Um, I enjoyed it. It was fine. It was a it was a fine I, boss. I think it's, I like that it had two forms. I enjoyed mm -hmm. that part of it. That I made it thought, a little bit more memorable than it would have been. Yes. I just thought it was a little bit tedious. Uh, like the actual fighting of it is just kind of waiting a lot because you just yes. got to wait for her to shoot the yeah the, especially the, right the yeah yeah exactly yeah it was a lot of like and I, they wanted you to use the shield so yeah which which makes sense and it's it's not terrible but to me it wasn't one of my favorites just because of that um but aesthetically it looks cool and i like the transformation you know more than anything yes yeah it was actually like yeah it was like you know it was actually kind of surprising that they combined yeah 
So cool. After defeating Twin Rova, they have a legitimately comedic back and forth. I love their little, even though they're supposed, they're like the devil's mother. But <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, whatever. Then they ascend to the afterlife. Good for them. Noburu is the sage of the spirit temple and adds her powers to ours. She also hits on Link as most women do in Hyrule. And what a handsome man he's become. Our our boy. Us. We are him. <laughs> We're handsome, Mike. Yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> With the five temples restored and all the curses broken, Rauru instructs us to return to the Temple of Time. Mm. When we arrive, we find Sheik waiting at the entrance. She thinks that it is time that we learn the rest of the story. When Ganondorf touched the Triforce, it was split into three parts because whoever masters all three, power, courage, and wisdom, can use it to its full force. Since Ganondorf only mastered power, the Triforce scattered and the other two parts found their champions. Link is courage, and Sheik, well, Sheik is wisdom. How? Well, Sheik then suddenly reveals that she's, in fact, Zelda. <gasps> I think of the Smash Brothers sound effect. Oh, yeah. shock to absolutely no one. Actually, yeah. it was probably to a lot of people, but yeah, nowadays this was, not. This was supposed to be a big surprise to players, and indeed, it it was at the time. I, I must say though, I, and I said it before, I think a, about a third way through the game, I I figured it out. But regardless, it's an iconic moment in gaming for sure. Anyway, Shiga Zelda. Oh my God! So. She is ready to face Ganondorf side by side with Link. But all of a sudden, Ganondorf comes through the airwaves and captures Zelda in a diamond prison. He gloats about biding his time, allowing Link to lead him to Zelda. So many questions here. So does Ganondorf have like a camera-like psychic surveillance? I think so. <laughs> is it visual technology only? Like, couldn't he sense that Sheik was Zelda? You would think he could but i guess he couldn't <laughs> yeah it's, if and if it's camera like surveillance like would they wish he just watching link and zelda every time like the whole time yeah he probably has like a weird fetish of like fucking voyeur like he's just watching people and shit i don't know i guess i kind of think of it like as the eye and and lord of the rings maybe that's what they're going for mm -hmm. he's just the ever watchful eye right you would think that he would psychically follow Sheik for a while because he would have seen her slash him with link and then was like oh who's this person let me let me follow this person with my technology maybe he saw her go pee at one point i don't know boom truth revealed no lens of truth required something that really caught my attention in this exchange was ganondorf saying quote my only mistake was to slightly underestimate the power of this kid. But then, in the very next sentence, he says, No, it, it was not the kid's power I misjudged. It was the power of the Triforce of Courage. And that, my friends, that's a hole in his armor there. You can feel him trying to convince himself to reassure himself that it's not Link that is special. It's just, it's just a Triforce of Courage. That's what it is, Javi. That's just that's all it is. It's not it's not Link. Well, yeah, he he has to keep his ego. Yeah, and for all that outward confidence he tries to exude, perhaps he's just a scared boy on the inside, struggling with an inferiority complex. So now Ganondorf teleports Zelda into his castle and challenges to rescue her. He can't teleport Link, you know, for whatever reason. It's he, his ego's too yeah. hurt. I, well, I don't know. He, 
can't do it because I guess he had a copy of the script. So, <laughs> and the script said, "Don't teleport Link because we need him for the final dungeon." It's like, oh, okay, my bad. <laughs> yeah, brings out the. <laughs> And here we can return back to Vogler's steps of the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. This is would be step seven. Mm -hmm. Vogler says, this is the part where the hero reaches the innermost cave. Mm -hmm. He says, quote, in many myths, the hero has descended into hell to retrieve the loved one or into a cave to fight a dragon and gain a treasure. It's Theseus going into the labyrinth to face the Minotaur. This is the moment at which the hero touches bottom. He slash he faces the possibility of death brought to the brink in a fight with a mythical beast, end quote. At the moment when everything felt like it was coming together, or like everyone, mm -hmm. Zelda was taken, and there was nothing. We had no power to stop it. Nothing. Now Link powerless. Has to, we were powerless. Now Link has to face the ultimate test, fight through Ganon's castle, save Princess Zelda, and ultimately save the world. Mm. This is especially poignant years later, as we know that there is a timeline where he actually fails and dies. It's crazy. Man. There's something that wasn't even considered a possibility until years later. Like, we don't think about, unless it's kind of played out in the game, we don't think about things like that. No, no. And this makes his lunge into the innermost cave with this hindsight all that more harrowing. Definitely. I, I think... That was such a curveball that they threw at us with like the Hyrule Historia. I was like, oh, by the way, it's not only two timelines, there's a third one. And you're right. I never considered that. I because you just think that you're always gonna win. And almost like the the legend of Zelda itself, this whole myth that's it's almost told in that way where it's just destined. There's a destiny that the hero will come and save Hyrule. So it's almost like a foregone conclusion that is yeah. going to happen that definitely makes me think of this idea of destiny and fate and what does that mean for this series and for these characters is link destined is ganon and ganondorf destined so i i, I look at them different because i feel like zelda is fate she's fated because she has the literal bloodline of hylia yeah, it's always a, she can't escape her fate kind of thing. Yeah, and you and that wears on her. I think that shapes her personality, mm -hmm. especially in Skyward Sword, um, because that's when she first finds out that she is she is right. Hylia. It's not that she's like oh a new person. It's like no, like you're the same person reborn. Whereas yeah, I think uh huh. Go, Sorry, go ahead. No, no go I was just gonna say uh, there's the, a lot of scenes in uh, Breath of the Wild. Mm -hmm. where she feels like she can't live up to the fate, but she can't yes. escape it either. Yes. And it's just weighing on her. And that's one of the things that we mentioned earlier, why I just need Link to talk to her because she's expressing all these feelings to him and he literally says nothing. <laughs> I think and sometimes she's even like, what do you think? And he's just, yeah. <laughs> he's like, ah, you know? yeah, he, just, he just looks at her. <laughs> yeah. But, but cause Link is the like quintessential make your destiny, shape your destiny, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, his actions, basically determine if he failed you know we have one timeline mm -hmm. if he lived we have one timeline if he goes fail or he made it but he's not a kid you know yeah. it all revolves around him, like his the choices he makes his choices exactly exactly whereas yeah. zelda is just what what it, it almost unfortunately for her doesn't matter it, it doesn't she's just fated to do that and of course like fate and destiny are kind of People say them inter interchangeably, but I think there is a distance. I've always felt as destiny is something that like 
you can be born to do it, but you also have to make the choices yeah. to make it happen. I think you know? it's very interesting that it's called the master sword as well, because one of the little sayings that is always for destiny is be a master of your own destiny. Mm, yes. And, you know, and Link taking up the master sword is literally that. And they even call it like they call it the sword of destiny too. the sword of like, destiny. Exactly. Only only adding on to the whole be the master of your own destiny kind of. thing. Yes. And then with Ganondorf, it's a little different too. He's almost a blend because he's making things happen too. Like he's, oh, yeah. he's making a bunch of choices here to make things happen. But at the same time, he's also somebody who's was born. He is fated to be the king of the Gerudo. Like he was just, right. that's his bloodline. He was just born into that. Yeah, it's just unfortunate that he's not the main character. You know, like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Too bad for you. It's not the legend yeah. of Naburu or whatever. Yeah. Like, and then you have, or I guess the legend again. And the legend of Ganondorf. Yeah, imagine yeah. we got that game. That'd be nuts. That'd be so sick. But yeah, it's just an interesting dynamic there. But, and now Javi, well, we're here. We're in the final dungeon. We use the power of the sages, fucking worthless bastards, and they create Whoa. a... <laughs> They're like, oh, we're adding our powers to yours. Like, well, what did you do the whole game? I wasn't stronger. Like, what the hell? Well, whatever. Yeah. But here's their purpose. They help us create a bridge into this haunting fortress. What did you think of this final castle? This is it. We're here at the doorstep. Did you like I... Ganon's castle? I liked it. Uh, it gave me a lot of that. Even though it wasn't necessarily a boss rush, mm -hmm. it gave me that feel of like Mega Man games where like you're on your way to the final boss, but you have to first relive everything you did, kind of. Yes, yes. I, I, I agree with you. I loved it, too. You, and I like what you said just a little bit ago, which is like kind of you got to master your destiny. Well, I feel yeah. like right here you got to master everything you've learned. Exactly. To, to yes, prove, yes, you know? exactly. Yeah, and it's cool this idea like of once you finish it like the now they're finally releasing their power to break the the rest of the barriers that are around. Yeah, to finally get there. So yeah, no, I this was a great, you know, all, all the little sections are small. There's nothing too special about them, but it was just fun. I think I would say that more than anything. This last section is so fun cuz it's at this point almost I know everything, so it is kind of easy to do every puzzle here, and there wasn't any struggle with it, but it was just a lot of fun reliving all those little sections. But then, we this is it. We, we get past this section, we break the barriers, now we go up these long stairs, aesthetically look amazing. Then we finally reach Ganondorf at the top of his labyrinth. We find Zelda floating in the air, a helpless prisoner. And Ganondorf, he's playing the organ. <laughs> what a fucking What, what a flex what the fuck honestly this is the fucking hardest and coldest scene in the entire 90s i can't be told otherwise like Damn. everything i'm trying to you, think there has to be something no like neil stopping the bullets no no the, no, the no. green ranger beating the shit out of everyone yeah. in the megazord <laughs> and then kicking them out no not okay. even close Damn. not even close not even tommy can top it all right no. r.i.p yeah this is this is just deliciously sinister plus it's nice to see that Twin Rova had invested in their boy's creativity <laughs> and in, in his creativity. He got the education in the arts. I don't know. Maybe he's the one who taught the musician about the Song of Storms. Maybe this yeah. is the boy we've been looking for. I don't know. <laughs> no, my favorite like thing about this whole scene is just the fact that I'm sure he can feel Link coming in. Yeah. And he just continues playing like even though we I mean we we kind of fucked up his plans, mm -hmm. he's still trying to have his like ego 
Like he's trying not to show any weakness and just show that he has no fear. He heard, he knows we're here. He heard the door open. You exactly. Know? Yeah. So, like, and then, I mean, finally the organ stops. Ganondorf still doesn't turn around. He's just <laughs> like, I am power incarnate. Yeah. There's nothing you can do. That's what he's trying to make you feel. Yeah, he definitely made me feel that. And then he made me feel that when we started fighting because he, he, he fucked me up the first time I played him. So part of this boss battle is that the, the, he, he releases this kind of dark energy and then Navi um, says this thing. He was like, oh, I can't help you in this fight. And for all the bullshit aside, Navi does help you in these boss battles. So she, she gives you little tips on, on how to defeat them. And while we fought phantom ganon and we did this whole thing where you you hit back the energy ball i for some reason when i first did it i, I didn't remember at first so i kept mm. trying to figure it out i'm like what the yeah f okay so for me yeah it wasn't that wasn't too bad i think the overall fight was very well done mm -hmm. and it wasn't it wasn't super difficult but it was you know difficult enough and obviously damage has been building since you know we left uh, childhood Mm -hmm. uh, so any little mistake did feel very bad especially like i didn't collect as many hearts as you probably did yeah so i was definitely getting low a lot but it was i i did like it that you're supposed to kind of remember these things yes yes and it, it, the whole I game mean, has been teaching you it's been teaching you this whole time up until so. the, like because that that's what makes it uh, this is what makes it feel like you are actually link because you're the one learning this stuff mm. and you and have to remember you have to remember exactly <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know for me in this one too, like the first thing I did was I tried to use the, the light arrows because Zelda gave it to you before right, for this yeah, yeah, yeah. For this encounter. So I was using the light arrows, but they don't do anything because you gotta hit him with the energy ball first and mm -hmm. then hit him with the light arrow. And then you can go up to him and then start fucking stabbing the shit out of him. Yeah. Um the other thing too is like uh, I had the Begoron sword and I did use it here, so he dies fa a lot faster. If you don't have yeah. it, it, it might take a little bit longer. Yeah, it makes it a little bit. Uh, yeah, I'm assuming it makes it harder just for the fact that you can't uh, you can't beat him as quickly, so you have to be more careful. Yeah, and also the reach on the sword allows you to to hit the balls easier too. Yeah, and so. I will say I think that's one thing that even hearing about it here, it, it kind of bugs me when you know, like I wish they would have made like give me another sword besides the master sword then. You know, mm -hmm. but make the master sword feel important. Yes, yes. You know, because yeah, it, it, we went through time and everything. And in Breath of the Wild, it's nice because it doesn't break and stuff. But it, it, sometimes they just make it like, even in a. I guess you don't get the master sword actually in uh, mm -hmm. Majora, but uh, you can upgrade your sword. But then you get the fairy sword, which is basically similar to like the Bogoron sword in the sense that it's the bigger sword that you can't use with a. A shield yeah and it does more damage and then when you get the deity shield uh, i guess it, i guess maybe that's the master sword maybe yeah i don't remember i don't remember but in that case i like that then i just don't like it when they make the like you know there's a lot of like what is it final fantasy where it's like the ultimate weapon yeah you know? no i i agree with you there i i actually had the a problem with this too and um link to the past because link to the past you can you get the master sword but you can upgrade it twice um which is cool, but is then it's technically not the master sword anymore. Well, you know? see, I, and I wouldn't even mind that if they would make it like, oh, it's the broken master sword right now. Yeah, you have yeah. to, you know, not only do you have to fix it, but 
it doesn't believe in you yet almost okay and then yeah. at the final fight it's finally activated that would have now, been something cool yeah now you're like in tune with the master sword exactly it, yes you have yeah. to tune with it basically exactly yes it, that would have fit perfectly here too in the sense that the master sword actually sensed that you weren't ready to be the hero of time story-wise that also makes a lot of sense because then it's like okay i woke up seven years later now you're ready it's like are you like you haven't yeah. done anything let's let's you know? figure it out as we try to fix everything first yeah and then i'll decide i agree that could have been a good improvement um and my and while i love the begoron sword it sometimes it makes this stuff too easy because it was clearly designed for for the master sword and uh, i don't know but it was either way the boss fight is great i love it aesthetically it looks great it's fun Obviously, he got tennis lessons too from his twin, like from twin robot. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, but not enough, I guess. He didn't get enough tennis lessons because he got his ass kicked by Link. And then, oh, one part of it I wanted to point out too. I love this, the fact that so he reaches up with one hand to to gather the energy, but if after like five or six hits or something, he reaches up with two hands, and then the whole room goes even more dark. I just knew it was one of those things where it felt so good because I got it on the first try. Because as soon as he did that, I intuitively knew that I had to charge up too. You have to light up the darkness. Yeah. So I, I started doing my spin attack charge and it has that cool sound effect. The and then the mm. room is going dark. I don't know. It's just one of those moments for me in the game. Unforgettable. That's cool because I didn't, I didn't even... I. I think i just got hit yeah. i didn't even do that i didn't even think about that yeah oh man it, it it's it's so memorable it's so and he shoots like five fireballs and then you you shoot all of them back to him and he gets mm. fuck he gets his ass kicked so right wonderful well okay that was a boss battle what does vogler have to say well <laughs> back to our boy yeah our boy vogler well step eight is the hero surviving the supreme ordeal he says this is the moment at which the hero touches bottom. He or she faces the possibility of death brought to the brink in a fight with a mythical beast. And step nine is seizing the sword or reward. Vogler says, having survived death, beaten the dragon, slain the minotaur, our hero now takes possession of the treasure he's come seeking. The hero may also be reconciled with a woman. Often, she is the treasure he's come to win or rescue, end quote. Well, Link has certainly faced the supreme ordeal here. At least, you know, that's what we thought. And it is a difficult boss battle at first if you don't know what you're doing. It, it can kick your ass. I've seen a lot of people struggle with it. So mm -hmm. I can, I'll definitely say it fits with the supreme ordeal. And you did beat this theoretical dragon who's... Ganon, you know, Ganondorf, yeah. he, he, mm -hmm. he's the mythical beast to us. And we are, we reconciled, you know, we we seize the sword of reward and the reward is to save Zelda and, exactly. and get this done and finish this, yep. you know? Yeah. Uh, step 10 is called The Road Back. Fogler describes it as the hero is not out of the woods yet. And some of the best chase scenes come at this point. As the hero is pursued by the vengeful forces from whom he has stolen the elixir or the treasure. This is the chase as Luke and friends are escaping from the Death Star with Princess Leia and the plans that will bring down Darth Vader. Actually, funny how literal this step sounds since we have the yeah. final descent down, running down the castle from Ganon's vengeful forces. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. How'd you feel? Was this good to you? Was it maybe a little bit too drawn out? 
Yeah, the I mean the section aesthetically is awesome. You like seeing the castle falling apart and everything. I think the actual like final descent down is like whatever. A bunch of load screens. You gotta like go in rooms, you fight Stalfos, you fight maybe some iron yeah. knuckles or something and then I, I think it would have been better like you honestly you don't even have to put any fights here. Mm -hmm. Uh you just can have him like you know, run down because it feels almost like padding the hours, you know, padding the stats kind of like in the in the sense of timing, like making the game feel longer, you know? See, yeah, it, this is a place where having like actual jump would have been cool because if you could have made a nice cool jumping section down, mm -hmm. you know, but but I mean, whatever. They could have even done it with the, with the auto jump having a cool section down, but yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, ultimately it, it's fine. It's cool. It's just, it, it's nothing special to me. Aesthetically great mechanically whatever you know especially if you have the begoron sword it's like you just slice all these dudes down like nothing it's like there's no well, lucky you <laughs> yeah there's no difficulty to it but anyways then there's the final boss we get all the way to the bottom and you think it's over because you think ganondorf's dead but there's a pile of rubble there and it starts moving zelda like gets kind of scared you go up to it and boom you see the full final transformation it, it's epic it's just uh <laughs> it's very haunting I, I love this game too much i'm sorry it's just like mm -hmm. i see i love this it's just so fucking good and the song is incredible here it fits perfectly with this and i will say too it does look better there's the one place where i will agree with people that it does look better on the nintendo 64 because it's darker on the 64 and it's really kind of hard to see Ganon's full form. You just see a big-ass shadowy figure, whereas on the 3DS, it's kind of lit very well. So it's yeah, almost oh, like... right, right, right. Yeah, because you play... I forgot. You play... The, yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think about how that would look different, yeah. right? So, like, I've seen a lot of people complain about that, and I actually do agree with them. I think it actually does look better on the 64. That's one of the mm -hmm. only spots where I'm like, okay, it, it, it would have been nice if it was just darker, because that, that part of it is so memorable in the 64 version because it's like this huge ass thing is swinging the big ass swords at me <laughs> like, yeah did you struggle like with him or no oh um, yes i i think it's just because of how long the boss was gonna last because mm -hmm. uh i was using the light arrows and then the megaton hammer to hit him mm, that's right because you didn't have the big on sword exactly. so he, knock, he knocks the master sword out of your hand so you don't have a sword you know yeah i i don't think you can use like I mean, maybe you can use other things, too, but I didn't. That's what I ended up using. No, that's smart. I actually have never done that final boss without the Begoron sword. Mm. I always kind of wondered, like, what are you supposed to do here without a sword? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I would eventually use the hammer, which makes sense. Like, yeah. you stun him with the arrows and then and then hit him with the hammer. Um, but, yeah, overall, classic. It's just this is the final boss in my eyes. Like, it's iconic in all of gaming but we get to the end and we got him down he's he's this he's ready for it zelda desperately holds ganon in place she uses her magic powers link delivers the fatal finishing blow an epic fury of slashes until he impales ganon right in the head the sages unite their powers to help link and zelda send ganon into the void sealing him away Ganon cries out in maniacal pain, cursing them, cursing them all. He vows that someday when the seal is broken, he will exterminate their descendants. And oh boy, does he. <laughs> <laughs>
stay tuned for other Zelda other, games. Yeah, other <laughs> Zelda games, yeah. But in this case, Hyrule is now saved. Zelda laments her role for allowing Ganon to take power and blames herself for not understanding the full scope of her consequences in youth, which mm-hmm. I think she's too hard on herself, but... She wants to make things. I mean, she's she. No, she, she was a kid. I yeah, agree. she was a child. You know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it's fate and stuff, but like it's the king's fault. Let's just be yeah. real. And the yeah, whole monarchy. He, he, exactly. But I guess she's fate. This is just fate. So she always has to live through this, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. She wants to make things right, though, and ask Link for the Ocarina. She wants to send Link back to his original age. She tells Link it is time for us to say goodbye. That now Link can go home to regain his lost time. Mm. Go back to being an outcast, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's go back but, to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she softly plays the song of time, and the screen fades to black. Credits roll. Uh, lovely. But I must say, I've always been torn about this ending. Don't get me wrong, I love it. But I always I didn't like the fact that Zelda was sending us back in time and we had no say in it. It's too bad that Nintendo didn't have the foresight at that time for the broken timelines, because if they did, it would have been an amazing choice to have here. And there's a couple aspects to this, too. For one, when I first played it in my teenage years, I was still the mindset that, well, of course, Link and Zelda would end up together. I mean, even we were saying in the trailers, it's like they, they kind of even foreshadow that. And some of the trailers like, are you going to get the girl or not? And I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. 25 years later and still they still haven't come together. <laughs> <laughs> like or if you're talking about since the beginning of the series, they still haven't been together. The only time they really have been together is in the cartoon show that everybody oh, cast the aside. Funny one, the, yeah. The, the uh, one everyone makes fun of. Yeah. What does he say? Well, excuse me, princess. Me, princess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, excuse. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, except for Skyward Sword, there is heavy flirtations and heavy connotations, but it's not like they ever like get together really officially. But looking at it now, they they don't set up any romance here, so there's no reason why I should have looked at that, but I don't know. I've always been a romantic. Like if I see two characters like lock eyes for like 5 seconds or longer like or less, I'm just like, okay. Yeah. I get you. O- yeah. OTP, one true pairing. Mm-hmm. But I was surprised and a little upset. Not enough to ruin my experience, but it just felt wrong to me that Zelda made the choice for us. And it's just, that's not what I wanted. And right. I, I don't know. I imagine a lot of people didn't want that. They're like, no, I would rather stay here and like, let's mm-hmm. rebuild Hyrule or something. I yeah. don't want to go back. Yeah. And of course, I mean, the other part of it, I mentioned earlier, the great mm-hmm. irony of Zelda lamenting the fact that she didn't understand what she was when she was younger. Mm-hmm. And that is still, she still doesn't understand, right? Yeah. Because as we know, life doesn't really work that way. Link can't just get his childhood back. Like, you know, she thinks, you know, yeah, she's doing all this poetry and stuff as she, but she still just doesn't get things. Even <laughs> even growing up, you know, he's seen and done so much. He's been through so much. We've been through it with him. Mm-hmm. We are him. Yeah. Our childhood friend, Saria, is a sage now. She's gone to us. Mm-hmm. Navi leaves us. Mm-hmm. Our guardian for our entire life the deku tree is dead yes and now we return to a time where no one will remember us or rem- what we've done yeah 
like link baby link is no longer a thing guess yeah. i don't know yeah <laughs> that's when, true like, too right like, yeah exactly, yeah like when is she sending us back exactly yeah that's true too like based on the end like after the credits you get that ending where they see each other it seems to be that's the moment after you leave after the forest the, yeah after you leave the forest so it's but just kind of before kinda, all the spiritual stone stuff yeah, well, you had got the spirit stone from the oh, forest. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, from the but forest you, one, but not the rest. Yeah, not the rest. So, ba- yeah, so technically. Oh, yeah, so for sure baby, Deku Tree ba- is dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but Baby Link wouldn't be around because then unless yeah. you go to Darunia and be like, hey, what's up, bro? Like, uh, By the way, you need to name your son after me. Yeah, it's like, what, like, what, what did you fuck? do? It's yeah. like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, so no one remembers us or what we've done, and... Perhaps it's selfish, but it's true. It's an inescapable human emotion to want that validation. Mm-hmm. And at this moment, we have no agency. We're simply sent back to the world we prevented from falling into ruin by sacrificing our own life in the process. It's very bittersweet. Yeah. No, I, I definitely feel that. And that's what I felt. I, I felt it was bittersweet. And I was like, let me make the choice. Behind all the Nintendo flair and sweet melodies, Ocarina is a game filled with dark themes. Link has lost his innocence. He's lost everything, really. And so that bittersweet, that's an understatement to me. Well, now that we're here at the end, let's finish examining Ocarina through the lens of the hero's journey. So, Vogler, baby. Step 11, he calls resurrection. He says, quote, The hero emerges from the special world transformed by his or her experience. He is transformed into a new being by his experience. And the last step he calls return with the elixir. He describes this last step as the hero comes back to the ordinary world, but the adventure would be meaningless unless he or she came back with the elixir, treasure, or some lesson from the special world. Sometimes it's just knowledge or experience, end quote. I think without a doubt, Link is forever transformed by his experience. So these last two steps get a little muddy because i'm i'm gonna go a little meta here as stated many times by the devs they want us to be link as the game progresses we should become more in tune with link by the second and by the end we feel like we went on this adventure we saved these peoples these tribes this kingdom and so we are forever changed by it And I know that sounds like hyperbole, but if you play this game at a certain time in your life, I would say sometime between the age of 7 or 15, it can have a lasting effect on you. It's imprinted on your psyche, and I know that for me, it played a part in shaping me as a person. This game has that transformative power. So yes, we as players do return with the elixir, spreading the gospel of this fucking masterpiece of this relentless journey of this unforgettable adventure so yeah that wraps this story deep dive up don't worry we're gonna we're not gonna line up the hero's journey with every game we do but it was just a great exercise for us with ocarina because i feel there's something very formulaic in the way the story is told but i mean that in a good way it's simple and effective part of that is because people have followed this formula to a fault but as humans we're funny like that We find comfort in pattern recognition. We have an incessant need to seek it out. And while formulas can be extremely bad in creative endeavors, it was as effective as it can possibly be in Ocarina of Time. It helped make it feel like we were living a real myth that has been passed down for thousands of years of humanity. And with that, 
let's take a short break and we'll return with some quick lore, then fun categories and some awards. Woo! So as we've seen, Ocarina of Time gave us a backstory on the creation myth in the Legend of Zelda universe. But what happened after the three goddesses departed the world and left the Triforce? Back in 1998 when Ocarina of Time was released, it was supposed to be the origin of all Zelda stories. And it was, but many things have changed since then, and much more has been added to that lore. Luckily, we have our resident lore master Javi to fill in some of the gaps and tell us about the goddess Hylia, the Triforce and the origin of the Hero of Time. So most of this info we get spread out across all the Zelda games. But in particular, we get a lot of this info from Skyward Sword. Mm -hmm. Following the departure of the three goddesses, Din, Faror, and Nehru, the goddess Hylia was bestowed with the responsibility of safeguarding the Triforce and the entirety of the world. That profound responsibility was soon put to the test when malevolent creatures emerged from beneath the earth in pursuit of the Triforce. Mm. These monsters, who were known as demons, were subservient to the immense evil being known as Demise. Oof. Devoid of the power to fight the demons, Hylians could only rely on their goddess for salvation. Hylia responded by extracting a section of the land and along with the Triforce, transported her people to a secure haven high in the skies. She then joined forces with the rest of the surface-dwelling tribes and fought a ferocious battle against Demise and his legion of demons. Countless lives were lost, and the land was torn apart from the epic battle. But Hylia and the tribes were able to defeat Demise and seal him away. But it became evident that that seal would not endure for long in the face of the immense power of Demise. Hylia was aware that she could not defeat Demise with her power alone, and recognized that unlocking the power of the Triforce was her only chance. However, as a goddess, she could not wield the power of the Triforce. She made the difficult decision to sacrifice her divinity, so her soul could be reincarnated into a mortal body to protect the world. So when Hyrule and the world needs it most, the goddess will be born again as who? None other than Princess Zelda. Yeah, this is definitely much more in-depth than what we see in the creation myth in Ocarina. Like it, so you do see this a lot in Skyward Sword, but it's even there it's not complete. Even there it's just kind of like more of a story told, you know. So mm -hmm. I, I can't wait for the day where we actually see this. You know, in in a full cutscene, or if or, we could, or, yeah. or if we could even play it, oh man, that'd be crazy. That'd be okay, but you mentioned demise too. Tell me about demise. I know there's always a big question: like, is he Ganon? Are they one and the same? Are they different? Well, we don't know much about demise outside of what is shown in Skyward Sword. As what we know now, him and Ganondorf are separate people. Mm -hmm. So, Orcarina is Ganondorf's first appearance in the series. Okay. What we do know about Demise is that he was drawn to the surface because of the power of the Triforce. He wanted it so he can dominate, similar to Ganondorf. There does seem to be the connection to Ganondorf. At the end of Skyward, after Link defeats him, Demise mm -hmm. says, You fight like no man or demon I have ever known. Though this is not the end, my hatred never perishes. It is born anew in a cycle with no end. I will rise again. Those like you, those who share the blood of the goddess and the spirit of the hero, they are eternally bound to this curse. An incarnation of my hatred shall ever follow your kind, 
dooming them to wander a blood-soaked sea of darkness for all time. Mm. I think the key word here is incarnation. Nintendo honestly might not have put much thought into it, especially like when they, you know, how they usually do at mm. the beginning. They don't put the time <laughs> into it. It sounds good. Just put it in there. Exactly. You know? <laughs> but it is it is extremely different from saying he's going to be reincarnated. Yeah. Like we said, Zelda is the goddess Hylia reincarnated. They share the blood of the goddess. That's yeah. what we know. Yeah. Every new link is a new hero who embodies the spirit, as was said by Gan uh, Demise, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. the spirit of the hero. Mm -hmm. I think Ganondorf is closer to that. It seems like Demise's evil and hatred is possibly reincarnated in someone else, but not his soul or blood. Yeah. Okay, and that's a, that's a major distinction too, because again, like it's more like Link in that way. It's yeah, like it's his, it's yeah, this the, the you know the spirit of courage almost. Let's like yeah. let's, let's like let's let's call it this like you know all the the courage of the hero. Yeah, is brought in right, which is the spirit. Yeah, and then in for Ganondorf's case or Demise's case, I'm sorry. It's definitely the the hatred and evil, the evil, the lust for power. Like mm -hmm. that's that level of of lust and evil is right. reincarnated into someone. Yeah, exactly, and that exactly. And there've yeah. been a lot of enemies throughout the series who have that sort of lust for power and domination. But Ganondorf has been the most prominent by far. And th that speech is no different from what Ganon tells Leek at the end of Ocarina. Mm -hmm. But as we talked about earlier, Ganon didn't say he'll be reincarnated. He said he will be back in the future. Yeah, I like to think this is kind of like demise is this this you know primordial evil, right? That's what yeah. he is. And I mentioned something about Ganon feeling like a primordial evil before, mm -hmm. but I do think it's the it's that whole idea that yes, demise kind of like found his way into Ganondorf, mm -hmm. but Ganondorf's own lust kind of took over, you know, and he so is he is his own kind of like entity now. Nah, so do you see him as more powerful than Demise? Like, I mean, because, he... yeah, because in my head, like, when if I were to think of it, let's say Demise comes out as he's thinking he's the big bad in uh, in a Zelda game, and it's this Ganondorf, like, he's like he comes out of this Ganondorf. Mm -hmm. you know? Or imagine he would have come out the uh, the Wind Waker Ganondorf, mm -hmm. and he would have been like, oh, I'm the true power and ever. I don't think the Ganondorf would let him, let yeah. Demise... Like take <laughs> take him over, you know what I'm saying? He's like puts his arm in his shoulder. It's just like, like he does the whole Batman. <laughs> yeah, the Bane, the yeah. Bane. He's like, do you think you're in power? <laughs> like you think exactly. you're in control? <laughs> I feel like I I feel like Ganondorf would do that, but until I'm proven different, you know, I won't see it any other way. So I guess if I were to say yes, I do feel that Ganon is more powerful than Demise. Yeah, I also or at least his lust is. What, what what comes to mind right now too is the mythology angle and it's such a like okay Demise isn't Ganondorf's father but that I see it as that sort of like the father and the son type thing mm -hmm. like he he's the he's the father of his evil basically yeah and in mythology that's such a common story where the son always kills the father like Kronos mm -hmm. killed his father Zeus killed Kronos and so forth and then yep. And like, and then of course that's why even God of War, that's why Kratos kills Zeus, because mm -hmm. like type thing. So I would, I could definitely see to follow in that tradition. Ganon is just like, bitch, <laughs> like who the fuck do you think you are? Like, uh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> but what about 
the Hylians in Hyrule. What about them? We 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 didn't get much info on them in Ocarina. Right. All right. So here's some lore we've learned across the games. Mm-hmm. The ancient civilization of Hyrule was founded by none other than the Hylians, mm-hmm. who were favored by the goddess Hylia and known for their long ears. Okay. Legend says their ears were long so they can hear her voice. Mm. While the Hylians were once skilled in magic, this ability seems to have waned over the years, mm-hmm. except for the royal family, who still possess strong magical abilities due to the connection to the goddess bloodline. You know, Zelda is very known for her magic. Now, yeah, that that explains it. Obviously, mm-hmm. she can hold down Ganon with some energy force or exactly. you know, all these different yeah. things. Uh, and she gives us the light arrows almost every time. Yeah, yeah, true. The kingdom of Hyrule, sometimes known as country of the gods, is tasked with maintaining peace and protecting the Triforce from those who would seek its power. Wars and conflicts with demons have created a cycle of prosperity and decline in Hyrule's history, Mm -hmm. with legends and tradition emerging from these struggles. However, those within the bloodline of Hylia are called to the kingdom in times of crisis to restore order and prevent chaos from engulfing the land. And ultimately, this is what The Legend of Zelda is all about. Thank you, Lore Master. That was wonderful. All right, let's jump into some fun categories and awards. First, what has stood the test of time? All right, here's my list. Javi, feel free to jump in where you feel mm-hmm. fit. Number one, art design. Zelda's first foray into 3D, the art design just fucking works. And that's all there's to it. It's timeless. It's carried on. And I think most yeah. of the games after this, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, honestly... Link's art design has been, you know, even his 2D design influenced this, right? And mm-hmm. it's just so iconic that I don't, I think it will work for years to come. Yes, I completely agree. Um, number two, I would say combat. I think, well, part of it, I can say, has aged terribly. <laughs> it hasn't to the mm-hmm. test of time. But the part of it that I think has is just the influence of the combat has stood the test of time because it's just been spread out. That Chambara style one-on-one like sword fights is just yeah. the influences you see it all across gaming yeah uh, and i think the yeah it's definitely just the it's a little bit simple here which is what hurts it but other than that yes i agree okay um the simple storytelling is is deep enough to feel epic but also simple enough where it doesn't bog you down with stories all the time and i mm-hmm. think i think that works um the questing, or at least mostly the side questing, as we mentioned that in real big detail before, but just how a lot of those big side quests are very multi-layered and the fact that they don't hold your hand, I think, is mm-hmm. what stood the test of time. It's really refreshing, in my opinion, Yes, um, yes. playing it now, 25 years later. The 3D open world, it's not the first open world or quasi-open world ever, but it is just the the idea of having an open world in 3D space is just that's what gaming is now. Honestly, like I mm. think like half the story games released. Yeah, are we've all been getting a lot world. of people like complaining, like, oh, can we get not open world games anymore? It's it's true to the point where it's like now when it's like, oh, it's only an eight hour linear game. Fuck it's like, yeah. oh thank God. <laughs> yeah. No, I love long games, but especially for what we do sometimes we're like oh god <laughs> yeah well the thing is too a lot of them are padded for no reason yes you know? the, the ones that are padded do hurt yeah that's the thing it's like okay if they it's hurt that world, experience yeah if you could do things in there then it wouldn't matter the next one the lack of hud elements again is another thing just comparatively 
it's like it's just refreshing now and i always use assassin's creed as an example of this it's just so bogged down it's with... screen it's like screen barf almost like there's yeah, just too yeah. much going on yeah exactly there's waypoints there's health bars there's quests objectives there's uh stamina Names. meters <laughs> yeah <laughs> name of characters yeah not that i don't like it either it's just it is not it is refreshing to see like you know less the the less the lower just lack of yes and and this whole thing with the quest markers too and the, like the quest log and part of the hud elements like elden ring super popular and it just doesn't have those things and uh, people are I appreciate that now, I think, because of how, how much of the HUD elements overtook maybe in like the 2010s, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's a big thing. Although I will be fair and say like in a lot of these games, you can just turn those things off. So it's not yeah. that huge of a deal, you know? Yeah, true, true, um, true. Fishing. We didn't even talk about fishing, but I'm just, I think it's a perfect side activity. Yeah, I, I think I mentioned it a little bit, but yeah, we yeah. didn't like, it's honestly, I've always loved like fishing in games mm -hmm. uh, in general. It's just a nice little game to play. I, I agree. And it's just, it can fit into any kind of open world game. So that's nice. I think dungeon crawling as a primary part of like structure of a game, it's eternal. Yeah. It's yeah. like that just doesn't age. It's just fun. Let's just give me a bunch of dungeons and let me get through these motherfuckers. It's good. Or too many dungeons. In your, I mean, not necessarily dungeons. No. But, uh, even Breath of the Wild, you know. Okay, maybe we did too many. <laughs> <laughs> there's not there's not enough, yeah. Molly. Yeah, it kind of um, takes away from like the primary dungeons. Okay, I guess I could agree with that. Uh the music. That's oh, it. That's that's that, the category. No, that's okay. <laughs> Move on. Yep, that, that's all. Okay, uh mute link. The only reason I say this, even okay. though I have said that I want Link to have a voice, mm -hmm. but I, I think it's it's aged the best because they still haven't done Link talking, so it still holds up I, now. I think I will just go ahead and just quickly just... I think Mute Link works for this game mm -hmm. because we have also like Navi that will talk for us. And things like that. But in another games, it's something similar, right? Yeah. But in Breath of the Wild, it's starting to no longer work for me. Because no, yeah. you have no no buffer, like you have no middleman now in, in Breath of the Wild. No, yeah, I completely agree. And like we talked about that earlier. Like I agree. I'm just saying as far as the idea that he still doesn't talk, so it aids the best in that sense. Mm. You know, like just, just because of that. But I do want him to talk if everybody else is talking, you know, <laughs> like yeah. uh, otherwise it doesn't work. Um, I would say the ending has stood the test of time from the perspective of it created all the branches for the rest of the series. Mm. So it's just a really centered point in the Zelda universe. So it's super important and it's necessary to the rest of the story. So um, the next one for me, this is a personal one, Javi. <laughs> the Bomb 2 Gallery Operator Girl, who we didn't even talk about, but she's the best. As she's, she's just a girl who's like a bored Gen X worker. And for somebody who grew up in my era, it's just kind of like, oh, I, I know this girl. Like, you should see them working at, like, 7-Eleven at midnight. And you're just gotcha. like, please. Like, I and you fall in home. love every time. I did. There's, just, there's, <laughs> there's the perfect girl. And, like, I had a thing for her. I was 13. I, I'll admit it. But she also reminds me of the same type of worker you'll see now from Gen Z. So she's eternal. You know? Gotcha. like Okay. All right. Yeah. Bored workforce. <laughs> That doesn't age. Um, mm -hmm. The character designs. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I guess I, this is also like where I said the art design, like of like Link's just design, Zelda's design. Yeah, I think this is kind of like what you mean too. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I just think that obviously, while they may change over time, I think the center point is here. Like the Gorons look the same. Yeah. Gorons look exactly the same. Yeah, the, even the though even, Zora, even though they're like different, different fish, yeah. at least they made them different fish to differentiate them now. Yeah, but you you just instantly recognize them as Zora, and I think mm -hmm. that's all based back to this design. Obviously, Link, Zelda, and Ganon, like yeah, they have different variations. They evolve differently, but it's they always feel that like that. They like these characters from this game. Hundred percent. Right I think this one's great right here. Strong women in games. Mm -hmm. I think this is aged beautifully, and I and we got to remember 1998. And if you think about the women in this game, they're all very different, have different personalities. They have their own desires, their own intentions, mm -hmm. their own strength. And I just give it up to Nintendo. I mean, very forward thinking, and that's always been the company anyway. I mean, Samus is is Nintendo, right? You know, yeah. So yeah, yeah, and you're like you said, like Impa and. Even uh, Zelda kind of like give that very like independent kind of they're they're, they're down to do stuff right. Yeah. Rudo kind of gave me a little bit at the very beginning almost damsel distressed, but mm -hmm. then you see that she really can do stuff. Is you know, it's just more that she's in over her head. But and and that's the but and that's the beauty of it too is that they don't need to make them strong for strong sake. Like they exactly. do they do make them the damsels in distress at times, and that's mm -hmm. okay. And well, then, yeah, Zelda uh, being yeah. an actual child, Rudo mm -hmm. being literally in over her head inside of the, uh, the Lord Jabu Jabu. Impa yeah. is literally the only one that's like, I'm a beast. Mess with me and you'll literally die where you stand, you know? Yeah, <laughs> and just think about that in, in it of itself. Like, Zelda's number one bodyguard is exactly. a woman, yeah. you know? so it's just, I mean, because we saw the guards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those worthless <laughs> guards. So I, the funny thing is, I think if it came out now... People might complain about it, so maybe it didn't age well. I think people might be like, "Oh wow, like of course they're all the women are are strong." It's fucking bullshit. No, like, I don't think I, that's necessarily aging well. I think that's just people being stupid. People haven't aged well. Yeah, people have, <laughs> or yeah, people are still stuck in their old ways. Yeah, but because because obviously we've had strong women in Nintendo games for a long time. Yeah, of course. It's just it, as long as it's a good written character, then that's all that matters. You know. Exactly. Um. The last thing I would say for me is the magic bean salesman, who we also didn't talk about the story. He's just a side character. But now, right now, in the time of modern inflation, the magic bean salesman is the father of modern inflation. He's just <laughs> fucking ridiculous. You end up paying at the end 900% over what you originally paid for the first bean. And I can tell you this, there's not fucking people marching in and out buying beans. So I don't, yeah. it's not supply and demand. It's literally, a, I'm your only demand, bro. So what the <laughs> fuck? So I gave it to him because he he predicted 2023 before any yeah. of us. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. Did you have any other ones you think that's uh, the, the one test I think time? is really good to stand the test of time is the idea of, you know, learning as you play, right? Mm -hmm. And getting these weapons and item upgrades as you're playing i think a lot of games do that yeah and, i mean it's quintessential to zelda yeah i mean you literally so. get a you get the item in the dungeon and use it in that dungeon i love that yeah i agree i yeah. agree okay it's, yeah um now 
what hasn't stood the test of time? What has aged terribly? Well, I would say number one is the frame rate. It's 20 frames per second on the Nintendo 64. Mm. It doesn't feel that way. I would say I'll, I'll give it that. It doesn't feel that way. But I think if it came out now in 2023, I mean, we're seeing it right now. Like Redfall is announced as 30 frames as opposed to 60 frames and the whole yeah. internet caught fire. Yeah, Destiny so, for the longest time was 30 frames. Yeah, but then that was like 20, 2013, you know? Yeah, exactly. Least, yeah, 10 years. Oh my yeah. God, it's been, oh my God, it's been 10 years. Yeah, it's been 10 years. Or 2014, sorry. But yeah, <laughs> whatever. Almost, but it's, oh my God. Almost 10 the years. The 10 year but, plan is coming to an end. No, <laughs> but anyways. <laughs> yeah, he, he, even then it was almost, it was still kind of acceptable. People were still kind of like, ah. And now it's like immediately, it's it's a point of contention. People are doing Reddit posts. They're on Discord servers. Mm-hmm. They're doing Twitter tweets. It's just 20 frames per second. No, but I don't know. It doesn't just doesn't feel that way when, when you play it. I, I would say it probably feels more like 30 frames yeah 24 if anything yeah you know so. the, the 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 supposed li- or it is the limit for what our eyes can note like see but it's not what i guess the limit what our eyes can notice because we can tell the difference yeah we can I, yeah because people say that but i was like yes i can tell and feel the difference yeah so exactly um this one's easy but it was fixed but it's the iron boots not being equipment which they fixed on the 3ds version yeah so, so i was actually going to ask about uh I, I i forgot to mention for her, the frame rate how is the frame rate on the 3ds it's 30 frames it's 30 okay so a little bit better okay yeah so yeah, at least i mean obviously they're not gonna it must probably gonna be hard to make it 30 60 frames on the, the, on the, on the D, 3, 3ds 3ds but, okay. and also it also came out in 2011 too gotcha. so again it's, it's not like you know so it was it's still decently like yeah, it, it was still, decent it was for some, its age. Yeah, it's still some time ago. I mean, Halo Three was thirty yeah. frames per second. But yeah, know? I guess in general, just so people know, we are talking for the most part. We will be when we talk about the age and both good and bad. It is more the sixty-four original version. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's that's what we're talking about. Yeah. The 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 thing that hasn't stood the test of time is Hyrule Field, and I, oh, as far as yeah. like for one, is majesty to people. Um, it just doesn't have that impact anymore, which we yeah, talked about. Yeah, not anymore. Yeah, and then the other thing is how desolate it is. It's it's empty. There's nothing there. That's like mm-hmm. a couple grottos that maybe if you bomb a couple rocks, you can jump in the grotto. There's Lon Lon Ranch, but then that's it. There's there's nothing else there. No NPCs. The Running Man, you can run into him. That's the only NPC you can see there. That's it. <laughs> so that has aged terribly because nowadays... <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, so much. <laughs> yeah, so well, some games. I'm not gonna say because some games are like that, you're true. You're true. Yeah, true, true, true. The next one I would say is puzzle design hasn't aged the best, just as mm. far as how easy it is. In some ways, I could say it aged great because it's the basis for the rest of the Zelda yeah, series. Yeah, but I guess the actual puzzles themselves and the the dungeons and the temples and the they just. Yeah, going going into it, even me playing it for the first time, they just felt very nov, like very simple. Yeah, and I mean, you you played Majora recently, so I, I I'm pretty sure, and I remember feeling that that one was even that one was a difficulty spike over. That was Arena. a step up, yeah. Yeah, so it, you you could see it. Yeah, the three evolving. granted the three day cycle helped that a lot. Yeah, yeah, it it's a it's a whole lot. different experience, but still, you know, it's designed for that. Uh, I we mentioned earlier the combat age. Well, this is the part where I'll say it is terribly just because 
you see it getting better every Zelda game. You know, you, you see it improving, especially like Wind Waker, when you can do like the move where you roll around and do the slash, finishing moves, and Twilight Princess as well. You you learn all these different combat skills. So it's just it's so basic here when now when you compare it to what you see now, especially Breath of the Wild, you can't even <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's so much better. Graphics has aged pretty bad. In my opinion, like the polygons really show themselves, especially if you play it on the sixty four, because on the three DS it still looks pretty good. Yeah, I, 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 I guess I'm kind of enamored with that kind of like our graphics. I don't think they're horrible because I've mm. seen other like polygon game, like you know where they show their polygons and show their age. I feel yeah. this one actually does a much better job than a lot of games. Okay, even of the same like year. Yeah, I mean there is definitely games that were worse at the time, but. I guess we'll disagree on that one because I just looking at it now. You look at, you compare it now. I guess if we were to say it was an indie game, then I could be like, okay, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not. So the next one to me, it's place in the culture. I think that's aged terribly because within like the first five to ten years, maybe even fifteen years after it was released, it was pretty universally thought to be top five a lot of people thought it was the best game ever made mm-hmm. like without question and when i started doing research for the pod i was just looking up some of the lists and every list doesn't even have it in the top 20 or 30 anymore i seen it up to like top 40 i think in the top 10 that you were mentioning to me when we were doing this that like top 10 like super metroid and super mario world are like in the top 10 and they've still kept their position yeah I think it's the it's just the fact that, you know, we've moved basically away from 2D ingenuity, yeah. innovation. Like there's still a lot of. No, good that's not true. That's not true, though. But I, I know what you're saying, but but obviously we went back to it in the indie games. Yeah, like... we've we've gone back to it in indie games. But like their 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 place is almost cemented just because like the prime day of 2D games are kind of like, yes, there's new ones innovating and, and doing great stuff now. Yeah. But Hollow as Knight, a whole, Ori. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hollow Knight, Ori. All these games are amazing, mm. but their place isn't as high as it used to be. And these games were like the prime when those games were the top. Yeah. When those games were the only, you know, so they were, that's what kind of like, I think helped cement their place. Whereas we're still moving and continuing and advancing 3D games and we're still in the 3D, like and until we can move into like four dimension, which I, I don't think we can. Mm-hmm. I think that hurts Ocarina of Time's place in yeah. all time. I do agree with that part of it. I I, I think that's the reason. Um, and but yeah, I mean, that's just more of like it did that his place in the culture aged terribly. And the whole thing with like Super Metroid and Super Mario World where it's. I think the word I would say that I think you're kind of searching for is that it, it was made in the golden era of 2D mm, games. Yeah. We're, and yeah. we're like, I don't think we're like, I don't even know where we're, where we are in 3D games for era, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. what. Are we in the silver age right now? Yeah. I, who knows? Cause, I don't know. Cause I think this, the, this game would have been the before silver age. Uh, this is like the right? prehistoric age. Yeah. You like know? the like, bronze. Like this is when they were coming out. Exactly. And now we're, have, have we hit? I don't think we can hit the prime or the golden age of 3D until we move on to the next, right? Yeah, no, I I agree with that. Unless some new innovation comes out that 
blows our mind the yeah, same way. Because I think the, the closest thing I can think of is like Oculus. Yeah, the VR. But VR, it's like, thank you. But even that, I don't see that because it's just so much more. Yeah, but we cumbersome. don't. Who knows? Yeah, it's cumbersome, but who knows how far it will go in even the next year or so. The thing I can see is something like even this, it would take a long time in augmented reality, not VR, but augmented reality. Like if you could do games like really intricate games in that way, Mm -hmm. that'd be sick. Like imagine you doing like having whatever Google glasses where you can see stuff, but then they designed the game around like a hiking trail. And so instead of just going to catch Pokemon in these preordained spaces or whatever, it's like an actual quest you do as you're walking so, around. So a more world. advanced Pokemon Go. Yeah, like super more advanced. But anyway, mm-hmm. I, I think that's so far away. It's not even worth mentioning. But yeah, it's it's placing the culture has aged terribly. I'm not. I was surprised when I first saw it because to me, in my heart, it's the best game ever made. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, after considering, I was like, okay, that makes sense. Like like what you said with the Golden Age of Super Metroid. It's like yeah, like games from now. 2D games from now, I would say, are probably just as good, if not better, than Super Metroid or Super Mario World. But they're not so much. They're not such a leap ahead that it's a. Cra- it's not like playing Breath of the Wild versus Ocarina of Time. You know, right? We, th- those two are just oceans, worlds apart. Um, so yeah, the next thing that aged terribly is bullying. Like as fucking he who shall not be named, <laughs> that would not be accepted nowadays, friends. I'm just saying. Next one, block moving is slow and cumbersome. Uh, <laughs> I just, I just, it's just they could have made it better. Like even just like four or five years later, or I, I forgot when God of War came out, but it's like when you kick, you could kick boxes to make it fast. It's just, I don't know. It's just instead of the Goron gloves, Goron boots. Yeah, that that would have been fucking perfect. They should have done that. Um, this one, I think everybody would agree with camera controls rough mm. rough they show their age you don't agree with that one no i definitely yeah <laughs> that one, like, I, don't, yeah. I don't if i speak you know but yeah no um it's it's definitely one of those we take for granted what we have now because mm-hmm. when i went back and played i was like oh god this is <laughs> like i died so many times just because of my movement because of my uh because of my camera controls yeah yeah definitely um the next one i would say bosses they're too easy they're way too easy um that's part of zelda though so it's not really a complaint but i just think that bosses now are done way more intricately in a 3d space yeah i think they because honestly bosses have a lot of it still find their weakness and rinse and repeat yeah but it's just harder to the timing and like you know and the, just the timing, the memorizing the right pattern, memorizing the right, like, oh, he raised his hand this way. He's going to do this. Yes. It's gotten more intricate. It's yes. still the same idea. It's just more intricate. Yes. And and a lot ha- a lot of that has to do, I suppose, with the evolution of the combat. Like you get more options now. So you can, you can input more patterns into the bosses than you could before. So that makes sense. And the last one is the Love Struck Couple still being in love like deeply <laughs> in love seven years later that's Mike, no. just because love doesn't work out for us doesn't mean no it work out for <laughs> if, if link and zelda don't we don't fall in love then nobody else does <laughs> but they're seven years apart and they're still just fucking circling around each other dancing okay well, whatever all right, Mike. All, right, Mike. <laughs> all right next category 
what would you rather have, Javi, for this game? You give you three choices, either a remake, a remaster, or a reboot. Me? Uh, I would love the idea of them redoing this game. And not just, uh, you know, like they did a great remaster in the 3DS. Mm-hmm. But I would love just a give it a really nice Final Fantasy VII or Resident Evil 2, 3, and even 4 now mm-hmm. style reboot. and or I'm sorry, remake. Remake, And yeah. even maybe, you know, change some things. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. That might be too much. That might be asking for too much. And a lot of people might not agree with that. But I think a remake, similar, maybe more in the sense of Resident Evil 2, 3, mm-hmm. and 4, make make a remake with that kind of, like, care. Yeah, I I completely agree if I had a choice between these three. Because for one, okay, to be fair, Nintendo considers a 3DS version a remake. They say that themselves. Mm-hmm. I personally don't in the sense of I consider it a high-end remaster. I know they remade it from the ground up, fair enough, but it's like the same thing with The Last of Us Part 1. Like, it's the same game, yeah. you know? I need I need things in Hyrule Field. I need quests. I need it. I need I need their quest system. I need them to revamp it and make it similar to Manjora's at least. Okay. I don't know if I would go that far, but I do want I would want them to keep the bones of the world. Yeah. And just expand on it. Make the Kokiri Forest bigger. Add a couple oh, more NPCs. One bone I would need them to completely remake, though, is the Gerudo uh, prison. So yeah. <laughs> that would Don't, have to be completely remade. Please. Uh, do do it like Wind Waker or something. Please give us some stealth mechanics or something. Or, yeah, just know? something. But yeah, I would definitely want like kind of the same characters, but now they're expanded. They have actual dialogue. They have maybe some mini quests, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, that we didn't have. Make Hyrule Field bigger, put some NPCs in it. But I want the same kind of aesthetic, bones and structure, just really cool new 3D, gra- like the, not 3D, but like the new graphics. And of course, like reboot, every Zelda game is kind of a reboot. So it, just, they like, definitely <laughs> are. Yeah. So that I think that one for me, it, it makes com- complete sense. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Next category, Javi. Describe a prequel or sequel that you'd like to see for Ocarina of Time. You have any, you could do anything. What, what yeah. would you want to do? It could be a different style game if you want. It doesn't need to be a Zelda game. <laughs> I think this is kind of what brought about like the podcast in general. Mm-hmm. We were talking about, uh, I want, and this is completely different from any kind of Zelda game. So it mm-hmm. wouldn't, I don't even know if it would be called The Legend of Zelda, mm-hmm. but I want it to be the civil, about the time during the civil war that mm-hmm. we hear about. Because we yeah. keep hearing about the Civil War, especially in this game. Yeah. And I want to just, I want to know how the mother got to the Deku, or the Kokiri Forest. Yeah. And then and then got to the Deku Tree, basically. Yeah, and to the Deku Tree. And, you know, obviously, I'm assuming she's passed away. Uh, I think it's implied she, you know, goes into the forest, right? And yeah, I passes. think, well, into the Lost Woods, I was saying. The say. Lost Woods, sorry. Thank you. Yeah, and and then as we know in the lore of the game, anybody who's Hylian and goes in there becomes a Stalfos. So that'd mm-hmm. be crazy. That'd be crazy if she becomes a Stalfos. Yeah, I mean they don't necessarily they don't necessarily need to do that, but at least give us like some kind of story. And like I said, I don't want it in the style of Legend of Zelda. It would have to be a different style. 
Yeah, it, it couldn't be. And for me, so I like this one, and then I, I give it a lot of thought. I, I'd want to make it kind of like a Plague Tale style game. Mm, that that actually might be cool, yeah. yeah. So not like actual, like a lot of combat. More, mostly stealth. Right? It, it's more like a, a lore, like, or not a lore, how would you say, an exploratory... Yeah, well, there's a lot of, like, puzzle solving to that. Yeah, puzzle um, solving, solving is fine, but, like, no yeah. actual, like, oh, I'm going to fight a boss kind of thing. No, no, because it's mostly stealth. So I I, I, th- I think that'd just be cool. And you play as the mother, basically, and then Link as your little companion. Mm-hmm. and the Baby whole s- Link. Baby Link. Well, yeah, that's the other thing, though, because I think we would have to age him up a little oh, bit. Oh, you're right. You know, because then she can't be carrying and There's not death Well, she, Yeah, and then, then like- oh, she can't be carrying them, and also uh, the children never age kind of thing. But I well, guess that that would depend on like how does Link does Link age in the forest or does is it been nine years I guess because we don't know that for sure either. Yeah, we we don't know that. Um, well, that's an inexplicable mystery yeah. which we'll talk about too. Um, yeah. I I think that we age him up just for the story's sake. We age him up maybe enough to, to like, be able to walk. Yeah, like just to be coherent, like seven years old or something. Okay, and um. You have to trek. You have to make your way through all of the Hyrule Kingdom to the different tribes, and like every time you reach a different one, they they help you. Like, okay, you mm. go to Kakariko Village first, and you really need help. You're running away from the fight or whatever, and then they 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 some somebody helps you. They give you a horse or something. You yeah. do some side and missions. you keep moving on to everyone, and maybe we yeah. can learn a little bit of each of the, even the Gerudo. Maybe I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's. I mean, they're technically. I don't know who's fighting actually, but at yeah. this time, well, it's all the tribes are fighting. Yeah, yeah the all yeah, from, just, from what we know, all the tribes are fighting. Yeah, so, so it's just searching for refuge. Yeah, and I think it would be kind of interesting because, uh, not no offense to the mother or anything, but it could be something like maybe she doesn't have like any kind of like powers or anything, mm-hmm. but maybe like Link's destiny. You know, he not that he has powers, but there's some kind of like force that is helping him, kind of, and helping yeah. them. And yeah. it, and it could be kind of uh, the conduit will be Link, and that would also help because let's say in Plectel, for example, the kid helps you a lot. Yes, with, with solving puzzles with his powers. So it's just one of those things. It's like if Link is that kid, it, mm-hmm. it, it makes sense narrative wise, and then also it's just like, oh, this is this is why he's so good at solving puzzles. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like, well, that, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, so it's just like he he got the training here, you know. But yeah, it just it would be awesome. I would probably end it too somewhere like uh, there's a big battle and she's desperately trying to get through, and then she gets hit, and that kind of last of a scene where like you're limping. But mm. you're, and this would be why she goes into the lost woods because she would never have gone there in the first place. Yeah, and they need a and narrative wise too, they should hype that up throughout mm-hmm. the game where it's that- like. So you know somebody in Zora's domain is just like don't ever go into the Lost mm-hmm. Woods. Like yeah, like someone's like someone, some like crazy person's like you know the Lost Wood is probably not touched, and then someone's yeah. like don't ever go into the Lost Woods kind of don't thing. Don't go there. You're it's you, the horrors in there, mm-hmm. you know. And then it could be a beautiful scene when she goes in and she just sees fairies and children, yeah. and she's like, oh and my they all God. scutter like run, and maybe yeah. Zarya Zarya leads her to the Deku tree. Like all oh. the other ones are scared, adorbs, and, <laughs> yeah. And she leads, she sees the little boy Link and leads them to the Deku tree. That'd be sick. And it's like this is my new best friend. Oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. Yeah, that that's a good one. Okay. Uh, 
I, I came up with one too. I think this is also a cool idea for a second game. Again, I want to go not action RPG Zelda style. I really love that Final, Final Fantasy did this with Dirge of Cerberus. Mm. Where they, ex- they expanded the universe and it, they made that. That one was like a third person. It was shooter. a third person shooter. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was like, I wish more franchises would do that. Not that Dirge of Cerberus is that great, but I just like the idea that they did that, you know? So again, Plague Tale, this one, I would want to make kind of a mid cool, I call it, in between those seven years. So I think that'd be a cool story to find out, like, what happened during that time. The story that mm. I kind of came up with, that like, I, I would make it more of an action adventure, like Uncharted style type thing. And really narrative focus heavy where you play as a knight maybe maybe it starts when ganon invades the castle with his forces and there's like a big there's a big battle and you're one of the knights and you guys are defeated so you have to go into hiding you end up going i don't know like you go to kakariko village and just pretend to be one of the villagers as like Ganon, Ganon is Ganondorf is going around just like murdering every. It's like Order sixty six style. Like he's just oh. fucking like any night dead. That's it. You're all dead. Yeah, and instead yeah. of like trying to like you know fight, he he keeps hidden. Right, I guess yeah. it would be to save himself almost. Yeah, he just he just fades. He just, it's almost he's, like he's uh, what's the word? It's almost like he's uh, selfish in mm-hmm. that way. You know, yes. he only cares about himself. That's and I like that part of it because then that that'll be part of his own that that will attach you to him as a story as he redeems himself. Mm-hmm. So then something happens. I don't know. So one of the Sheikah tribe come to Kakariko Village and they know him or somehow they know that he's a knight and they or, they put. Uh, mm-hmm. or go ahead. No, I was gonna say it could be something like um, they come in like basically giving a clue but kind of in secret because you know Sheikah are secret, right? Mm-hmm. But the guards probably know that mm-hmm. zelda's alive because maybe that's part of the thing all the people think maybe zelda's dead yes yes and then the knight finally like finds his courage because he can he he knows that symbol or that thing that you know it means you know not not only that this person is probably just seemingly going there just to see who can come help yes you know, who can be against ganon but they somehow like it's almost like indicated to him and anyone who would be a guard that zelda's alive to give him that courage to like you know, put his demons behind him. And and go on the mission, which the mission I thought of would be was, okay, this is this is how we could do it, I think. That would make it fun. It'd be a cool story. So he sees the symbol. He knows. He gets his courage. They know now about Link. Zelda knows because she didn't know right away, right? She mm-hmm. didn't know what happened. But then she finds out Link is alive, but he needs to rest. He needs to grow for seven years before he can awake. So the thing is, Twin Rova, the Twin Witches, are trying to find a way to get into the Sacred Realm, like Black Magic style. Because the only way you can get in is the way they got in, but maybe they're finding like some secret. It's like, like a, ma- this is like a reverse Death Star, like yeah, plans yeah. thing, right? Like, yeah, like we need to get in there. We need yeah. to get in there and kill him. That's what yeah. we need to do. And we need to stop these people from finding out how to do this. Yeah, they're, 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 they're looking for the plan or whatever. Yeah, they're like going in through some ancient temples and ruins. Dark magic. They're like, yeah, they're fi- and then they're trying to find like this old magic to get them in. And like your quest is to stop them, you know? And then, uh, I don't know, like he at the end, he, he dies too, but he stops mm-hmm. them maybe like 
fucking a week before Link is supposed to awake or yeah. something. So he sacrifices you know, himself to save the whole. This could be the guard that is ridiculing us at Goron, at the <laughs> Death Mountain. Yeah. Well, yeah, because we never see him as a as an adult. That's right. Yeah. yeah. There you go. He redeemed himself for making fun of us. The best. <laughs> He's the best, though. He's the best. Yeah. All right. Uh, next category. Let's talk about some inexplicable mysteries. Um, the first one is the most obvious one. So let's just get it out the way. The Song of Storms Paradox. We talked about that. The chicken or the egg. What came first? How is Link the one who teaches himself the song seven years before he knew it? I don't know. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. Never explained. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, we've had this time thing happen in many things. And granted, we don't know the actual rules, right? Because we don't know, we don't know <laughs> actual time travel. No. But ac according to the context that is laid before us, it doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't at all. All right, next. In order to get past King Zora, we have to find a letter from Princess Rudo in Lake Hylia. Once we get past King Zora and find Rudo in Lord Jabu Jabu's belly, Rudo denies ever writing a letter. So where mm. did the letter come from? It magically appeared. Magically <laughs> appeared. Uh, I did like that I saw like just a theory that she was just too proud to admit it, especially to Link, who's a child like herself. I could see that too with her personality. That I think that's what makes the most sense. You can go like super high level and just be like Ganondorf planted it there because he wants you to do this so that he can get into the sacred realm. That's another True. like that's another but that's yeah. like super conspiracy Illuminati yeah. shit. Like the <laughs> and then he just randomly puts it in like Hylia too. Like, what mm -hmm. the fuck? What are you doing? Okay, the next inexplicable mystery. How the fuck did Link grow and become stronger during seven years in stasis without any nutrition, without any exercise <laughs> or anything? I just... he, he got powered by the by the light of the sacred realm. Oh, okay. That explains yeah. it. Never mind. That's, that's <laughs> it. Explain. No, it, uh, it is It is one of those just like, it's just he, main character, you know, powers, yeah. you know, yeah. MC, you know. Yeah. It's in the script, bro. Just shut exactly. up. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Next, let's, uh, let's just, how can we explain the Gerudo genetics? Only one male is born every 100 years. How does that work? Yeah. We know the makes... Gerudo women go looking for Hylian men to procreate with. But only females are born. Mm. You know, yeah. how does a male gene get through? It, that makes no sense. I, don't, I guess it, it has to be predetermined somehow. Mm -hmm. But it's like, how does the gene know yeah. when to activate? And like, it's because, or is it a thing where they just decide and they're like, all right, like this is going to be the mother and we're going to make sure it's a boy now? I wonder, is it like an avatar thing, you know, yeah. uh, like the last airbender? Is it, um, do the males, are they infertile maybe as well? So that's why it's so hard for the male gene to be passed on. Okay. You know, could... I mean, not that, that I, I don't think that's exactly how genes work. I don't think a male gene is necessarily passed through like, like, you know, like hair or anything, mm. but maybe it's something along those lines, you know? Well, I mean, we're thinking about that too human, like, cause in the, true, that is true right? as well. It's that is like, true. There's just like so a whole it's just, different race of, yeah. Cause I mean, yeah. it's just, it's just so weird, especially like every 100 years. What if the guy, I mean, I don't know how long Gerudo's live, but what if yeah. he's over a hundred? Does that mean there isn't one until the next hundred years or, does it, the new one get born and the one current die? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, does Does the new one kill the old one? Because there there can only be one. Yeah. Or like I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Sif like you know. Yeah. None of it makes sense. But it's just okay. Inexplicable. Good. 
why did Navi leave Link at the end of the game? That it just happens. It happens like the Navi leaves, Link doesn't know, and then in Majora, you're basically looking for Navi. Yeah, and then we don't find her. Don't find her. My only explanation is that Navi rhymes with Javi, and Javi is fucking just a bitch, and that's it. Oh, okay, okay, (laughs) okay. I don't know where that fucking came from, but all right. (laughs) Yeah, no, but yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know why. I had no, I don't even have theories for it. It's just yeah, the mission's Uh, over. It's like all right, fuck it. Someone else who leaves. Uh, where's Jabu Jabu when you're an adult? Yeah, he's nowhere to be found. I mean, I'm assuming it's maybe some kind of migration, but as far as I know, he's their lord, so he should be always there. He's not at the bottom of a lake unless there's a section that we can't see, you know, just because of for games. But he's just yeah. inexplicably gone. Yeah, and for game purposes, you can't even leave that Zora's Fountain. There's no opening there. Yeah, exactly. Unless he does some like super jump, like maybe. free willy. Yeah, free willy style. But Princess I'll, Rudo knew that like stuff was going down, so she did the whole free willy scene. Go, go, Lord Jabu Jabu. Yeah. You go to the lake, not even the seas, like get to the lake, get out of here. <laughs> um how old is Link? We don't know. Now here's yeah. the thing. Here's the reason I asked is because he's he's Hylian, but he lives in Kokiri. But does that mean he wasn't aging in Kokiri? And they're just withholding his aging until he leaves, or was he it? Was he just the perfect age when we met him right now? Like, was he actually just nine? And that's just yeah, how old he was. We don't know. You know. We don't know how long the Great War was, right? No, or how we long ago it yeah, was. How, either. Yeah, or how long ago it ended. Yeah, because Link's mother was found refuge in the middle of the war. Yeah, so we don't know how long that lasted. We don't know how long after that lasted. We've been in the forest for. Mm-hmm. So let's say he was a newborn, which, you know, would throw our our prequel idea out the window. If he's a newborn, that means the war would have had ended and lasted only up to whatever he, age he is, which in this, he's supposed to be around nine. Nine, yeah. So, yeah, so. But theoretically, he could be like, he could be 50. He could yeah. be like Grogu style 50. Yeah, you know? he just. He was there for Order 66. He saw it, you know. he, he Yeah, because so, it's one of those weird things like. Yes, we know the children don't age, but the Deku tree definitely ages, mm-hmm. right? Because we saw the baby. <laughs> uh, so, but does the, and that doesn't mean Link doesn't age or does it? Yeah, we don't you know. We don't know. Also, um, this is just like this applies to like just I guess horror genre in general. How do this is how do the Stalfels laugh if they don't have lungs? How does any <laughs> skeleton make noise? <laughs> it's a the funny thing is like a deep laugh too. It's like yeah, oh, 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 oh. yeah, love love it, love it. But why and how? Inexplicable. That's the only thing we can say because the magic, baby, magic. Where did Ganon learn to play the organ? Yeah, we like, joked about it earlier. Yeah. So but... did he get? So is he just a natural? I wonder if he's jealous of Link because Link just picked up the ocarina. Pretty. They, you just yeah. need to teach Link him one time, and he knows the song. Bro, it would have been like, badass if it was like a, a instrument, like a battle of the bands at, mm-hmm. in the in the organ room. <laughs> you just but that we should have done that. We should have busted out the ocarina and been like, mm-hmm. "Let's go, baby. Let's see who could do this better." Yeah, play "Song of the Storms" and it, over. It's over. Yeah, fucking, he can't. He can't. "Song of Storms." Sorry, I always say the <laughs> <laughs> "Song of Storms." Yeah. yeah. When Twin Rova dies, why do they get a halo and ascend to heaven? Like, <laughs> what? I mean, yeah. then again, it's me adding, you know, human rules to Hylian 
afterlife protocol. Yeah. So who knows? Uh, one comment I saw was they're so evil that heaven is probably hell for them, which I like because that's it's the best some, answer. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of a uh, Frieza in hell. I mean, he went to hell in Dragon Ball Z, but it was a hell that's like cute. Yeah, because he hates that. It's mm. hell for it's hell for him. Exactly. I like that answer. That's that's the best answer. But yeah, they did never did anything good. So by human beliefs, <laughs> never yeah. they would never go to heaven ever. Alrighty, let's jump into some awards. Give us some awards. We've we've been through the whole grinder here, and now it's time to hand out some of the best stuff in this game. Uh, we're gonna limit it to five nominees each. We'll probably share a lot of the same. So if if we have the same, then you don't have to add on anything to it. Yeah. Obviously. All right. For the first award, the Remember No Russian Award for most memorable moment. My first nominee here is the intro. Classic, t- timeless. Great intro, yep. Yeah, nothing more to say. It's just, I, it's it lives forever. My second nominee, I think it's a little bit of cheating, but I do consider it the same scene for me, is both when Link leaves the forest and he talks to Saria, that beautiful scene where it's so sad, and then mm-hmm. seeing Hyrule Field for the first time. Those two scenes together for me. Um, my third nominee, Zelda and Link meet for the first time in the castle, and then Ganon does that little glance to the right. That whole scene is mm. great too. Seeing seeing them together as kids is really sweet, and then also, but having Ganon there in that same vicinity is just something very powerful about it. It doesn't happen that often. No, and, I was gonna say all of the scenes where they're the three of them are together is a very powerful scene. It is, it is, and it, if you look throughout the series, it's it's a rare occurrence. You know, it only happens for like a scene or of one boss fight or something, and that's mm-hmm. it. So powerful. Uh, my fourth nominee: Link enters the Temple of Time. You hear the fucking music. It's ethereal. It's amazing, and then he pulls the Master Sword, which is. Probably if you're just to pick like one scene from this game, I would even say it, that people think of might be it might be that one. Yeah, especially yeah, first time in 3D, first time seeing the Master Sword in all its like majesty. I think mm-hmm. I would agree. Yeah, and my last nominee is for me. This one was big. It it is seeing Hyrule Castle Town after the seven years. Like just to um, see mm-hmm. it, it. That one's like imprinted on my mind because. You don't know what you're going to see when you come out to seven years later. You're interested to see how things are different. And then you're like, holy shit. Like, Yeah, honestly, I didn't even think about it. Honestly, I didn't think about the passage of time until I got out for me. Mm, So it just hit you in the face. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, those those are the ones that stick out to me. Did you have any other nominees you wanted to add on? One I would like to add is uh, the final boss or the very end when Ganon appears in his other form. Mm. In his boar form, I guess. Okay. Uh, or hog. I forget what it's what it's. Referred it's the to hog. Like. Yeah, I would say the they call it the hog form. Yeah. Yeah, and like you like we we talked about it earlier, but that silhouette, especially on the sixty four, is just so intimidating. And yeah, you know, it's coming out of nowhere. You think you're kind of out of the woods, and no, you're not. Yes, exactly. Especially like if you never saw the ending for a final boss before, you're like. 
you didn't know there was a second form or how how, right. how it would be so it's yeah. surprising and then the other one uh there's a lot of these but my favorite of them is the bolero fire teaching or mm. i guess when when Sheik teaches you the bolero fire something okay. about being in the volcano and then both of you just kind of playing and the like the the wind kind of picking up not wind yeah, i'm saying it's the, but, you it's know, the, the heat, heat the heat waves yeah the heat yeah the heat waves and then the it, it was just such a memorable scene to me that one sticks out to me too and i i also have a soft spot in my heart for the bolero fire yes it's, yeah. it's really it's good. definitely i think my favorite of the temple songs okay of like uh, the the the, the sage teleportation temples. songs yeah, yeah the, the teleportation yeah, yeah. songs okay exactly all right so those are the nominees for me my winner i would say it has to be when link leaves the forest talks mm. to saria and see how sees hyrule field it like it just has to be it's i think it's unquestionable but it it's just too especially them being back to back you get everything you need from the game right here <laughs> okay yeah. yeah for for me i think i'm gonna go with the bolero fire because just it just it just hit me very very good and i just love love the song like i said earlier and just it just looked so much cooler than any of the other ones that were shown. Okay. The most memorable moment, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Our second award, the Cade Six Award for Best Supporting Character. So there's a distinction here because we'll have Best Supporting Character and Best Side Character. So it's, it can blur a little bit, but I would say the Best Supporting Characters are pretty much main characters, not named Link. You know? So here are my five nominees. Number one, obviously... Ganon, <laughs> he's and he doesn't even show up that much, but obviously he's he's omnipresent. Like he's oh his presence. Yeah, he's is always, always his presence felt. is always felt exactly yeah, throughout the whole game. So he's super important and he's great in this game. He's menacing. He's everything he needs to be. Second nominee is Zelda, namesake of the game. Mm-hmm. She's great, especially. I mean, I, she should be the first one you mentioned. <laughs> I know it should have been, but you know what? As as an actual character, I actually think of the. The young Zelda is cooler. I think she's like as a character. Mm, I think she's. Okay. I think she's more important to me than fair enough, than the fair older enough. Zelda. Um, but I actually separated these two, so this might be surprising. But my third nominee is Sheik. So, no, I agree. I agree with you separating them. Okay, so you you do see them as kind of separate entities. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think Sheik is. I almost almost see it as, as the Superman Clark Kent complex, where it's just. Sheik is actually who Zelda really is, but can't show. And then Zelda is like her personality, trying to be the princess type thing. Mm-hmm. And as Sheik, she's so poetic, so much. Like, why doesn't she say any of those poetic things as Zelda? Like, you know, <laughs> right? Like she all of a sudden, ability, yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, I can't do it anymore. But I, I think Sheik is awesome. Um, number four for all the shit people talk, Navi is my fourth best supporting character, just because. I feel like she goes a long way to not make me feel alone throughout the journey. Mm. Um, even though it's not like we have full on conversations with her, it's not like any like then you know how in new games you'll have your side character talking to you often and all the time. Yeah, but you know games just weren't that way. But she it just goes a long way to feel like I do have a companion. Yeah, and, and as journey. you know, as much hate as she gets, it's iconic. You know, regardless. Yeah. Yeah, and helpful too. Yeah, all, yeah, all, definitely. All, all BS aside, okay. My last nominee is Saria. I think to me, she's one of the biggest emotional cores to the game. She she ties the innocence 
of Link to me. So every time I think of her, I, I do think of Young Link, mm-hmm. and I th- I think Young Link is the heart of the game. You know, okay. even though you spend way more time as adult Link, but Young Link is what what Miyamoto wanted. You know, yeah. and I f- I feel that. Yeah, so. I think these are definitely like the quintessential ones. I think the only one I would like to add is Darunia. Okay, because that's... he's the he's. He, you know, we help him or he helps us. I guess we help him mm-hmm. in Death Mountain. But just that instant, like, you know, like, I don't want to talk to you, which I understand. You know, it wasn't even like Princess Rudo's stubbornness, kind of and, like stubbornness. Yeah. This was like, he's literally like, there's shit going on in his kingdom. He's stressed he's, out. Yeah, yeah, he's stressed yeah. out, you know. So I understand. But then that instant love. Whereas for like Rudo, for example, it was I'm already inside Jabu Jabu trying to save you. You know, mm-hmm. there's no reason for you to be uh, mad at me here. I know. I get you. I, I love Darunia, too. And um, I just love the Gorons, you know. Yeah, the there's, Gorons are amazing. I, 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 one of my favorite. Guys. So that's a good addition. Um, my winner for this one, I would say Sheik. I... <laughs> I, I just think Sheik outshines everybody. The poetry, yeah. she has bars and the yeah, bars. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with you. I think number the other one that I think could have maybe possibly taken it for me would have been Ganon if they were shown more. Yeah, but I think Sheik is just the best of the supporting characters we have. I I think I, I agree, and I I what you said about Ganon too. I think that maybe ten years ago or even more, like maybe fifteen years ago, I would have probably picked Ganon. But if we would have got like that speech that he did in Wind Waker here, mm-hmm. I probably would have mm-hmm. picked Ganon. Oh my god! If yeah. he if he had even a percentage of what that <laughs> what that Ganon had, yeah, in 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 that in that sense, yes, I think exactly. he would have been amazing. Yeah, I, yeah, agree. Okay, um, next award, the Claptrap Award for best side character. Uh, Okay, this, I think these were pretty easy for me because these I just these stand out to me. Mm-hmm. Number one, I, mean, I think there's like there's gonna be a lot of overlap. <laughs> yeah, no, of course, of course, because they, they're just the best anyway. Like so, number one, Icon Skull Kid, mm-hmm. he, he got his own damn game. So, and he makes an imprint here. Like they're memorable in the Lost Woods. You know, the mm-hmm. Skull Kid. There, yeah. There's not much here, but I, I can see where the charm came in when they they yeah, made him I, part of Majora. And it's definitely a hindsight too thing. I think he might not have made the list if he didn't if we didn't get Majora's Mask. Very true, very true. I can agree with that. So that, that adds you, it, it's inescapable that you add that part of his legacy. So, yeah. um, my second nominee is Link's future wife in the future, Malin. Uh, mm. I would choose her over everybody just because, like, she was actually nice to you and didn't send you back in time without asking you anything. <laughs> she te- she she helped you get your ho- loving horse, your compa- other companion. So Malin, I think she's a great character, sweet, and, I don't know, just very homely and nice. Uh, Lon Lon Ranch in general, too, just reminds me of, of you, a comfort. I just thought of something. How did we get Epona? Malin. <laughs> well, no, no. Well, yeah, Malin, but we got her as an adult, not as uh-huh. a child. Uh-huh. So you know what I mean? We never got her from Ingo. So did Malin just give it to her, give it to us after when we came back, you know? Because we didn't have oh. her as a child. Oh, you mean you mean in, in Majora? In Majora, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, yeah. That's I just, true. I just That's thought true. of it as you were mentioning this, because you were like, we were sent back, and I'm like, wait a minute. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's never explained. Well, may- maybe he goes back there and he tells her like, "Hey, uh, 
what's up? You know, yeah, can granted, I have he Epona? Does know Epona? Yeah, granted, he does know Epona's song, but she's in the pen. So I just, yeah. that just came to my mind. I'm so sorry to sidetrack right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that'd be a cool side story of just like, maybe he becomes good friends with Malin. They start yeah. hanging out. And then he, he's like, oh, I'm going to go on this adventure. And it's like, oh, you know, you should take Epona. Okay. Yeah. And maybe exactly. that's the story. I don't yeah. know. So you spoiled my next nominee, but that's, it's, it's Epona. <laughs> yep. Which I, the only reason I wouldn't say is supporting just because she's optional. Yes. You know, she's completely optional. Um, so that's the only reason I think, but I mean, she's super important, obviously. No, <laughs> like, yes, definitely. And memorable. And it's one of the hallmarks of the game. So number four for me, this is very, I mean, personal for me, but the bomb tube bowling alley operator. <laughs> <laughs> of course you're going to add her. Of course. I love her. She's great. And I was in love with her when I was 13. So mm -hmm. call me bomb tube bowl bowling operator. <laughs> alley operator. Uh, my fifth nominee. I think this actually is a really good nominee. I'm not even going to lie. The guard at the entrance of Death Mountain. Mm-hmm. Comes in throwing 105 miles per hour because he's just throwing zingers at, at Link. Yeah. Talking shit, being sarcastic. Best Hyrule guard. By far. He's the only one who guards in Hyrule for one. And then for two, he was actually funny. Like I actually laughed out loud. And he's he's he gives Link gives him the letter and he's like, Hey, um, who the why the fuck are you trying to come in here? You're just a kid. And then he's just talking shit the whole time. He's like, Oh, open the door for Mr. Hero. <laughs> the hero. Yeah. Hero of time coming through. Like, you know, he's just being so sarcastic. So I loved him. He was funny. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, right. I think uh, I have two that I would like to nominate. Okay. Uh, one is the Song of Storms guy. The, okay. The, <laughs> you know, the musician. The musician. Uh, whatever I think they he's call just him. A, such a colorful character. Yeah. The Adderall and, riddled. <laughs> yeah. And obviously the my favorite song of the entire franchise. Okay. Uh, and then uh, Dampe, because he he's optional for the most part, except you have to get the hood shot. But the first time you see him, he's just he's just working. He's just there. He's just always there. working. He's he's the kind of person that always shows up to work too. He worked himself to death. You yeah, know, literally. Guy. Yeah, yeah, poor guy. He he is memorable though for sure. And he's one of those ones where I was like, he doesn't look human. Yeah. But he's but he's in the he like in this human town, so it's kind of felt like off. But the, it mm -hmm. was just interesting. To me for that so mm -hmm. i like that one okay my winner I, i'm sorry malin but bomb shoe bowling alley <laughs> operator wins she's yeah. for she's forever imprinted yeah, of course on she's me. gonna win for you yeah i have I... posters of her like in my in my 13 year old bedroom <laughs> like, yeah where'd you print them from <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's, there's no there's no kinko's <laughs> kinko's uh for me it was very hard to choose between the two but and again, sorry, Malin, we, we apologize, but Epona. Yeah, that's the real answer, obviously. Just iconic. Yep. Uh, completely missable, too. Completely missable and memorable, everything about it. It's just Epona is, is also so important to us. So, yes, I, I love that one. All right, next award, the Slippy Toad Award for Most Annoying Character. <laughs> okay. This is not controversial. Nominee number one is Navi. Yeah. Because infamously, people are annoyed by, hey, look, listen, mm -hmm. often. Uh, mm -hmm. 
She never met a clue she didn't like. She loves all clues, yeah. and she needs to pass them over to us. And so. granted, by standards of today, some of the games we've seen, she's actually not that annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In her, like, hints and stuff. God of War Ragnarok, we're looking at you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. My second nominees are the Deku Scrubs, because I can't... Oh, yeah. It's so annoying getting into a grotto. It's like, oh, I wonder if there's a hard piece in here. Like, what's in here? And then you go in there, and it's Deku Scrubs offering you, like nuts for 20 rupees yeah. and it's just like i honestly on. forgot about them we, we they they probably would have come up in our like you know when we we're talking about each dungeon just how bad their prices were but i'm, surpri I'm surprised they didn't yeah i just i don't even want to think about them they're they're a disappointment constantly so damn them annoying number three is he who shall not be named <laughs> the non-believer the hater the kokiri bully Jealous of Link, je jealous of our friendship with Zarya. He can't stand it. Mm -hmm. Fuck this kid. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, he was definitely like, like unless like even if he were to get a redemption story, I would still hate him. Yeah, it's just a, he, he even had that look. They gave him that facial expression of just mean, mean kid. Mean and, oh, yeah, okay, mean yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, my fourth nominee is Kapora Gabora, the most annoying and useless owl to ever live. <laughs> uh, my fifth nominee is the wall masters i think they're super annoying i, I don't i don't i've never mm. liked them they're in link to the past as well i don't think that they're necessary they're the hands okay. that come down and grab yeah. you and teleport you to the front of the the temple mm -hmm. i just they ruined the flow for me i don't I don't think they're necessary i rather i rather they put just enemies on the floor to fight or something like that <laughs> yeah uh my winner for this one personally would be kapora gabora i just i don't i I thought the owl was so useless, especially after playing Link to the Past, where like you actually can get a bird to let you fast travel. Yeah. So it was such a big disappointment. Yeah, especially that... considering in uh, Manjora we do get a fast travel. Yeah. So or with him, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like with so, his statues or whatever. So they knew. They knew we're annoyed. They fixed it, you know, because yeah. they they knew. Well, who, who would you pick? Yeah, Kabor. Actually, no. I think it's Mido. Sorry. Kabor uh, Kabor is annoying, but fuck Mido. Yeah, good. Fuck Mido for life. That's yeah. gonna be a shirt I make. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the Melania Award for most memorable boss fight in the game. I only chose three. Number one, we talked about earlier, which is Phantom Ganon. I just think is he's the most unique one in the game. Yeah. Memorable, yeah. definitely most memorable to me. As in, well, well not actually because there's another one, but like, yeah, <laughs> but really memorable. Number two was Volvagia. Just because of the dragon aesthetic, the lore, the, like kind of the, the myth yeah. mythological. Yeah, we mentioned to it. it. It really gives like credit, like not credit, but uh, validation to the sword and sorcery vibe it has. Yeah. And then the last one, I would say, is the, the entire last boss fight, the final boss, Ganondorf, okay. Ganon. Um, both versions, okay. Both versions. I mean, I, I could even just say the last one mm -hmm. uh, because really when I think about this game and if i ask like what's the first boss battle i think of it's this one God, it's just okay. pure gothic horror seeing the final form ganon so it's it, it's the one for me honestly mm -hmm. i'm just gonna say it. that's my winner personally okay yeah. mine would uh have to be to add into this at least not necessarily my winner but dark link i think uh that kind of like shadow version of yourself is such a cool idea in general Definitely, definitely. And it is memorable, you know, especially like you just walk into the mirror or like the lake almost, whatever it is, but it's mirrored, right? Mm -hmm. And then he appears. I, th I think that was really sick. And it, 
it really helped to just show how memorable he ended up being for future, like just the future of the series. Okay, for sure. And is that your winner, or who would you no, pick as the winner? My winner, for most memorable, I think I, Phantom Ganon just did it for me. Okay. I I can see it. I mean, I love I love that boss fight. So I it, and and it is memorable, you know, especially it being the first the first one as an adult. Mm-hmm. So I, I I can feel it. So okay, you got Phantom Ganon. I got Final you, <laughs> Final Form Ganon. Final. That's fair. That's, I mean, it is the final boss fight, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, the next award, the Cynthia Award for the hardest boss fight. Again, I only chose three. Um, my first nominee. I'm gonna go with what you said, which is Darkling. I think that's why I didn't put him in most memorable because I, mm. I, to me, I think he's actually the hardest. Oh, I because, think he can win. He can do both, honestly. Yeah, but the the thing about it with him is, look, all the bosses are are the same in the sense that you have to figure out the thing. What's what's the thing that you need to do to kill them? And the thing with him is that unlike the other bosses, there's you don't use the weapon, like you don't use the hook shot to kill him. You know, like in the other mm-hmm. ones, okay, with Final Form Ganon, I got to use the light arrows. No, mm-hmm. you got to figure... the big octo. You have to yeah. use the boomerang. Yeah, all, all, like every single boss, you got to, okay, I got to use the boomerang. I got to use the arrows. This is how I kill them. Slingshot, whatever. With Dark Link, you don't. So you kind of have to just experiment. And yeah, I mean, of course, he's easy. Once you, oh, I have the Begoron Sword, dead. Hammer, yeah. dead. But do if you, you don't do that, uh, huh? go ahead. No, I just do you think he would have been better for maybe like a boss inside of Ganon's castle instead of where he was? That would have been sick, but now that you say that, I think his best place would have been the Shadow Temple. Ooh, the Shadow. That makes more. Yep, yep, never mind. Yeah. That's the winner. That, <laughs> That's the winner yeah. for that. But imagine yeah. that. It, That'd be sick. Not even the and not even the mini boss, the final boss. I would I would do it as a thing of of kind of like Star Wars where you go into the cave. And you see your your biggest fear, and it's and yourself. For, yeah, and for Link, it's, it's seeing himself be evil, mm-hmm. and then wow, that would have been fucking awesome. It would have fit yeah. the aesthetic perfectly. True, true. Um, and then my final nominee. Oh, actually, I had two, three, right? So my second nominee, I would say Baronade, just because mm. I struggled with it. But I know Baronade is easy. I'm not gonna yeah. even lie. It's just I struggled with it. Mm-hmm. And the last one, Final Form Ganon. Just because he takes so much life, and you got to figure out what to do. Once you once you do is is a lot easier than some, but still, you, you need to get your timing down to dodge his attacks. And if you don't have the sword, I think it's a lot harder. If you yeah. had the Begoron sword, super easy. But yeah, I mean, I would imagine with the hammer, it's, it takes a lot longer. It takes than it does. longer, so it makes it a little more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would like to add in Vavagia here, even though okay. I know we have it for I know we have it for the top, but. Uh, this was definitely the boss that gave me one of the hardest times outside of like Dark Link, maybe. Just okay. because uh, I my timing, the, the rocks were hitting me so much. I think this is probably the one I actually died the most, if I'm not mistaken. And that's, like I said, that's on me more than anything than the actual mm-hmm. difficulty. Similar to like Barn, Barnade in your case. I think part of it with Ovagia too is that since you have to use the hammer, the range is so small. Yes. It so, makes it makes everything more like the timing more tight. Yeah, you got to be more precise. So I, I could definitely see that. Okay, uh, out of all those nominees, I would choose Dark Link. <laughs> like I, I, I do think that he is yeah, the hardest. Yeah, I think I think that's. Yeah, I'll give it to Dark Link. I'll give it to Dark Link. 
Yeah, so he he's the hardest, but he's like, what? He was so yeah. easy. I knew to use a hammer. All right, fuck you then. You're good. <laughs> no, all right. it wasn't easy for me either, but that's what I'm saying. So that's why I was okay. trying to choose. Good, good. Next award, the Would You Kindly Award for Biggest Surprise or Twist in the Game. I only got three nominees for this. Sheik is Zelda? <laughs> I think that's yeah. yeah. Even though it's such a like meme at this point, it is it is the it is the right answer. All the people who got uh spoiled by Smash Brothers, too bad for them. Oh, they didn't get to experience yeah. it, you know. But it, it is what it is. Uh second nominee, the fact that you can go back in time. That mm. was a, that was a surprise to me. That was kind of a twist. I I, I didn't Think about uh, looking back on it now. I should have known, but I for some reason it just didn't click until I actually could do it. And I was like, "Oh, okay, fuck, that's cool. Now I can do all these things." So that was a big uh, twist to me. Gotcha. Um, and then my final nominee is Zelda giving like that. We give Zelda the ocarina, and she sends us back in time at the ending. I was I was surprised that that's not the ending I expected. Mm. So that was a twist for me in the game for sure. Okay. Uh, I think for me, if we can add one, it would be, mm-hmm. is definitely uh, the Iron Knuckle being Naburu. Okay, yeah. Because that, not only was it like, kind of like traumatizing almost, especially if I imagine if I was a little kid, just seeing her get sucked into the sand, mm-hmm. but fighting her and then seeing her like struggle to fight back, at, like once we like you got the, the armor out of her. Off, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, that was surprising because I didn't expect to see her there. I thought she would just show up as an end as a sage, you know? Yeah, I did. exactly. I thought she was a sage, but I just didn't think that she Yeah, you didn't there. think it was going to be like, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, Yeah, ultimately, for me, the surprise that surprise actually did surprise me the most, I would say, is my second nominee, which is that you can travel back in time, which mm-hmm. is kind of dumb in a way but because but the i knew Sheik was zelda so that that didn't really surprise yeah. me you know so for me it was that one that, yeah, that had me, the most effect yeah for me it was definitely the iron knuckle being a buru okay yeah the next award the water temple award for hardest mission slash level slash dungeon in the yeah. game it's the namesake javi yeah. don't you dare yeah don't, i know you want to do only, this yes don't. there's only one answer and i have to agree yep. yeah okay the fire th- i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> the water temple for sure i mean like you said it's the namesake and even though some of them we haven't necessarily done the namesake it's just that's how it is <laughs> out of respect you're like yeah. out of respect the the water temple the Vanilla Unicorn Award for Favorite Location, Mission, or Level. Okay, we didn't talk much about this one, but the fishing pond. I love this place. I enjoy this fishing. Mm. So peaceful. It feels like disconnected from the rest of the world. It's his own mini game. Love it. That's my first nominee. My second nominee, Hyrule Castletown. It's the most active place. It just feels the most alive place in the whole game. And there's... You can talk to all these different people, go into the alleyways, do different mini games in the shops, buy stuff. I love being a, like if I just need to do something, I like going here. My third nominee, Lon Lon Ranch, mm-hmm. just for the peacefulness, the environment. That's where we get our baby Pona. Um, I don't know what's what's there not to love. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one would be Kakariko Village. Uh, it's the second most lively place in the game, but it has I think more little fun secrets and things mm-hmm. to do than than the castle town so yeah. I, that's always memorable to me plus there's the link to the past connection for me because it's 
Ah, there, okay. There's also Kakariko Village there too, so I have nostalgia for it, and it's yeah. the same song. So right, yeah. I think uh, the the only one I would want to add is the Kokiri Forest. Oh yeah, and of just you know, of course, it's your first area. It's your first time like getting into the adventure, and it's maybe not as lively as the other two, uh, which would be Hyrule Castle Town and Kokoriku Village, which are one and two. Mm-hmm. But it's it's still up there, and I mean, it's it's just so especially your first little mission of exploring is it's it's fun. I think I think it's the most iconic place for sure. Yes, because uh, everybody sees it. If who's mm-hmm. who's touched it, um, my winner I would say is Hyrule Castle Town. That's my favorite yeah. location. If I, I was just agree. to hang out somewhere, that's where I would want to be. And the mini games inside all the taverns yeah. and your girl, of course. But uh, yeah, and the yeah, my my wife bumps. Yeah, gallery but of course operator. I would agree. <laughs> I think I agree here. Yeah. Okay. The next award, the Konami Code Award for best secret Easter egg or cheat. So, well, actually, there's a lot of cheats here, or not cheats, but like I guess glitches. But we don't know those, so I, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna nominate those. But speedrunners would probably have a field day with this. Yeah. Um. But Easter eggs galore. Um. My first nominee would be the Mario wallpapers. You you can see in the window on the right when you're in the courtyard when you first meet Princess Zelda as young Link. That was cool. Seeing that, you're like, oh shit, Mario, awesome. Yeah, that um, one I didn't even notice until you had mentioned it to me after the fact. Yeah, it's yeah, you gotta explore, Javi. You gotta explore. Mm. The second nominee, speaking of exploration, same location, but on the other window, if you shoot your slingshot through the window, <laughs> the guard peeks through and then he throws a bomb there. He tries to commit murder on yeah. Princess Zelda. <laughs> like, yeah, like, dude. she's just chilling there too. Yeah, I was like, dude, Zelda's right here. What are you doing? Like, no wonder these guards are, again, yet again, the guards are terrible. But that was Mm -hmm. a a funny little Easter egg. Both Malin and Talon wear a Bowser brooch around their neck. Mm -hmm. This I actually didn't know until doing the 3DS version. But it actually, they actually do have it in the 64. Because it's hard to see on the 64 version. So, Um, The fourth nominee, Chopping Signs is cathartic fun. And... That's just one of those. Actually, there's a big like Miyamoto actually talked about this a lot. This in Auto Jump was like his favorite thing. He's like, you can chop the signs; it's amazing. <laughs> but the cool thing, the Easter egg about this is, you can actually make the signs go back together if you play Zelda's mm, yeah, Lullaby. Okay, yeah, time. <laughs> awesome, and it looks amazing. It looks kind of like. I don't know. It just reminds me of some some fairy magic thing, and you actually see the the pieces of the sign levitate and then come back mm, together. That's very nice. So you've nice. never seen it. Try it. It's awesome. Yeah. My last nominee is the classic, not so secret secret that if you hit the chickens repeatedly, then there will be the chicken apocalypse. And like, yeah, just, of course. So yeah. many Zelda games with uh, it's it's hilarious every time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Amazing that you know it's kept itself in like so many of them yeah it's just like once you do it once you got to do it every single game and it's funny it's fun did you have any other any other nominees this one basically goes tied with your or goes in tie with your uh number three which is the malin and talon but also igno and talon are basically mario and luigi yes oh it's so obvious it's a callback to them yeah and then number six is just the Bigorong sword quest because I didn't know about it until you yeah. told me, and I was like, "Oh well, I'm it sucks I missed it." Like, yeah, <laughs> that one. That's, that... that's a sick as a side mission or Easter egg. Sorry, or secret. It's a secret. 
it's a secret and definitely it's definitely easy to miss you know mm. because i i've heard a lot of people who didn't get it um so especially because you get that other sword and it breaks you think it's just kind of a joke or something yeah, you know exactly. so all right those are good those are good additions i would say for me my favorite kind of secret here is the the chopping the sign thing and putting Fair it back enough. together so magical I, I just think it's it's one of the cool magical things in zelda that i i really love and i i I didn't know this through my first playthrough. I found it later on, and I was just—it was one of those like, "What the fuck? I didn't know you could do that." Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that it was just awesome. Who who would you sure pick you know. as a winner? Uh, it's the classic not so secret secret, of course. Uh, the, the chicken apocalypse. Chicken, yeah, <laughs> you gotta love it. It's, you know, it's so iconic. I, I love it so much. Damn, you're just attacking chickens every game, yeah. Javi. How I have you? to. <laughs> my, I grew up uh, in my grandma's house chickens everywhere like they don't mess around man that's true that's true yes that's right i forgot about that all right i can see that all right the next the next award the koji kondo award for best song in the game okay this one is really hard and yes. it was really hard to narrow down to five nominees because fucking every single song almost every single song on here is great so here are my five the title theme of course i i love it i you guys heard it in the beginning of the podcast. I talked about it. It's like it, it brings tears to my eyes at times. That's how that's how much it means to me, and it, it, it carries so much nostalgia for me. So definitely amazing. Um, well, you already said your answer to this because you said it earlier. <laughs> yeah, I think you've said it like eight times throughout yeah, the podcast. It's my, absolutely, my favorite song. So like nominee number two is, is my nominee for both Song of Storms. Eyes. Or as Amazing. Javi calls it, Song of the Storms. I always say the, but that's just because I always added the other shit. Yeah. But so it's song. definitely my favorite. It's it's just so good. Yeah. It's it, it's memorable. And then, like, it's just the, I think the musician plays a big part of it, too. <laughs> like, I always, uh, I always think of him, too. Well, I, I liked it even before I knew about the musician, though, because mm. I've heard it before. True. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. For me, it holds that. For you, it's different. Yeah. Okay. Um, I also nominate the Temple of Time theme. I've said it how I just it feels spiritual and I think it perfectly captures what they're trying to put together there in the temple of time. It feels holy, like it feels very religious, I would say, in like in a good way where like that's what they want. They want it to feel like and they captured it. They captured it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, my next nominee, the forest temple theme. I just think it does all those things at once where it can exude mystery, hope. And horror all in one song. Mm. And I just, I'm in awe that he was able to do that. And <laughs> I also, I think for Genius. me, because it was the, because it is the first temple as an adult. Like yeah. I was, I was probably stuck on this one longer than most. <laughs> like, ah, okay. Okay. So I was like, I listened to it a lot. Yeah, you know, the so song was, was engraved into your fucking memory. Yeah. It's imprinted. And then the last one I think is the, the Ganon final boss battle theme. I I think this one in particular, I mean I can't say this for sure. I haven't read uh, anything Koji Kondo saying anything like this, but I it just feels like he designed it specifically with keeping the sound effects in mind too. Because I've listened to the theme itself and it sounds great, but I keep hearing in my head like the sound effects of every time Ganon gets hit and he does that kind of wail, mm-hmm. or I hear Zelda every time you get hit she cries. You know, so like I, it just seems to blend so well with the sound effects more so than any other song in the game. So yeah, those are my five nominees. 
Yeah, and then my nominee is the one that I think is gonna win for me. You, know, you so. only had one nominee. Yeah, song, I mean, song, uh, the, the the Bolero of Fire also amazing, but you know, Song of Storms is just your too favorite. Good. It's yeah. absolutely. I have like I didn't even think when we were talking about this. I didn't even think of anything else. Yeah, I, fair enough. I, and I think a lot of people would answer that way too. So I don't blame you. Well, for ultimately for me, it has to be the title theme. To me, it's just it's the most important song. And it's the one that just brings me the most nostalgia. So for me, it's the best one. I, it's just such a beautiful song. And nothing will ever compare to that feeling when you fire up the game and you hear the song. So the title theme, for sure. All right, next award. The Arif Gets Brutally Murdered Award for Best Death Scene <laughs> in the Game. This one was a little rough because there's actually not too many actual death scenes. Like deaths, so yeah. So we maneuvered it a little bit, but the first one I think is obvious is the Dequishu dying. That's a yeah. great scene in the beginning. And Link starts his adventure here. So it set, it sets the whole game in motion. Um and it's sad too. It is they they do do it in a sad way. The nominee number two is the death of Link and Rudo's future marriage. Heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know they you were duty. heartbroken. <laughs> they had duty to attend to, yeah. They do. Uh their jobs tore them apart, unfortunately. Nominee number three, not really a death scene, but at the end when Ganon is being sealed away in the sacred realm, I mean, it's kind of a death scene to me, you know, and the way mm -hmm. he yells and he's fucking mad and he curses everybody. Powerful, but mm -hmm. not technically a death scene. He does come back. We know that. We know yep. that very well. Yep. And my last nominee, which is, I guess this is kind of an Easter egg too, because I, I a lot of people actually missed this. I know I missed this during my first playthrough, but there's a soldier who fought, or I guess was attacked by Ganondorf as Zelda was escaping from the castle as a mm -hmm. kid. And the only way you see this soldier is you go into Hyrule Castle Town and then you go into an alleyway. Almost everybody goes immediately to the Temple of Time because that's what they told you to do. And you know where it is. Yeah. And like nobody else in Hyrule Castle Town seems to be bothered that Zelda just left on horseback, <laughs> like, and being chased by Ganon. Like, people say things, they're just like, Did you see that guy? But then, yeah. you know, that's it. But there's this soldier there in the alleyway. And then when you talk to him, he says, Here, I wrote this down. He says, <sighs> Are you the boy from the forest? I I have something to, to tell you. Ganondorf, the Gerudo King of Thieves, betrayed our king. Zelda's nanny, Impa, sensed danger and escaped from the castle with our princess. The princess was waiting for a boy from the forest. That's you. She wanted to give something to the boy. If you received it from the princess, hurry to the Temple of Time. And then, if you try to talk to him again... Navi tells you he's no longer responding. Yikes. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yep. That should have been, they should have put that soldier in front of the Temple of Time. But <laughs> he had that dog in him. He was, yeah. Uh, what a, but you know, and the whole thing is dumb because I guess they're trying to give you a further clue to, oh, go to the Temple of Time if you happen to go in the alleyway. But the alleyway is so kind of out of the way that. It doesn't make sense, but it was a powerful scene, and especially Navi saying that. I, I thought that it really hit me, but I don't know. Did you have any other nominees? I know there weren't a lot of death scenes. So No, the one that wasn't a death scene, but I thought was, was just Nabu's death, quote-unquote. Okay. Oh, when she, she gets, gets sucked I think that was yeah. pretty brutal, so it was kind of yeah. like, damn, and then seeing her, but then seeing her again was kind of relief, but also not. 
Yeah. Unless we want to just, we really do want to double down and say all the sages are dead. So all those. Are yeah, that's scenes. true. That's true. So, but yeah, I get you. That that was a brutal scene. Okay, I actually surprisingly, I actually think that soldier death scene is the darkest one. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I actually think it's the best death scene in that sense. Obviously, the Deku Tree would probably be the winner for most people. Um, but I don't know, maybe because I've seen it so many times, I just don't feel that same impact. But this soldier one, it just seems because it's kind of optional and it's dark. I yeah. I really like it. I, I, I think that it really hits. Yeah, I think for me, it's definitely Naburu's just because that, you know, you were just going to go out to help her and then you see her just getting completely swallowed alive into yeah, the yeah. Swallowed alive. And that's such a, you know, as a kid, I remember I'm going to have to deal with quicksand more than I actually do as an adult. You know, mm -hmm. I was always scared of quicksand. So that was kind of like, oh, fuck. That's so funny. I've never heard anybody being afraid of quicksand because it's I've never even seen quicksand. And like with exactly. Eyes, but I've, I've, I've heard of it and knew about it as a kid. And I thought I was going to have to deal with it at some point in my life. So, you know, <laughs> and, you, and you did it. <laughs> like, I never did. Luckily, uh, good. <laughs> Not yet. All right. All right. Well, hopefully never. Okay, next award, the Finish Him Award for Most Memorable Line. I think, well, here's the thing. They don't talk, so we'll, we'll have to put text in here. But here's an actual line. Hey, listen, <laughs> I think that's nominee number one because that's memorable for good or bad. That's memorable for sure. Okay, nominee number two. Uh, this is from Sheik. So, so many, but this is the one I chose right here. It is something that grows over time, a true friendship, a feeling in the heart that becomes even stronger through time. The passion of friendship will soon blossom into a righteous power, and through it, you'll know which way to go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Zelda never said this to me. <laughs> uh, nominee number three would be Saria, which... Again, I, and I said that it's just the emotional core of the game. She says, oh, you're leaving? I knew that you would leave the forest someday, Link, because you are different from me and my friends. But that's okay, because we'll be friends forever, won't we? I got a little emotional right now here. <laughs> you started it's, crying. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, okay. I love it. Uh, fourth nominee, I would say... <laughs> I, the guard is funny. I love his oh, dialogue. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the guard. So here, here's what the guard says. He's, he, this is the guard in front of Death Mountain. He says, the road is closed beyond this point. Can't you read the sign over there? <laughs> eh, oh, oh, I see. You're just a kid and you can't read yet. Ha, 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 ha. And then two sentences later, he says, okay, okay, all right. You can go now. Just be careful, Mr. Hero. And then ha, 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 ha again. He, he was great. And then the last one, I would say, is from the post salesman. This was shit. I, had, I was laughing out loud when I read this. It just came out of nowhere. You talk to the post salesman for the first time. This is when you're adult, Link. And he tells you, you know, if I was as good looking as you, I'd start another type of business. <laughs> Nintendo, what does this mean? <laughs> yeah, like, what the fuck, Nintendo? Miyamoto, what does this mean, bro? That, I thought that was just so random for Zelda, so I loved it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I I want to throw in another one from Sheik. Uh, this is, uh, I think, when she's doing the serenade of water. Okay. Yeah, so time passes, people move. Time passes, people move. 
Like a river's flow, it never ends. A childish mind will turn to noble ambition. Young love will become deep affection. The clear water surface reflects growth. And then they're like, now listen to the, but just that part before. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, honestly, you could probably, we could have, we could have just chosen any one of hers for the, for when she teaches you the songs. Probably. It's just, they're, yeah. they're all so good. So I, I can't hate on that one. That one's amazing. Okay. That was the only one that you wanted yeah, to add? Yeah. Okay. You know what? So my winner ultimately is, is Saria. I just, I, I think about this, that, that whole, like, we'll be friends forever won't we i don't know yeah. that just it just seems so um deep into what zelda's all about um about growing up and about losing things but finding your way and they're yeah. just it resonates for me i think yeah i think i would have to agree especially after like doing the, like the research and stuff and like mm -hmm. listening to lines it just it does feel like the emotional core of like the game Mm, good I, yeah I'm, I'm glad we agree on that one because that, that one means you better agree with me on that. <laughs> <laughs> that one means a lot to me all right next award the it's dangerous to go alone take this award for best weapon item or power in the game nominee number one is honestly purely from respect and this is the master sword mm -hmm. but i have i do have to say and we've alluded to it while it's iconic and legendary it's just it's overshadowed by the Begoron sword, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And I think they should have done more. So that's not going to be my winner. Just out of, straight out of telling <laughs> wow, you Wow, okay. Yeah. Uh, nominee number two is the Slingshot. I think what I love about it is that it resembles what it is to be a kid so much. Like, it's playful. It's dangerous, but it's playful, too. And especially in that time, like in 98, the slingshot was so synonymous with Bart Simpson and the Simpsons were the biggest cartoon ever at that time. You know, it was just, everybody would watch it. So whenever I saw that slingshot, I would just think of that, of just kind of this playful devilishness of Bart. And I just kind of imprinted that onto Link too. It just kind of, I just picture Link like throwing a slingshot and hitting a big enemy with a rock on their head and running away <laughs> David or something. Goliath yeah, it is. So I, I just, I love that about it. The third nominee is the Begoron sword because this motherfucker is strong as fuck. Like, it's twice as long and twice as powerful. So... As the, yeah, as the Master Sword, yep. Yeah, and then once you get it, there's just no other reason to use the Master Sword unless you need it to... to and the only time you actually need it is to do the final blow on, mm -hmm. on Ganon. The next one for me is the mirror shield, just Ooh, okay. because because I think aesthetically it looks incredible. I, I it looks, does, yeah, it's, yeah, it does. I agree with you. It it looks great on his back. Unfortunately, it's not too useful, but or it's underused. I would say more than anything, but it it just looks good. Yeah. And the last nominee for me is well, the, the fucking ocarina. <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah, it's the namesake. It's just. It's so functional. I love that it's a music sim, even if I can't play them. Um, I think it captures the magic that Miyamoto wanted, yeah. and it didn't overdo it. And as I mentioned a lot before, is that whole thing of it's a primordial instrument in my eyes. So I, I love that about it. Yeah. Um, I'd like to add just like the hook shot as being is just such a useful weapon. Mm. And not just a weapon, but also like to get to places. And then slingshot and bow i guess th those would be the same thing honestly they're just when you're a child when you're a a kid but mm -hmm. there is a significant difference because you know like you said the 
the cultural relevance at the time for the slingshot. Yeah, I think the bow in in that sense captures more of the the medieval feel, yes. or, or or the more like sword and sorcery yeah. feel. But they are realistically basically the same item. Yeah, agreed. My winner, and honestly, I was a, a sec. I was let me say second. I would have put the hookshot because I just think the hookshot is the most useful item in the entire game. But ocarina for me, it has to be the ocarina. It's just I yeah. love the ocarina. It symbolizes so much of yeah. nostalgia for me. As much as I would have liked to said like something like the master sword, like we like we said, it's it's just not. Mm-hmm. But the ocarina is not only the namesake, but it's like the core of the game. Like yeah, you know that's that's how you're able to do what you can do because you have the ocarina in the first yeah. place. No, I agree. So I, that that's the winner for that one. Um, next award, the running from Mr. X award for scariest moment of the game. I actually, there's no competition here, Javi. It's, <laughs> it's, it's when you first see the re-deads. And yes. The, and the screaming, yeah. Outside yeah. of when you first come back from the seven years. Yes. Yes. You hear that high pitched screech and then they just wrap around you like a leech. No, it's, it's, it's incredible. I I think there is an honorary shout out. I think you would agree with this one too, right? The dead mm-hmm. hand. The dead hand. Yes, I would throw in the dead hand and as well as the silhouette Ganon shows. That's pretty terrifying. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But like I said, I think the winner. We already know who the winner is. Yeah, I I think I would have actually given it to dead hand if it wasn't for the fact that we already saw the re-deads first mm-hmm. in in the game, and then it kind of already numbed me to it a little bit. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, the last award, the Knee of Justice Award for most hyped moment. All right, here here's my first nominee. When Link meets Ganondorf as he's looking for Zelda as a young Link, and he does the whole gangster shit that we talked about, like unsheathing his sword and shield. I was I was ready. I was like I stood. I like moved in my chair. I was like, let's go. I thought we were gonna fight him as young Link, you mm-hmm. know, and I was hyped. Second one is taking the Master Sword for the first time. Incredible. Like I said, if I think if people were to think of one scene first, like just one scene, I think this is the one that comes to mind, him pulling the sword. Yeah, I think it's um, it's like you want to see that in every version of the game that you or yeah, every version of the game that you play. You want to see like that's iconic in all of them, I feel. Yeah, they are. And then uh, the next one is the final blow against Ganon. Mm, yeah. The, the cutscene slashes like and it does like a bunch of camera cuts too which i love so it just makes it feel faster and more visceral yeah like a real flurry of attacks yeah and then my fourth nominee is beating ingo in the horse race and then jumping over the fence and getting epona (laughs) (laughs) i i that that camera i don't know why that camera angle is so good like miyamoto knew for some reason but i i do i can see that camera angle in my head you know without even having to look it up i can just see it so mm-hmm. there's just something so fucking and i was i was like oh now we're free now we can ride yeah. around a hyrule field and the last one which you couldn't experience unfortunately but completing the bigoro <laughs> sword quest yeah is incredible uh it's not not that there's anything special that happens like you just uh, it's okay. actually it's actually funny because you you actually take the broken sword 
to the the guy to fix it for you and then you have to wait three days <laughs> oh okay so you don't even oh so you didn't even know yeah. you're getting anything you might forget yeah and, yeah and and then like you when you get it it's just cool it's so hype because you know now you have a powerful ass sword after it doesn't mm-hmm. break you're like god you're just slashing things with one hit i can imagine things... some people not like using it at all because they're afraid it's gonna break if they got the first version yeah yeah it's like oh man uh, maybe this one's only 12 hits instead of six hits uh, that would have been terrible for them yeah. but yeah those are my final minis did you want to add anyone yeah uh, i think uh finally defeating volvagia that scene was pretty like <laughs> holy shit we destroyed them for you i'll be free well that that but no like the, just the when he came out of the lava like as just bone oh yeah okay i get what you're saying yeah true yeah like true. like i finally beat this bitch like yeah and he gets like it's like skeletizes and then and then he evaporates. falls apart as he flies yeah. up yeah no that you're that's that is a cool ass cutscene. um okay my whole most hype moment ultimately is the final blow because i'm like oh mm. i'm done i finished it i beat him 30 40 hours however long it took me that first time <laughs> i'm done like it was an epic undertaking inclusion for me. yeah yeah like i think that could have been it for me but i just seen an almost the same scene just better in mm-hmm. uh, wind waker yes it is better in wind waker because the, so, the the final blow onto his head oh like, my uh, god that was so <laughs> sick and especially now knowing that it's this ganon basically i'm just like oh my god it just now even more so you know get but, wrecked twice bitch. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, by a child again basically yeah even I mean, younger now yeah, yeah like even younger i mean because adult link is still a child oh my god it's getting easier to kill you as a younger <laughs> yeah. Guy, like. <laughs> yeah but my winner is definitely be- beating ingo with epona and then jumping over okay yeah that that would have been second for me i mean yeah that that's just imprinted it's it's incredible so that's a, that's a good choice well okay that was the awards wonderful awards section let's let's go to the quick hitters and random trivia before we get out of here guys we thank you for sticking around for so long but we got a couple cool trivia facts that we saw that i liked and you liked so the mm-hmm. first one was when development started miyamoto wasn't sure how they could accomplish zelda in 3d with the nintendo 64 hardware so his initial idea was for the whole game to take place in ganon's castle mm-hmm. and then to have the paintings like mario 64 where you you would like jump in and then it'd be like another level or dungeon ultimately they scrapped that idea obviously but the forest temple that's how they got the idea for phantom that's, ganon that's sick yep that is actually pretty cool to, thinking yeah. about it yeah. that that inspired the paintings all right one of the old ads had a tagline of will if thou get the girl or play like one <laughs> it was scrapped and they changed the wording to will if thou soar or suck the 90s were a different time and i guess that's the american advertising part of it because i mean especially since just the subtle sexism of you know early advertising yeah, yeah. you know are you gonna play like a girl yeah that wouldn't fly now that should we, yeah. we should have put that on what age the worst like what, <laughs> what hasn't standed the test of time yeah i think but, well, what's fun it's like whatever i get it but it's like the thing that's funny to me is will is thou sore suck is not better <laughs> like, no it's not <laughs> but i get what they're going for but yeah it's just bad marketing for a game that basically got a very significant female population yeah over time for sure like breath of the wild has a lot of female players so 
All right, in that same trailer that you're talking about, they use this epic Conan and the Barbarian song. I love this song, by the way. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is what I love about this, there's a legendary E3 moment when they reveal Twilight Princess and the crowd goes fucking wild. And the thing is, they did that type of trailer where it's the end of the show and he's like, okay, before you go, let me show you one last world on the GameCube. And so you don't know what the trailer is. You don't know it's Zelda. Mm -hmm. You see a forest. You see a horse running through, but you can't really make it out. But the song is playing. The Conan song is playing. Mm -hmm. And you hear the crowd slowly going crazier and crazier. It's like one of those if you know, you know kind of Yeah. And then it finally erupts when you clearly see Link. That's sick. But my thing about it, too, is like I, I also have a theory. And I think that a lot of people almost instantly knew it was Zelda because of the song. Either that or they thought it was Conan, but I think they probably knew it was Zelda, you know, because it was an iconic trailer that people would remember. So that's just mm-hmm. a theory I have. But either, either way, it was just cool they used a song for both both uh, those trailers. Gotcha. In the entire Zelda series, where do you think Ocarina stands in terms of sales? Uh, well, uh, It has to third. be up there. Top five. Yeah, uh, it's third, yeah. Okay. If you could include both 3DS and N64 version together, then it would be second. Hmm. The N64 version sold 7.6 million copies, and Twilight Princess sold 8.85 million copies in the original Wii U slash GameCube version. Okay. Ocarina of Time 3DS sold over 6 million copies, but clearing them all, Breath of the Wild is coming in at 30 million copies sold. (laughs) The 19th best-selling game of all time. Isn't that so crazy? It's just, yeah, it's, it's still like, going to be amazing selling. Yeah, I was. I wonder if uh, I'm going to be interested to see how much Tears of the Kingdom. Um, Hopefully, it does well. Yeah, I mean, it's going to do well, but I wonder how well, you know. Yeah. But yeah, that's crazy. Next tidbit: Epona is a girl. Most people, I I would imagine, know that. Um, but whether you knew that or not, did you know where she got her name? Okay, well. Yoshiaki Koizumi, who was responsible for creating her, named her after the Celtic goddess of horses. And that's just how simple it is. He just looked it up and he was like, what's the Celtic goddess, you know, Epona? And it fits. (laughs) It fits perfectly. Yeah, what's a cool... Yeah, he went on Google before Google, right? Mm -hmm. He went on Ask Jeeves and was like... (laughs) (laughs) He hit up Netscape Navigator. Yeah, Yeah. whatever it was. All right. So next one. Arcarina... Of time is 25.7 megabytes of size. Tiny. Compared, very mm-hmm. tiny. I don't think there's even memory cards that small anymore. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> to compare with modern games, Forspoken, which was released January of this year, is 115 gigabytes in size. <laughs> Uh, Approximately 447,000% larger than Orcarina. And so much less. <laughs> so, so much less fun. Four hundred and forty-seven thousand percent larger and in somehow, size. And, and, yeah, yeah. And, and somehow, somehow the whatever I haven't even played it, but I from what you've talked about, it feels like the overworld is smaller than or less yeah. more barren than. It's, yeah, Field. it's it's so barren. It's like it's like they just put Hyrule Field in there. <laughs> yeah. As we mentioned earlier, to this day, Ocarina is still the highest rated game ever on Metacritic with an average score of 99. Well, to give you an idea, number two is Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 mm. at 98. Well deserved, by the way. Extremely. Number number three is GTA 4 at 98. 
not deserved them. Are they? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, don't I don't know about I don't know about ninety eight. I'm I'm sorry. I don't I'm know not about ninety eight fan. So that's definitely too high for me. <laughs> yeah. I I mean I think it's good. I just don't think it's yeah. ninety eight. No, I even acknowledge it's good. You yeah. know. But... Yeah. Number four is Soul Calibur at ninety eight. Mm. That's a great fucking game on the Dreamcast. I'll tell you that shit right now. And, <laughs> and number five is Super Mario Galaxy at 97. I Let's think go. that's, I don't think that's deserved because I think that actually deserves like a fucking 99 too. <laughs> but we're Nintendo fanboys, so we're yeah. going to, what can we say? Okay. But top five. Yeah, top five. Still good. They have two of the top five. So this is going to be shocking, Mike. <laughs> Extremely shocking. I don't think you're going to be ready for this. Okay, tell me. But the Kokiri. Uh-huh. Right, the little elf in green tights mm-hmm. are directly inspired by Peter Pan. <laughs> I don't know really? what gives it away. I don't know Dude. what gives it away. Maybe, maybe it's the the like the like I said, the green outfits, mm-hmm. or the fact that they never age, or you know their little tinkerbells they have. Mm-hmm. But so the, apparently, <laughs> they're directly inspired. Yeah, the Lost Boys in the Lost Woods. You know, no, yeah, oh my. Who, who could have ever made that connection? Come on. Yeah, who would have thought? <laughs> I mean, it's obvious, but it's it's nice to see that it's directly referenced, mm-hmm. <laughs> that they acknowledge mm-hmm. it. This is a small sample size, but in a Nintendo Life poll where they, they polled 5,000 people, 70% of the people chose the name Link when starting a new game. Mm. So that's interesting to me. I, I always choose Link as my name. In most yeah. games... Like I choose my own name, like in in Pokemon, but in Zelda, I don't know. I don't know about you. Yeah, I think it's one of those things, especially the way I think the game starts off. Doesn't it say Link or does it not say Link? Yeah, and then you can change it. Yeah. Yeah, I think Pokemon doesn't have a name chosen. It has names you can choose, but I think the starting thing is like you can choose your name, mm. like yourself. I think okay. they maybe could have done that, but but then again, it's like you know him as Link, and even though we are supposed to be Link, and the idea of like the recurrent re. But you know the the spirit of the hero being rebooted every every mm-hmm. Zelda, it would have made sense that he could have different names than Link. Yeah, that's true. Because if he is named just Link, then why is he named after the hero of time? You know. Exactly. The only one that where that really makes sense is Wind Waker because they make, they poke fun at that because they're like, oh, we're gonna re- rename you as like the hero of time was named. Yeah, and then I know? guess yeah, exactly. So. That there's that one, but yeah, most of them it is like he he should be named like Carl, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> or Hobby. Hobby, Mike, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So, um, speaking of like Mario characters that made a cameo, Chain Chomp from the Mario series was supposed to make a cameo, mm. but was cut at the last minute, unfortunately. Okay. He would have been in the Gerudo Fortress, and if he captured you, you'd be tied up and only be able to use the Megaton Hammer to break free. That would have been awesome. It would have added more to the Gerudo uh, Fortress. Honestly. The only thing is, I, I think it would have broke my immersion. Granted. I mean, how much did yeah, how much did Ignore or Talon break your immersion, though? Yeah. But that that's not, like, so direct. You true, know, I, true, true. I mean, it's pretty obvious, but it's, it's not super direct. Eh, that's fair. I, I will say Chain Chomp is in Link to the Past. Yes, but, I, mean, I think I remember, I've seen him. Yeah, but the thing is, I think in 3D, I have such a vivid like visual of him from super mario 64 mm. that I, I think i don't know but that sounds awesome like that would have been fucking amazing <laughs> um and then the last tidbit all right the fire temple your favorite <laughs> my favorite yeah the fire for fire temple boss volvagia uses the same animations as an r-wing uses when it's being tailed by another craft in star fox 64 
So the programmer who worked on it also worked on Star Fox 64. So when they made the character, he just imp- he just used the same inputs and put it in there. And that was it. Mm, okay. The thing is, years later, hackers found the coding in the game. And they were able to make an R-Wing actually show up in Hyrule. So oh, okay. If, you, if you've never seen Real it, there's actually... shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Real time so, travel. Time travel, exactly. So you, you can actually look up videos of an R-Wing showing up and shooting at link <laughs> that's funny that's awesome that's awesome so those are random tidbits last thing last after all thing. this after all this hobby what would you score the game if it came out now in this theoretical world yeah everything and, else came out yeah yeah exactly to frame it everything came out it's just we're plucking ocarina out of where it came from mm-hmm. and plugging it in now we're time traveling it to 25 years later. Yeah. And so. this is such a like, I, I, it's so hard of a question because we have like the bias already. Yes. But if I was to honestly think and give it a real rating or a score, sorry, mm-hmm. I think it would have to be no higher than a six or seven. Yes. I think that's now. The- and this is speaking directly as the 64 version. I think I have, would have a different score. Even though I haven't played the Ocarina re- re- remake, as they call it, mm-hmm. I did play Manjora's uh, remake on the 3DS. That mm-hmm. one I would easily give like a 9 or 10. Yeah, so I'm right there with you. I First of all, Ocarina's a 10 out of 10, and that's mm-hmm. it. But yes, if it were to come out now, the only fair thing to say is that it would... I think it would... I think it would get a 6... Mm-hmm. by most people i think it would have to be released as like an indie game yeah and then maybe then you would give it like a seven i would mm-hmm. i would give it a seven just because i I just like this type of game anyway yeah but you know the frame rate the bad camera controls. yeah and this is like i said we're like we're not changing anything from it. yeah i mean that's just it is what it is you know it's just it's just an exercise but yeah it, i think it would it would for sure get like a six i would give the 3ds version i would still give it a nine yeah, because it really does fix a lot of the problems. It makes it easier to play. Yeah, so yeah, I, I can't say yet because I haven't played it. But like I said, I would give Majora's Mask a ten on the 3DS. Damn, that's right? that's that's high praise. So yeah, that's, uh, Majora so, is really good, bro. Exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, no, no. So I would assume that I would probably up the scores as well if I played the. the 3ds version yeah yeah but no, again you, like i said this is not the 3ds version unfortunately yeah you de- you definitely would it, it is a lot better but yeah i mean fuck all that noise because at the end of the day ocarina of time is a 10 out of 10 from here to all eternity <laughs> and that is the episode episode one of the expansion pack podcast we thank all you guys for listening to us make sure to follow us on if you prefer spotify uh apple podcasts We'll be on all that. All that is linked in the description. You can email us at thegrimoireshow at gmail.com if you want to email us questions. We'll be doing mailbags in the future once we get uh, some questions in. And we'll be answering questions about anything you want to ask us about, whether it's this game or the next game, um, anything. Uh, Send us. We're doing Bioshock next. Yes, if you want to send us some questions, that'd be great some questions or even if you want to maybe send us some random trivia help us with the with the research here mm, yeah <laughs> like anything you want to email us we'll read through it all we appreciate you email us and um yeah we'll see you guys next month with bioshock 
Last Friday of every month, we'll come out with a new episode of the Expansion Pack Podcast. We thank you for joining us. My name is Miguel, a.k.a. Mike. And this is... Yeah. And I'm Javi. Sorry. (laughs) Forgot me. (laughs) You're like, what's my name? It's been 10 hours. I don't remember. (laughs) Honestly. Yeah. All right, guys. We'll see you guys next time. Peace.